0: This episode of How To Wrestling was brought to you by Lucas Brown, one of our lovely $50 backers over at Patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling, where you can get access to a whole bunch of extra content. This September 7th at the London Podcast Festival, we're going to be doing a live show and it'll be amazing to see you there! This year our show is going to be all about the weird and wonderful world of wrestling music. Tickets are available from kingsplace.co.uk and you can save 15% when you buy three or more tickets from across the festival. And as always, there's no shortage of big names to choose from so come see us live in London. We always have such a lovely time at this event and we cannot wait to see you and all your signs. Until then, it's time for How To Bret Hart.
1: Friend, and welcome to another episode of How to Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And today's episode may be the best there is the best there was, and not to completely negate our future content, but potentially the best there ever will be. It's all about the essence of execution, Canada's own Brett the Hitman Heart. However, once again, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, teaching you all about the world of wrestling, and I'm joined, as always, by my better half and scholarly girlfriend, Joanna Graham.
0: Welcome. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Uh,
1: I am well, and I am in very much big episode mode, if you you, know how I feel.
0: You've had your porridge. I've had
1: my porridge, I've had two cups of coffee, and there's a third one on the back burner. Uh, Joe, uh, how does one survive a potentially long episode? of how-to wrestling.
0: Well, porridge is important, or at least some kind of healthy breakfast that's going to give you enough energy to keep you lasting throughout the day.
1: Yes, just so everyone knows, big Attitude Era podcast, eggs, big how-to porridge.
0: You know, in many ways, preparing for a long podcast recording is much like preparing for a hike. (laughs) Yes, that's true. You have to have a big breakfast. You have to have, take, take regular water breaks, stop and rest every once in a while, and give yourself a chance to stretch.
1: Yeah, and also I've got a trail mix, except instead of uh, candy bacon bits, I've got loads of tidbits about Bret Hart's fabulous hey. career. Now, this is a mammoth undertaking, and after Joe and I had to be cryogenically frozen so that we could survive after the Vince McMahon episode, we decided to reach out into our rich pantheon of podcast pals to find someone to join us along for the journey. Adam
2: Bibolo, who are you, and what are you doing here? I was going to ask you the same thing,
1: Kevin.
2: I've been on the How To Kane episode. I think that makes sense. Everyone knows I'm a massive Kane mark. You're a kane I. How To grunts hasn't happened yet, but I think when it does, everyone knows I'm obviously going to be <laughs> there. We got your information. Like, Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll call you. What, why did you ask me to get involved with How To Brat Hart specifically, though, Kevin?
1: I mean, well, we, we do another show called The Attitude Era Podcast where Adam and I and our and our wild friend, Billy Keeble, who's mm-hmm. not here today, we review all of The Attitude Era. And that started in 1998, not the podcast, the Attitude Era. But we recently have done our fourth season, which was a prologue of sorts, which meant that we came across Bret Hart a lot more than previous. And I don't know, I felt I had noticed that your approach or your appreciation or your 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 relationship with him as a character on screen seems to have
2: changed in the last year or so. Yes, that's, that's very much true, because I didn't really grow up with Bret Hart. I didn't know him as a wrestler so much as what I'd heard about him and the clips I'd seen, like the legendary stories, etc. And I'd seen a few matches as I got older, like the Iron Man match with Shawn Michaels, some of his big ones, and I thought he was good... But all the stories I'd heard about Bret Hart as a person and some of the stuff I'd seen made me think that he was a bit of a bitter baby. and he'd like oh. One of these guys that took wrestling a bit too seriously oh. and he liked his character a bit too much. And I kind of thought he was a bit lame <gasps> because of that. And that really did tarnish my view of him for a long time. Joe, Graham,
1: both hands raised, ready to fight to the death. Yes, <laughs> an execution the, the, here.
2: This was the old me, because now we're doing season four. Looking at 97, which is quite a tumultuous year for Bret, and, we'll and get, wrestling
1: as a whole, and you wrestling could say, in general, yeah.
2: yeah. And we'll get into this more later. I, I sympathize a lot more with Bret. I think he was taken advantage of and manipulated a lot more than people necessarily consider a lot of the time. Mm. Like
1: no one in wrestling wants to admit, "Hey, I was manipulated," or you know, someone got one over on me and stuff like. that. Well, that's know.
2: it. Like everyone goes on about how Brett gets. Everyone goes on about how Brett got screwed by Vince, but like if you actually look at the '97 TV shows, it's almost kind of bullying the way that they manipulated him and Shawn Michaels to make things a lot more worse than they were. And we'll get into all of this, I have no doubt. But yeah, essentially, I've got a lot more sympathy for Brett these days and I've grown a new appreciation for him as a performer as well.
1: That's interesting that you had that kind of viewpoint. Joe, you seemed quite shocked that Adam would would have had that viewpoint before we had started this journey. And we've done a lot of reading and watching and documentaries and matches and all and everything in between. What was your memory or opinion of Brett before we got into the bulk of the research?
0: I didn't know much about Brett before we started doing this episode, to be honest, because he's quite an introverted fellow, so he doesn't pop up as much as I think someone like Shawn Michaels of that (laughs) era has. But I've seen him come up in a couple of episodes where we've done matches of Brett. So he came up in the Owen Hart episode. We did the cage match between him and Owen. Uh, I know he came up in a match between him and Mr. Perfect for that episode.
1: Stone Cold as well. Oh,
0: yeah, of course. So I've seen him wrestle a few times. But he doesn't really get his personality across in his matches so much, Yeah, I don't think. So I didn't really know much about him as a person, but as a wrestler, I thought he was amazing. I thought he was one of the best I'd ever seen.
1: Okay. Now, this is obviously a wrestler who is incredibly admired, loved. We're, we're talking about people's childhoods here today. None of us grew up with Brett. I think that's important to say. And like, I think I'm quite like yourself, Adam, in that... I didn't grow up with him, but he's someone who I'd seen a lot from kind of extended viewing, and I didn't necessarily have the highest opinion of the man either. And reading his book, and I re- reread it recently for this podcast. I don't know if that really helped matters in many respects, but to give you a perspective, maybe of why Adam like thought maybe or, or I had some of those negative opinions of Brett. Uh, one of the episodes that we did before we did our recent season involved Brett in this is in two thousand and one after he's had to retire and it's Brett doing a promo for a new fledgling Australian wrestling group called WWA. What was the nature of
2: Brett's promos that he was doing? I was stuck in Australia once when my plane was grounded after 9-11 and Australia's a great place and you people were very nice to me after the 9-11 and I'm really happy to be back here with you tonight wow. at this new promotion, WWA. <laughs> and then he goes on to say about how no one ever beat him yeah <laughs>
1: he's like Stone Cold Steve Austin The Rock Vince McMahon none of you ever beat me I'm still the champion oh, <laughs> God. well there we go we made it six minutes before Bret Hart impression so oh, <laughs> we had decided to kind of cast a wide net so I've read Bret Hart's book which will fill it with some details along the way but we decided to watch the WWE documentary that is up on the network which was made alongside Bret so this is unlike a lot of the documentaries where it's like here's our story this was when Brett wasn't even a part of the company or, or part of their Legends deal. He agreed to do this with them, which is Bret Hart, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be.
0: Sorry, I think I'm mistaken.
1: Oh, God, mm-hmm. please, for the love of Jesus now. this, t- Tell tell the folks, Joe, about the WWE Network.
0: What do, you, what do you want me to t- say?
1: Well, about how this it's documentary. Than ever. Oh, okay. They've updated the WWE Network yeah. in summer 2019, and the documentaries, some of
2: them have been this one has been given an egregious title it's been they've made the network better it's faster it's more efficient <laughs> it's, it's more accurate i say these days i think it's more correct the content yeah. they have on there yeah it's streamlined
1: in that it has managed to supercharge a highway between me and getting outraged about things much faster so i'm really happy about that you don't that.
2: have to be outraged because you got the title wrong it's fine it was called bret hart best is was ever will be yeah, that's it. Thank you. Sorry, that's okay. Now, is that it?
1: We can just do that. Yeah, we can I think with it's, the podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's 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 more streamlined.
1: Yeah, like the network. I can't wait for the new Stone Cold Steve Austin. Bottom line, so <laughs> so this documentary starts, unlike kind of any other one that we've we've done before, with a public service announcement from the chairman of the WWE, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, uh, who wants to thank Brett for being big enough i being man enough to let it go. <laughs> Wait, well, did he say that? No, but he was kind of like implying So yeah,
0: you said that Brat was like kind of involved in the making of this documentary, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he would have had an element of creative control over what they cover and what's included. So does that mean yeah. that he would have asked for Vince to do this? Or Vince would have gone, here buddy, I think it's a good idea if <laughs> have a little thing for me at the start.
2: It feels like, I think it was a Vince decision because it would have been Brett's call if Vince was apologizing at the start. Like if it had opened with, first of all, I'd like to say I have a lot of regrets about what happened with Brett Hart. And I hope this movie is a good way of making it up to him.
0: That yeah. honestly is how it should have begun.
2: <laughs> Them pleading. Yeah, like, on
0: his knees. We
2: love you, Brett. I want you back. I'm,
1: I'm sorry. I'm so,
3: so sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like,
1: this is the equivalent of your dad doing a speech at your birthday. You don't want it. He thinks it's appropriate, and so he's going to do it anyway. Like you know, <laughs> Even though it is, as agreed, a joint production between you and your parents, this part, Aila. So, yeah, he is very clear that this is not a WWE thing. This is... WWE and Bret Hart coming together. So Bret Hart is introduced to us as being like kind of the cream of the crop here. He's a five-time WWF champion, and they kind of pitch Bret as being like this was his character. He was the Hitman, a straight laced good guy. He was no nonsense. He wasn't necessarily flashy, but he was very technically brilliant and. He was kind of somebody who was bringing a more realistic wrestling style. This is, you know, starting in a time when, you know, Hogan and Andre and the likes were were the, the kind of the, the main wrestlers of the day. As well as all of his fabulous accomplishments, Brad Hart also has, and I quote, unimaginable personal tragedy.
0: Yeah. Mm. That's a fun thing to mention. Right off the go.
1: I mean, I don't want to bring the podcast down immediately, but we're about to talk about his fucking upbringing and his family and all you that. you kind of
0: can't avoid doing mm. so.
1: Yeah, I mean... What was the experience like for you when I was reading this book recently? It
0: was stressful. And we were on holiday. We were on holiday. Kevin was reading his autobiography. And just every so often, Kevin would close, I was going to say close your book, but of course you, you don't smell the pages of a book and sniff it. Oh, delicious is he reading spied. a Kindle? He's, he's uh, not even oh. reading properly, it's not even a real You
1: Guys, it's okay, angles. I didn't read it physically before, so I have actually read okay. it, so it's okay. alright then,
0: that counts then, you, I guess. You're
2: going to <laughs> get eye cancer reading from
0: Kindle. <laughs> Stay Swear safe. Yeah, eye cancer. <laughs> yeah, every so often, I'd say every 15 minutes or so, you would sort of, you close it down and go, <sighs> <laughs> oh, and just look really sad and it got to the point where I start asking you about like you know what's up Kevin are you alright is your book making you sad again <laughs> and inevitably it'll be some story about like Stu Hart throwing his kids down the stairs or something really upsetting like that
1: yeah the Hart family folks the wrestling royalty 12 kids were birthed from Stu and Helen Hart the patriarch and matriarch of the Hart family I started writing a fun DK rap in the style of uh, the Hart family but got depressed after the third stanza and gave up like He's finally here It's coming for you. Smith Hart is banned from Germany for doing a goose step when he wrestled there. Jesus Christ.
3: Yeah,
2: I want to pull the plug on that rap. It's
1: Bruce Hart. He's wacky and cool. He burned down the family home and also the place where Stu spent a considerable portion of the proceeds from the sale of Stampede Wrestling trying to buy a holiday site which Bruce Hart tried to get bands to play for. And then Bruce wrote a lot of bad checks and the band showed up and burnt it down to the ground.
0: Didn't he also burn down part of their house?
1: Yes, Bruce Hart also in the attic of the house, which was condemned, went up and because he had given a toy campfire for his Christmas present. I like present. The parents
0: are like, it's fine, let him go play in the condemned attic. It's safe for, for a child. I lose track
1: of you in this house. Imagine if there was
2: 13 other people in there. Give him a break now, come on. <laughs> I'm getting weird how-to cane deja vu here. Like, <laughs> we're 10 minutes in and we're talking about a kid setting things on fire. What the fuck's happening?
1: Hart grabs the microphone. Burned down the family holiday home. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, he went up into the attic and he wanted to play campfire for real so he set a real campfire up oh. in the in the attic the attic where no went into because it was condemned because the roof was bad and the windows were bad. he tried to put out the fire that was spreading with a bunch of mattresses, which then all caught fire and mm. yeah that was when uh, Stu threw him down the stairs.
0: But, like, that's not the only time Stu threw one of his kids down the stairs. There were, like, t- least There's at least two incidents where you were like, oh, he's thrown another kid down the oh, stairs. God. Brett's been thrown down the stairs at least once. It's
1: it's really hard. I mean, like, you can't talk about the Hart family and the kids before we get into anything about wrestling. you got to talk about that family. And, you know, wrestling's a weird world. You know, big families, you know, it's stuff. You know, I've heard, I knew lots of people who grew up in, in quite big families you know, with, with six or more kids or whatever, and you always hear stories of certain kids feeling overlooked and little feuds developing and little cliques and all that, and that definitely happened with, with the Hart family. It's, it's been a very tumultuous ride, even if you take away all of the the tragedies and whatnot that seem to have
2: befallen the family over the years. So in preparation for this, you two sat down and watched Wrestling with Shadows, right? Yes, yes yeah. big fan of that movie. So you would have got a pretty good look at Stu and Helen Hart in that joke.
0: I mean, less Helen, she was hardly. That's in true, it, yeah. She's so sad. Yeah. But... Yeah. A bit of stew, for sure, doing his stretching.
2: Yeah, what did you make of the man?
0: I mean, I. Right, he's. Obviously, a bit of a sadist, right?
2: Gotta be. I
0: mean, he's a a, a gentleman who enjoys bringing men into his torture dungeon, which he <laughs> I don't call it a torture dungeon. He That's calls his it that.
1: Sorry, so specific, the Hart family dungeon. This is a big part, then, Joe. What is oh, this yeah, sorry, Hart actually, family I dungeon? Skip yeah. Never
0: important details. So, in the Hart family's home which was this big kind of mansion type thing wasn't it hard a house <laughs>
1: but I mean it's like, it's a big massive house but like you really know, old
0: and run down it's all and run down yeah
1: always uh, oh, the f- fun bit from Brett's book where we mentioned that Smith used to get loads of girls saying when you come over to our-, our mansion we've got 12 Cadillacs and they do but they're all burnt out and broken in oh. the backyard. Oh. You know, it is a mansion yes but 12 people and 29 cats live there you know <laughs> it's their house
0: 29 cats <laughs> it's
1: their house we're just leasing it like
0: you know? <laughs> they have a basement which they don't call a basement because that would be too normal. They call it a dungeon. Yeah. And in that dungeon, Stu goes down and he entices little boys where he... Whoa, <laughs> and whoa. He, does, they all he float
1: does. down here. He's not <laughs> a crone now. No, he just goes,
0: hey, would you like to do some fun wrestling with old Uncle Daddy Stu? Yeah. And then he stretches them, which Ugh. is a really nice word for saying tortures.
1: Yeah. There is a recurring thing with, with Stu, which was that you Know Stu ran Stampede Wrestling, which was we talked way back in our uh, very first episode, also in the Vince McMahon episode as well. The old territory system, where unlike now, where it was one big company, each kind of region within America and North America into Canada as well would have its own territory where they kind of work together. It's like a working relationship, the different territories they trade superstars, there'll be a traveling champion with the, the National Wrestling Alliance, and Stu was part of that. ...with Stampede Wrestling, so obviously being the big star of Stampede Wrestling TV that he was all throughout the 50s and all that... ...Stu was a big household name and everyone wanted to try, the big tough wrestler guy. And yeah, so he would always have a long line of eager, fit young men, well into his 80s mind, Stu, this would happen. All these big guys, wannabe wrestlers, tough guys... There was, you know, people who were, like, footballers who thought the wrestling was easy. You know, championship shot putters. All these people coming in saying, come on then, you're so tough. Let You stretch me then.
0: In Wrestling With Shadows, we see Stu stretching some of the guys in his dungeon. He's
1: 82. And he's
0: 82, yeah. And he looks, he looks 82 years old. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's, like, looks good for his age or anything. No, he legitimately looks like a really old man.
1: You see lots of shots of him kind of struggling to... I mean, to, to get around. You know, we, we did a show recently that he appears at the end of Canadian Stampede. Yeah. And he can't even get into the ring. He needs to be helped, like, up the stairs. But he's
0: fine on his knees, t- turning people inside out and crossing their arms behind their back and pulling on them. And you
1: see right here, I've got your, I've got your fingers like this. Oh. And you can't breathe. And you see the eyes, they start mm. to bulge out of their head. see
0: the red, red in their eyes.
1: Then their lips go blue.
0: And he goes, stretch him
1: real good, and then he slaps him right on the guy's <laughs> like Aah!
0: Yes, sir Aah!
3: Oh God. The thing
0: that gets me though, right? Stretching isn't used in professional wrestling. It's also not used in amateur wrestling. I mean, so what's the point of doing it? Why is he just literally just torturing these poor boys? I mean,
2: you could argue that submission holds are a form of stretching, I like you're wrenching and pulling on body parts. Like the, That's all it seems like to me is that he's doing real submission moves that are actually talking on people's bits and hurting them for real and that's training i guess like that that teaches you something about how to wrestle well
1: i mean i know for instance say you know daniel bryan he's done a lot of of different martial arts training and the idea was that he could then incorporate you know the movements from doing this for real and incorporate those movements into realistic looking wrestling moves then so it's like well this looks really sore because it is because i've just been in it but mm. let's see if we can work it into a way but yeah, I know what you mean, Joe, because like it's as if in amateur wrestling you win by making your guy go, Wah! it's usually by a pin, right? Like, yeah. What
0: Stu was doing did not look like it was painful at all. It looked actually quite nice. So what's That's the point the then of it, doing it in the first place? Because yeah, he's just yeah.
1: a, a man with essentially his arms folded and a very blue person. He's going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think how they describe Stu in the documentary And also in Wrestling with Shadows, and also the book. I always got a sense of Stu that he is just from an era that the likes of us could never understand. Like, Brett writes in his book that when Stu first lived in in Canada, they didn't even have a home. They lived out in the prairies in Saskatchewan. As in, you know, proper northern barren cold ice living on a tent like, hunting, gathering type of thing. The fuck. his dad was, like, his religious nut as well, who amassed this huge fortune over his lifetime and then just gave it all to some church and never spoke to the kids. It's really sad. Even though he lived with them for a period of years, but Brett Mm. would just write about how he was scared of this crazy old man who lived in their house, like, who apparently was a millionaire. But, yeah, Stu, like, he got into, he was a a Canadian powerlifter, he was an Olympic wrestler, and he got into this crowd of, of shooters, and that was just it. It was, like, these kind of tough guys they would push each other to the limits. And you'd see pictures of Stu from back in his heyday, and he just looks like he's made of fucking granite or something. He's quite a hunk. Oh, really? So oh, yeah. Stu was a hunk.
0: Stu was a terrifying hunk, yeah.
1: Stretch me, Daddy. Oh.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. That
1: has so many bad connotations. Oh.
0: Adam,
2: for you, the dungeon might have been something that you heard on commentary a lot when watching wrestling as a kid, no? Yeah, it was this mythic thing. It had this status in wrestling of, like, Every member of the Hart family went through the dungeon. and It's sort of like where you forged in steel, this amazing ability to wrestle. They put it over as this sort of like holy grounds of wrestling training and it was this, this mythical status attached to it. And then eventually, in 1998, they did a match, I believe, <laughs> Owen Hart versus Ken Shamrock, where they actually Owen challenged him to a match in the dungeon. And it's like, live on pay-per-view, we're going to be from the dungeon. You'll see it. The match will be there. Now, the mind does tend
1: to go when the phrase dungeon has been used. Like it's, Jesse Ventura was the first one. Jesse the Body used to say, like, he was trained in the dungeon from Stu Hart. And I didn't tell you know, when I hear that, I'd be like, oh... So, like, torture devices and actual, like, a dungeon, right? With, like, skulls and...
0: stew is the torture device.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, there is a torture device, you're right. I thought it be, like, Bowser's Castle, but instead of, like, portraits and statues of Bowser, it would just be stew with, like, sexy hair and stuff
3: like that. <laughs> but no,
2: it's not really that, is it? No, it's a rumpus room, I think, is how we described it on the podcast originally. It's got green mats, some nice exposed beams... Looks pretty cozy in there, yes. to be honest with you. It's Wooden all right panelling. in there.
0: It's quite light as well, considering it's underground. There's yeah. quite a lot of natural light somehow getting in there.
1: Yeah, you also got all the pipes which lead up to the main part of the house, which is Ah gate. yes. Yeah. The
0: pipes which echo the screams of the tortured below. Ooh. They're all like the same way on Sundays,
1: that's when people used to come around to get stretched. So people would be up in the kitchen making dinner and all of a sudden you hear ah!
0: I'd be in the living room uh, watching TV and then all of a sudden you go, Aah. that's
2: so upsetting. I, I know this seems really
1: like a, a strange place to start, but I think it's so important to like, yes. this was Brett's childhood. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've talked about wrestlers feeling kind of pressured into, you know, taking up a mantle or getting into wrestling because they felt it was the only thing they they could do or was for them or whatnot. But man, Brett Hart, he was born for this and I don't think he had much of a say in the matter.
0: No, I mean, they say that in The Best That Is, Was, Ever, Will Be, uh, <laughs> that it was pretty much just expected of him that he would wrestle. It wasn't like he was given a choice or even told to do it. It was just, of course, he'll be signing up to the wrestling class.
1: Yeah. You think 12 kids and Brett wasn't the oldest, you know, he wasn't the tallest or the biggest. Smith was both the tallest and the oldest. But I think it was the case that because the older heart didn't either have demeanor or the body type to be like a top guy in the territory or whatever. And a lot of them, you know, Bruce wrestled, Keith wrestled, Smith wrestled, a lot of them wrestled, deemed a lot of refereeing and stuff like that. But so they were all, everyone was involved in it and all the girls all married wrestlers as well. Yeah,
0: it's mad.
1: When I met Stu in 1953, I said, how long are you going to be in this crazy business? And he said, oh, maybe a year or two. And here we are now, 20, 30, 40 years later, and every son I have is a wrestler and every daughter is married a wrestler.
3: Oh.
0: Which is like, she says Jesus. specifically that is not what she wanted for her children. She did not want her no. kids involved yep. in the industry whatsoever. That
2: sounds like a, um, what's the word, a nightmare for yeah. her. Yeah. Like, yeah. that sounds really horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's sad, really, like, you know. Yeah, literally the exact thing that she didn't want to happen happened for all of her children, like.
0: The ho- sad thing that I sort of noticed about that was how it m- was mirrored in Brett's own marriage to his first wife. Julie. Yeah, and how he says to her that you know he's going to be wrestling for a few years and then he's going to stop and quit and years go by yeah. 18 years 20 years go by and he's still in the industry
1: still married to her as still well Yeah, married right? to her yeah, yeah well, okay, we'll talk a little bit more about Julie and, and just the per- personal uh, flings of Bret Hart I guess uh, a little bit later on but I mean I remember reading the book seen for every page where it was like it was like an adventure living here because every week there'd be like the wrestlers I would see from TV like hey there's the stomper or hey there's you know bad news or whatever they'd be in the house and if you're a training wrestler seeing all these big names show up and you know, they they would watch the TV show together. His earliest memories are watching his dad's TV show and, you know, all the kids all pitching in ideas about how they think the angles could go and who they could put with who. And Stu loved to defer to the children. He would let, like, some of the older kids, like Keith and Dean, like, come up with, like, finishes and, wow. like, do the booking. Because, you know, Stu was the, was a star in his day, but I don't think he was necessarily, like, the best book or anything in the world. So he, he liked having his kids. He, they ran this... This family business. But I mean, I guess it, for every bit where it's like, hey, it's adventure and it's fun, because I like wrestling. It's like, okay, it's Saturday night, you got to go flyer, you got to go do tickets, you got to clean up after the show. Like, it was their life 24 7, you know?
2: Yeah. Bit of a Bob's Burgers situation then, basically, but wrestling. <laughs> like, <laughs> and 12 of them. And which
1: of Bob's, is, is Brett Tina or.
2: Owen is definitely Gene. I think we can yeah. agree on that yeah. for sure. Like yeah. absolutely. If Owen
1: could have dressed as a big hamburger, he would have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got a new idea for a gimmick: the burger. Woo! <laughs> it's kind of a, a tough one. And like you know, we mentioned as well, you know, that that family holiday camp they owned. Brett had spent every single summer working there. The family were on hard times because obviously in the fifties, wrestling had a big boom period, but during the seventies, it stopped being as as exciting and new and they were making less money so the family were like pretty destitute and very poor at times and Brett talks about having to fight a lot in school because the family got bullied so bad you know because you would say things like you know heart fart or
0: you know, genius, laugh. genius children heart fart there's no getting around that one there's that just absolutely brutal
1: well if you take the letter h away and put the letter f in its place you get a little bit of a flavor what i think about the hitman <laughs> so the dungeon of course not only did it give us you know the entire heart family and the entire roster stampede wrestling big names brian pillman chris jericho uh, chris benoit these are all people who trained in the Hart family dungeon or if you we were told they were on TV... There was always a thing you'd hear... Chris Jericho... The the last graduates... Along with Lance Storm... Of the Hart family dungeon... I kind of think... Wow... Stu must have trained those guys... When he was like really old... And they were really young... But no... Jericho described it in his book... It's literally like Smith Hart... Or a couple of the older Harts... The real... They were real fucking... Pieces of work in their own right... Once it came to trying to make money... They were like... Yeah joined up with the Hart Family Dungeon and they just got some other guy to train them, then they showed up like smoking a cigarette for half an hour and go, You take a bumps wrong, give me three grand, and then he fucked off. God. So it wasn't in the dungeon, it was like one afternoon with one of the hearts, and the rest of it was done by some other guy. Like so yeah. Stu's philosophy in wrestling was to protect the business at all costs. Even if you're a grade schooler, everyone has to know how tough and real wrestling is. And Brett says in the documentary that he wrestled for one reason, solely because of his dad. He talks about like when he you know, did a bit of amateur wrestling because he wanted to to impress Stu, and Stu didn't think you know he'd do particularly well at it or anything like that. And then Brett like manages to win. He won like a kind of a county medal or something like that. Yeah.
2: and he's in tears already in the documentary describing it. Like it's crazy the upbringing that must have created a teenager like Brett Hart because he's talking about this is high school wrestling. He's a teen. And his dad, like, starts showing a bit more pride in him because of the dedication that Brett puts in. And he says that he's, like, working really hard for it. He starts eating right. And he wants to drop down into a different weight class. And imagine being in high school as a teenager and having the dedication to, like... Cut weights? Cut weight like a like a fighter does. Yeah. Like, Ugh. that's crazy, like, dedication. And when you consider it, it was pretty much just because it would make his dad happy. Like... Mm. I mean, he said it himself in the documentary. It was never like it was his ambition or anything, and it was never like it was thrust upon him, but it was just expected that you will do this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and I think something that, for the book, that really stands out, is he says there's two people. And in the whole book, he he does it like this, where he goes, there's Stu, and then there's my dad. And my dad is the guy who I tried to make proud, and the guy who taught me what it's like to be a man, and, you know, is the patriarch of the family, and I love him, da 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 but Stu was the guy with the temper who would, like, hit the kids. Stu was the guy who would, you know, blow a gasket mm. and get very violent very quickly. Stu was also the guy who would, you know, because of his actions or whatever, you know, every, every other week, apparently, pack her bags and say, that's it, I'm going back to New York. And she'd have them all there. And then he'd, like, bawl crying at her feet, like, please don't go. But, you know, that was the, the lie. They were on a, do that every few months, basically. Yikes. It was a cycle where it's, like, he'd say... Right, we're doing this big show. She threatened to leave. Then he grovel and beg and say, "Let me just do this one show till we get a little bit more money. Then we'll we'll we will get out. Of it, I promise." And then, you know, new show, same rigmarole. That's no way to live. No, so
0: stressful as a child as well. Just like all your child life being constantly scared that half of your parents are gonna just clear off, yeah. just just leave you.
1: And if there's 12 kids as well, that's going to be even scarier as well because it's not like it's like you and a, and a brother or you and a couple of sisters or whatever. It's like there's 12 kids and that's going to affect. And
0: yeah, your mum leaving you behind with an abusive father who literally punched Brett in the face once. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. There was one time where he grabbed... Um, Brett by the scruff of his neck and he fucked him into the back of the car and he split him open. Jesus Christ! There's there's a litany of injuries that Brett got because of Stu, but like there was a number of times like when like after that happened, like he got he gave him a bike and stuff like that. Like Stu obviously, Mm. like. He did a lot of stuff that he immediately regretted. It seemed to be his, his modus operandi.
0: Didn't he get given a concussion by his dad once? I, well? I think
1: they alluded to it, yeah, that
2: his dad hit him once so hard that he got a
1: concussion, yeah.
2: That's got to fuck you up so bad.
1: Like, yeah. th- you're
2: not just, like, obviously abuse is abuse, but when your dad's running so hot and cold, like, I did something so terrible, and it's like, let me make it up to you immediately. And to the point now where adult Brett sort of... It's one thing saying there's a difference between Mr. McMahon and Vince McMahon because mm. that's not real. Who is Stu That's thing. your actual dad. You shouldn't... That's not healthy to sort of attribute the unfavourable parts of your dad to a different person altogether. It's, like, daedles, I it's guess. a coping mechanism, isn't yeah. it? Thinking, as
0: a child, it's almost safer for you to go, oh, that's not my dad. My dad would never yeah, do that because Steve. my dad loves me. It's, I mean, that's it's, clearly something else. that's been yeah.
2: developed from a young age. Like, and also as well, I mean...
1: How we've not really touched on it. How weird must it be, like when your dad is someone who is literally like a a hero, like you yeah. know, in, in in where they were in Canada. He was Stu was the top guy for so many years yeah. during the fifties and all that. And you know, Brett's his son, and you know, I, I almost think there was a part of him being trepidatious to criticize his father at any point because of how important his father was to the community. You know, if there was no Stampede Wrestling. You know that that affects calgary that affects the hometown a lot really and i kind of feel like yeah brett had a very complicated and like you know people got complicated relationships with their parents or whatnot but like i think his was unavoidably complicated Mm. you know there was no way and you can tell not just from brett but from all the hearts Mm. they've all got issues smith struggled with being you know having to be the oldest Ellie struggled with the fact that she was Stu's oldest daughter, the firstborn daughter, and obviously Stu's favourite, and Stu always forgave her for everything, according to Brett, and that caused tension with the other sisters. I think one of the only hearts, and we mentioned on the episode, who didn't have this issue, was the youngest of the hearts, and that was Own. Mm. And very telling in the in Brett's book, he mentions how everyone, all the boys were in one big room, all the girls are in another big room, but Owen. Because he was came so much later, he was in the girls' room for the first like five or six years.
0: But even Owen, I imagine, would have been affected by it, and it makes you wonder like how much of his he's he's such an easy he was such an easygoing person mm. and such like a diplomat, always trying to keep the peace and keep everyone in good, up-spirited moods. I wonder how much of that was because he was trying to cope with a very. Tumultuous home life.
1: He seemed to be the only person who was close to wanting to be either a diplomat or a, or a joker or anything like that in the family. At times,
2: I think that's probably definitely down to what you're saying there, because like he is from everything you hear about Owen and everything we know about Owen's life, he does seem like the most well-rounded of the heart mm-hmm. children. Like he really had his his priorities and his morals in the right place. And I think genuinely, maybe him being made to sleep with the girls was like, well, yeah, he is one of the boys, but also he probably felt like he was one of the girls as well because he was yeah. with them all the time. So. Maybe that did teach him to be a diplomat and to sort of be the more level-headed one. Like. There was
1: such a like. There was a, you know whatever about wrestling politics, the politics of having eleven brothers and sisters. Honestly, you know, mm-hmm. Brett would talk about it, how you know Bruce or whoever would hit him, you know, and then you know Bruce Brett would go and cry to someone, and then you know
0: you get blamed on someone else. Get blamed on someone else. Then they beat yeah. up Bruce,
1: and then Bruce would beat up, Brett, beat up Brett again, and you know, just this like constant like every every action has this like you know follow-through action that ends up with. Brett getting fucked over some way. It's much easier. In my, you know, I was just I had a brother and he he hit me now and then. You know that easier. Yeah,
0: it's, it's hard enough with one sibling. Mm-hmm. as I'm yeah. sure anyone with one sibling would agree. But
1: the flow chart is a lot more easy to handle. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we get some shots of young Brett now. He's around 19 years old. He's doing amateur wrestling and he's finding it really really difficult to kind of to do the training and all that. And even though Stu is super proud of him, I think at this point he realizes that. Getting into the professional wrestling side of things, that might be more of a of a way to, to help Stu. Now, at no point is Brett saying, like, I'm going to become a wrestler. All of this is like, I'll do it for a couple summers. I'm going to go get my degree. You know, I'm, I'm young, money 19. I've got the whole world at my fingertips. And it's pretty much from the get-go, as soon as he says he's going to get involved in Stampede. And he's only a referee at the start. That yeah, it's it's gonna happen, and you know it's serious because uh, Mr. Hido and Mr. Sakurada, two very tough Japanese gentlemen who had come into the Stampede Wrestling territory, were tasked to train Brett up, and they trained him like you know pretty stiff and hard, as you could imagine what it would be like being trained like back in those days, where they're trying yeah. to protect both Stampede and also Japanese wrestling as a whole, taking it out and poor nineteen-year-old Brett. Joe, there's going to be a lot of hunk watch here tonight because obviously Brett is an ever-changing sphinx almost. Mm. Uh, there's the riddle of Brett Hart. Is he a hunk?
0: He's Benjamin Button. He aged backwards. <laughs> at age 19, he looks about 40. He looks and- so
1: gaunt and <laughs> old, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. You
0: see him at age 40 wrestling and he looks like 20-something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, seriously, becoming successful and rich and really big and muscular really suited him.
0: Yeah. Still a hunk though, would you say, at 19? Mm.
2: I mm, don't know. No. Why? What do you think? He looks a bit like. Remember Wolf from Gladiators, yeah. the scary guy. Like
0: well, Wolf's are hunk, so therefore. Therefore.
2: Wow, well, we're diverging
1: here now greatly. Like I'll have you know, I'm afraid of the big bad wolf, and I would boo him regularly. I don't want him showing up here, like you know. So yeah, Fred has his very first match. This is a fill-in for someone, and it's against his two trainers. Oh, you can uh, imagine that that went, was trying to protect the business. We saw footage, and the best thing about this being a joint venture with, with Brett was that he allowed a lot of the footage to be used which had not really been seen before, a lot of archive footage. A lot of
3: footage. <laughs> lots, a lots of lot. archive footage.
1: Yeah, now, obviously, you two guys, great backgrounds in, in media studies and whatnot, and you've edited some fabulous videos, both of you, over the years. Tell me about the experience you had with the documentary in terms of its quality. Oh. Best is, was, ever be.
0: It was so bad. The editing was the worst, I think.
2: Yeah, it, was, it, was, it would have been a fine documentary were it not for the... Overabundance of royalty-free music. I oh, think. the
0: music was so bad. Just
2: inappropriate royalty-free music. It would be like, and here's Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. You got like steel drums in the background or something. <laughs> <Like, laughs>
1: Only, oh,
2: yeah, we get some yeah. This archive footage, they like at the start, it's like, oh wow, you could see some
1: stuff from his first match. But then it's like, here's just like nine uninterrupted minutes of yes. Bret doing you know stuff. If I mean, it's it's good to see it, like, but it should have been. Segmented and recapped a bit more effectively, maybe.
2: I was at the time I was convinced it's just like, oh, yeah, the WWE standard of documentaries back then was piss poor. But the more I think about it, the more I reckon that was probably Brett's involvement. Where I reckon there was probably some deal in place where he's like, yeah, you have to use this much of the Calgary footage because you know it was a joint venture. Yeah. I reckon he wanted there to mm. be so much. Fine, rich. have all the
1: Calgary footage in the world. You know, I
2: think he re- there wouldn't have been because normally with WWE documentaries within 15 minutes they're at WWE and they're there now and I think they wouldn't have focused so much on Calgary were it not for Brett making them do it yeah I think you're right what's
1: interesting about Brett and is that early match I mean we've talked about first matches ever a couple of times in the podcast I think my favourite story ever has still got to be Rowdy Roddy Piper taking on Larry the Axe Henning, who's Mr. Perfect's father and Piper didn't even know the wrestling was a work at that point yet and he got Mm. squashed in like five seconds (laughs) so I just love that you could get away with not telling Someone if wrestling was real and still squashed them, (laughs) like. But uh, Brett's first match, what did you think to the uh, the footage of, of, of the beating that he
2: took? It was a fucking mugging. It looked absolutely horrific.
1: Yeah, it made uh, Jack Foley's first match at the WWF against the British Bulldogs pale in comparison. Like, he just, he got pile driven. He got like, they, at one point they tried to give him like a belly to belly suplex, but Brett obviously doesn't know how to take it. He lands right in his face. It's, oh, I'm surprised he didn't break his neck.
2: It's the kind of first match you would expect the guy to get up and be like this ain't for me I'm out of here yeah, like that is going. so so horrible.
1: But Brett is like well you know I was a referee the fans knew I was the promoter's kid so you know they had to give it to me good. And like yeah all right you know I love Brett you know he's the promoter's kid but he really makes this out as a point that being the promoter's kid unlike a lot of younger stars who were the the son or offspring of someone who ran a territory Brett wanted to make sure he didn't have that kind of favourable treatment so he got treated harder I think as a result he wanted to have a slower climb I guess
0: also the secret I think as to why he's such a good seller
1: Mm. It's because
0: if you're having to lose a lot of the time, convincingly, you will get very good at selling.
1: Yeah, because otherwise, if you can't get that performance out, like you're going to have not a lot of things to do, I guess, mm-hmm. in your wrestling career. He talks about his first trip that he makes, his wrestling trip that decides to like he's going to stick at wrestling full-time. He goes to Puerto Rico with... Smith Hart, this trip to Puerto Rico. I mean if you, if you like wild and wacky wrestling road trips, always listen to say like Cliff Compton's Nigeria episode of Co-Cabana's Art of Wrestling podcast is a it's a stellar like wrestling road trip diary. But Brett recounting in his book his trip to Puerto Rico with Smith, where neither of them had been abroad before. And both of them immediately got food poisoning and they couldn't find anywhere to eat. So what they would do is they had found this all you can eat restaurant near the hotel and they would go there and eat one meal a day. And it was like $10. So they go in, give $10, eat themselves into absolute excess and oblivion. Like to the point where Smith would make several trips to the bathroom during the meal, mm. and like when they were coming, it'd be like, "Hey, it's the two guys who eat all the food," <laughs> and then they would just sit and digest for the whole day, and then go wrestle in Puerto Rico and get sick later on. Like. Tony recovery
0: <sighs> experience, I
1: thought. <think> <laughs> So yes, this was here where two very important things happened in the Hart family life. Brett decides on the beaches of Puerto Rico, he's going to do it full-time and dedicate himself 100% to wrestling, try and make a go of it. And Smith meets his bride-to-be, a beautiful Puerto Rican woman who sires him several children, one of which is called Satania Ecstasy Heart. Satania Ecstasy Heart. Cool. Yeah, i (laughs) I think that was originally Satanic Ecstasy, but they changed it down to Satania and then Tanya at the end.
2: Am I right in thinking the S, it has to be written with a cool S as yes. well, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I thought so. Oh, God. So,
1: yeah. So, he decides he's going to make a, a big deal about it. A really sad thing that happened early on in Brett's career. when, like, They show us here that he was working with the Dynamite Kids, who's was a uh, local, based in Wigan he was back in the day. And uh, he was wrestling him in, in Stampede Wrestling. Because Stampede would bring in a lot of stars from around the world, like Japan and Mexico. But Brett, through the Japanese connections, was going to wrestle a legendary Japanese wrestler called Tiger Mask in Madison Square Garden because someone had to drop out at the last second and they're like, look, we need someone good, and they're like, well, how about Brett? Brett's good. And go, right, send Brett down, sure. And Brett shows up, Japanese photographers, everyone the Japanese media is there outside MSG and Brett's like, shit, I'm, I'm here, the big time, straight away, taking his pictures, he does an interview, does a photo shoot, he's waiting in the hotel room, and he gets a phone call. Yeah, sorry, there's a new guy in charge here and he thinks you're not a big enough star to work in the WWWF, so sorry. It was Mr. McMahon Jr. said that Brett wasn't a big enough star. Oh! He got his hotel comp, though.
0: Screwing him right from the beginning. Can you imagine
1: <laughs> going all the way from fucking Calgary to New York, having your pictures taken, sitting in the hotel room, and then just going home? Mm. I hope he got a New York slice, at least. <laughs> So yeah, very soon Brett would find himself carrying the territory and people kept leaving, so you know, he ended up becoming their top guy and the top champion in the in the region. So yeah, they they struggled hard to, to keep that thing afloat because like they don't mention it here, but some of the towns would be like, you know, eight hours through the snow and the ice. And nice. it'd be the only entertainment that would come would be from the rest, and so they had to make the towns like dress in front of, you know, twenty or thirty people. Oof. It's pretty hardcore, mm. like so Vince McMahon buys Stampede Wrestling and then the documentary kind of struggles to reconcile itself with the facts here.
0: Oh yeah, he's totally only buying it for all the stars. He loves the stars of the wrestling. That's that's really why he wants it.
1: Yeah, they cut back and like, Vince, why did you buy it? He's like, oh yeah, the stars. I mean, uh... There was the, the dynamite kid, I think. <laughs> Bret Hart springs to mind. Like So yeah, Vince did buy Stampede Wrestling, but he didn't buy it so he could get the 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 stars. Why do you think Vince McMahon might buy a, a rival territory, Joe?
0: For the territory.
1: Yay! And their precious TV time and you know, access to the market and all that. That's why he's just buying out his competition. And to the point where Stu would only sell him Stampede Dressing if there was a there was a bit stipulated that he would take a lot of his top guys, like Brett and the British Bulldogs, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart and also that they have a special job for Bruce Hart as well. And that Bruce had a special job, which was he was going to be like the, the Canadian liaison, which basically meant that when WBF was gonna run in Canada, it was his you gonna be the point of contact. Like, you know, talk to the arenas get street teams, radio ads, all that jazz. But what that meant was that Bruce Hart started running Stampede Wrestling again underneath Vince's nose. No even God. though he sold the rights to Stampede oh Wrestling. Gosh. He even tried to run shows at the same day Vince came in uh, to run Calgary.
3: God, what a fool. What,
0: why would you do
3: that?
2: Is, is that just greed that motivated that? Because that just seems stupid to me. Like, Did, did he not realise what he was Some doing?
0: Some people would really benefit from anxiety. Do you ever think that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Bruce Hart could have could made have gotten, done
0: with Bella. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah would get, have helped him get rid of them sunglasses have some anxiety instead <laughs> like you know
3: there's
1: a current thing a recurrent thing with the Hart kids which is most of them thinking they can do a better job at it than either Stu or one of the other brothers or sisters who's had a go at trying to run something oh mm-hmm. you ran Stampede I'll run Stampede yeah. you tried to run the training camp I'll run the training camp except this time I'll charge 10 times as much you know Stampede wrestling kept being revived like up until 1999 the fog you know and hey it gave us the likes of Maro Ranallo on commentary as a young teen boy but it was against the fact that they were meant to have sold it long 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 ago so Brett is into WWF at this time then Joe, what did you learn about Brett's early gimmick proposal when he was in the World Wrestling Federation? Oh, he
0: was a cowboy gimmick infringement, eh? How do you feel about that cowboy, Kevin Mahan? Uh,
1: I would, all I would say is I would hastily at this point on the back of a cigarette packet write an invitation for Brett the hitman cowboy heart to join the ranch because we could do with a ringer. You know, we we need a big name, really, at this point, you know?
0: He said he didn't like being a cowboy. He didn't want to be a cowboy. I
2: don't want to be a cowboy. The way he says it is so So sad.
1: sad. I went
2: around to George's office and I looked at him and I said, I don't want to be a cowboy, man.
1: It's one in the morning as well. I love that so much.
2: i was kind of waiting for him to start crying again at
1: this point. So, yeah, I mean, it was going to be big for him, though, because they were going to do a cowboy Brett figure and he was going to come with a horse.
0: And, wow. the ho- and the
1: horse meant that it was, the toy's gonna cost more. So you're going to have to push the guy with the horse of course
2: so, so you know would he actually have a horse would he make for like like American Badass Undertaker riding his bike around the ring Great would, awesome. would Brett come out and do like a lap of the ring on his that, horse that was the plan really and it was going to be a white horse as well wow and, then, what, and for the people that wrestle for the rest of the night there will just be shit everywhere would they like, I mean I guess so yeah cool <laughs> I mean
1: you got fucking Komodo dragons and snakes <laughs> and parrots <laughs> Komodo. You know Vince McMahon's magical menagerie of 1984 <laughs> like I don't know whether they're wrestling Give me all the animals. Like, it's like if I ran a wrestling promotion, just put loads of fun animals in
2: there. Like.
0: I think Brett really suited the cowboy gimmick, though. He pulls it off. He what? looks
2: good in the cowboy hat. You see him later on when he's acting in a movie or what, something. A set of lonesome dove. Like. Was it a TV show? Set of
1: lonesome dove. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, the reason I mentioned it is just because they go, and Brett's film career was not panning out as he planned. Hi, I'm Brett Hart, and I'm here on the set of Lonesome Dove. Oh no, is it not going
2: well? <laughs> he looked good though. He suited the cowboy getup. He
0: He said he wasn't a real cowboy, and where he comes from, only real cowboys get to be pretend cowboys, which yes. makes no sense. But okay.
1: I think it's because in Calgary they have a thing called the Calgary Stampede, we only know this because we've reviewed a wrestling show that is based around this entire fact, but it's like a rodeo type thing. There is like a, a long history of legit cowboys and stuff in in Calgary. So I think he thought it would be disrespectful to the hometown if he was pretending to be a cowboy when yeah. he aged like, you know? there's
0: lots of cowboys around these days, of course.
1: <laughs> Obviously, you know, proper cowboys. like the guy who screams in the sky when
0: uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> when things are too hot.
0: Like. I think he didn't give his reasons as that why he wasn't a proper cowboy is he doesn't like wearing cowboy boots yep. and he hates country music, which are the two things that make you a cowboy, apparently. I
2: mean, they kind of are if you ask <laughs> JR or Stone Cold Steve Austin. That is what makes a cowboy, just like. say if we
0: are going by those, then that means Kevin is not a cowboy. Hey person, no! Right? I no. mean you listen to some country music occasionally, but I've never seen you wear cowboy boots. It's because you can't get them in
2: size twelves. You've never once talked about John Wayne to me, like when referencing something else. Because he's a dead racist! Yeah, Come on! I'm not like a cowboy, mate. I, I'm a I'm the cowboy
1: for the new generation. I'm the I'm the I'm the Pepsi Crystal cowboy. Maybe I instead of a ranch I could have city slickers. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, that's been taken. No, no, I'll be City Slickers 2, the crest for Curly's gold. No one's taken that, right? (laughs) So he gains notoriety in the World Wrestling Federation, finally, by being paired up. He literally just says, look, don't make me a cowboy. Uh, Put me with my brother-in-law, Jim the Anvil-Nightheart, Jimmy Hart's a manager, calls the Hart Foundation. Like, literally, like, pulls out of his ass So, lo and behold, they take Brett up on his suggestion, and he's put together with Jim the Anvil Nightheart in the Heart Foundation, a glorious tie team if there ever was one. Joe, your thoughts on seeing Jim the Anvil Nightheart for the very first time. I like him. Yeah?
0: Yeah. I like him a lot.
1: Why do you like Jim?
0: He looks like a devil. If I was going <laughs> to cast anyone to play the devil, I would cast Jim the Anvil Nightheart.
1: Okay, that's fun. Uh, funny you should mention that, because Brett several times in his book details dreams that he has... And there was one dream that he had where he was being brought down to hell and Jim Neidhart was the devil oh taking really? t- him there. And he's like, you're going to be here with me forever. <laughs> 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 I think Owen was an angel in the analogy as well. But yeah, Aww. Jim was was the devil. He's like. got the
0: little beard. He's mm-hmm. the right kind of like, I don't know, shape. I always imagine the devil being kind of like a quite, quite squat and yeah. round. Built
1: like a brick shithouse. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Do you know how he got the moniker of the Anvil?
0: Yes. Because you mentioned it when you were reading Brett's autobiography. He threw an anvil like 200 metres or something stupid like that. Yeah, he's really far. The
1: anvil toss. The fact that that is even an
2: event. Can I? I want to go see an anvil I toss. I would
0: Love to see an anvil toss.
2: I genuinely had anvils in my head of the category of things that are like, oh, you know, you can't lift those. I yeah. genuinely, it would be like seeing someone lift a truck over their head. Yeah, yeah like, to I, me it's
0: heavier than a car. Yeah,
2: literally cannot be lifted. Never mind, throw it two hundred. Well, meters. I'm, I don't know
0: how far
1: it
2: was. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> throwing it a century Oh, you know, that's it, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna say it right now. Calgary, you got some some pretty amazing restaurants by the looks of things. I've been doing some googling about the Stampede. Uh, you got pancake breakfast during the stampede I like that a lot just looking at the food <laughs> cool hats anvil tossing frequent wrestling shows your culture beats our culture I'm just saying right oh, yeah. now true. you know yeah, we, we've got some great culture here in Manchester I don't see no anvil toss happening in Media City in Salford is all yeah. I'm saying so yeah Jim Neyhart Joe I wanted to run this by you because you are somewhat of an expert on the matters on, on the matter
0: mm.
1: how if at all is
2: Jim Ninehart like Wario?
0: Oh, he's very much like Wario. Yeah. Yeah? Definitely. I think so.
2: He's got the Wario shape, hasn't he? Yes. The big, burly, hairy chest that Wario would have. And he's got but... the
0: Wario energy, like the kind of chaotic, evil energy.
2: Yeah. Um. He does hoard
1: cash like Wario does, you know. <laughs> he also does a lot of shoulder tackles and things like that as well, you know.
0: But Bret Hart is not Waluigi. That is, does not no, work no, again, all. doesn't. No, no, absolutely
1: not. No, no, no. Maybe Jimmy Hart has got some Waluigi energy to him, but uh...
0: Bret is Mario.
2: Yes, Bret is Mario. Definitely. Let's go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: You. Yippee!
0: <laughs> it's a me. Mario.
1: Oh, Brett, watch out. Whoa. <laughs> 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 and then Brett hits a wall. Ooh. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't through the entire you know. the entire Mario 64. So, yeah, he gained notoriety with Jim Neidhart for working against the British Bulldogs, who is the Davy Boy Smith, who later became the British Bulldog, and the Dynamite Kids. So those two were big stars in Calgary, and along with Brett and... Neidhart, they were like, this is perfect for us. We've worked each other a million times. Now let's do it in front of a big audience. And they got big time over with that because this is when Hulk Hogan was wrestling the Iron Sheik and you know, the most exciting technical manoeuvre that happened in the match was the Iron Sheik getting a boner. You know, This yeah. was like, what? oh yeah, we'll do an episode on Sheiky Baby sometime, don't worry.
0: You don't get to bring up references that I don't get on my podcast.
1: Okay, right, one time. And I know this is interesting for you because you've mentioned to me many times how... The boner as, as, a, as, a, as a thematic device is yes. rarely, if ever, used.
0: And only ever used in comedy. I want to see it used either for sexiness or for dramatic tension. Oh, this is
1: de- Adam, you can say this is definitely dramatic tension. Yeah, this is way dramatic. <laughs> Hulk Hogan was putting the camel clutch by the Iron Sheik because he wanted to break his back and make him humble. And then he stood up afterwards and he had a big boner.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, it's
1: literally,
2: he had a big, massive erection on him.
1: Like, if, huh. Have you ever seen the time when like, Jean-Claude Van Damme was on like, a Belgian TV show and he danced to a bunch of dancers and he had a massive erection afterwards? And he's like, oh, sorry, it just happened. And it was similar with, with Chic, It was just like, you know, it happened. I'm genuinely
0: surprised it doesn't happen more often in wrestling. With those tiny little pants, you can see everything. And mm. it's not like you can control erections. They happen when they happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Some
2: wrestlers tape down Really? Yeah, absolutely. Do they tuck one. I wonder. Like, I, I don't know. I know mm. that some some tuck. Do, do. I would say as well. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. I always just thought, why don't wrestlers all wear cups? To be honest with yeah. you, like since I was yeah. a kid, I've always wondered, like, why doesn't why is that not like standard uniform to protect yourself, like. Not comfortable, I guess. I don't know. I guess, yeah. You know? So he tags with he tags with Jim the Anvil Nightheart for a
1: few years and they quickly become one of the top tag teams in the World Wrestling Federation. And they really sell kind of a name for themselves. And the only thing I'll say is it feels weird that there's so many times where we've come across wrestlers where it felt like you know, we talked about it in the matchman Randy Savage episode, the Mr. Perfect episode, where it's like, you know, the standard of wrestling was was quite low because on top you had Andre the Giant and the Ultimate Warrior and stuff. But these guys were really wrestling amazing. But they're all on the same cards together. You know, Matchman was there, Mr. Perfect was there, Brett was there. Possibly that wrestling was a bit better in the 80s than I give it credit for, maybe, mm. you know. But it comes now time for our first match. We decided to delve into the archives to look at a Hart Foundation tag match so we can see how Brett kind of gained his notoriety in the first place, and now he bounced off his partner and brother-in-law and father of Natalia, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. This first match comes to us from SummerSlam 1990 as the Hark Foundation take on Demolition in a two out of three falls tag match. Joe, let me ask you first and foremost, your thoughts on Demolition and their
0: look. The guys from Demolition are dressed as Sean Connery in Zardoz. <laughs> now that is a deep cut so I don't know if everyone's going to recognise oh, I, I know
2: exactly he's very hairy he's very hairy he's got hairy, very little clothing on very yep. little clothing on I know on. exactly
1: the Red, Sean Connery
0: strappy <laughs>
2: rhinestones are not a lair Mr. Connery <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, did you like Demolition's look here no. No?
0: Not really. How but come? Because it wasn't even that good a look on Sean Connery. I'm not sure that Demolition could pull it off.
2: I didn't get Sean Connery vibes so much as, you know, in, I'm not sure how familiar you're with Return of the Jedi, Joe, but there's a lad that owns the the Rancor, the big monster. Oh, yeah. Remember the guy that cries when he gets killed. <laughs> like, that's what Demolition looked like to me. Oh. The, the big strappy sort of kind of SM, Yeah. Like gross men. SNME, <laughs> but nothing sexual at no, all. No, not it. sexual. I'm completely unsexual. Just Uncomfortable. We get a nice promo
1: from the Devolution trio of Axe, Smash, and Crush. And then we cut to the heart foundation. So they've got a kind of a an interesting dynamic. How would you say Brett is on, on the microphone?
0: He's uh nervous. Nervous? That's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. He's not great. He's a bit hesitant, falls over his words a little bit. But listen, I can't talk I honestly can't talk about anything else because there's something much more important on my mind and that we have to discuss, and mm-hmm. it's Jim's little hat. <laughs> Did you see his little hat? I
2: didn't notice him wearing a little hat. He's got a
0: little pink hat on.
2: It was the tiniest little thing. How small are we talking about very that small seen. it's a <laughs> tiny
0: little pink hat it looks so small that it may have been stuck on like it's entrapped on his head
2: <laughs> right like he's going to stay there now yeah like it'll be
0: on throughout the match
2: where does this rank in your little hats of wrestling it's the there? best one I've oh, ever the, seen this is the tippity top yeah. wow it's, it's so funny superseded
1: the tiny cowboy hat as as oh answerings.
0: no okay to be fair I forgot mm. about the tiny cowboy okay. hat okay it's difficult
1: um, how would you describe the the look of the Heart Foundation? Did you like the, the, the ring jackets, the colour scheme? What, what is it we're working with here?
0: Yeah, pink and black. It's good. Singlets. They're nice. Good looking. I love the
1: jacket. That's such a look. What what is the name for that? When it's kind
2: of got the the tasselly bits on the shoulders and the big kind of is it like a band jacket or? I honestly don't know. You don't really see a lot of them these days, do you? It's a very sort of cowboyish kind of jacket. When you if you were to have it in brown, like it would be a straight up cowboy thing. But what you're talking is like the black leather with the tassels yeah literally i can't say anything other than tassels and, and just say what you just said kind like a big
1: double breasted thing as well, like a very large lapel onto one side i think it's one of the best goddamn looks ever they originally were a heel tag team the Hart foundation you see with with jimmy Hart, who's was a, the, the evil manager and one of the things that they did to get heat was was dressed in pink like they were they went through all these different colors they were often black or blue or with a white stripe or whatever and then one day they were in pink and vince mcmahon was like that's it you're pink That is your colour. I never want to see the heart foundation anything other than pink forever. So that was a Vince McMahon call.
0: The fact that it was done as a heel move is so strange. Mm. Because when I was doing my research into whether or not Bret Hart is a hunk, I had several people, mostly men, saying the reason they thought Bret Hart was a hunk is because he wore pink.
1: Pink is an interesting colour as a choice. It's not one that's been used, I think, before or since in wrestling because it's so strongly associated With bread, but you're a fan of, of of pink as a color scheme. I
0: love it. I think it's so unique. It really stands out against all the black and wrestling, and it goes. It's so aesthetically pleasing when accompanied with like black and white as well. Yeah, it's such a great color scheme.
1: Do you think the reason why it's so rare is that people just thought that the color pink, particularly in the '80s and the '90s, was uh, was too effeminate? Yes. and just, No homo. I'm not going to wear that. Like That's
0: probably why Vince yeah. told them to wear it.
2: <laughs> Pro- probably. Like I was about to give him loads of credit and say, "Oh man, what a great eye he must have." But no, you're no. right. It probably was just like. Like, oh, it's a girly colour, pal. They're going to hate it. Like, Can you yeah. imagine
0: Vince wearing pink? It would never happen.
2: Oh, he did wear a salmon jacket once or
0: twice. Yes. Salmon's not pink.
2: That, that's not pink. Oh, though, sorry, it? I'm sorry. That, that's how you prove that you're comfortable with your sexuality if you're an insecure man is by wearing salmon. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is as far as I'll go, pal. <laughs>
1: I'll draw the line here. Like, Just stay, look at me Think of eating a nice piece of salmon. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Nothing else about it.
0: Otherwise known as heterosexual pink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like, with... Right, though I think what was cool is that he he wore it then as a hero. Mm. You know that that one was cool. Is that he you know maybe it did start as like kind of a, as a heel thing or like it being like kind of a gaudy or a shocking color or whatever. But the fact that he stuck with it all the way to the end, I think that's really fucking cool because it take you know in 1990s it takes a pretty big guy to say yeah I'm gonna wear pink every single night. ...people are going to refer to me as the pink and black attack... ...like that's going to be my branding...
2: ...I think the way he took ownership of it... ...and it was just part of his brand... ...like really impacted how people saw it... ...because I remember as a kid... ...even like the bits of Bret Hart I saw... ...even though I wasn't massively impressed by him... ...you know not into him as a wrestler never once did I really question the fact that he was wearing pink and I was a shitty little boy that would be like oh the pink Pokemon are for girls I don't like Clefairy or whatever yeah like, my, my
1: pink my sole pink teddy bear I had when I was a child was was also my sole homosexual teddy bear I had as a child
2: <laughs> like. but like I, so I was that shitty little boy that would characterize pink in that way but I never did it with Bret Hart because there was something about the way he just owned that colour I mm. think mm. it was. It never even came into the question for me like, it's all about the confidence folks even though Bret doesn't have it on the mic
1: he has it in the cl-
0: We get a great line from Brett though on the mic which is We have here two hearts beating as one
1: did he just drop a Phil Collins reference at
0: SummerSlam is that what that is it
1: is yes All oh, right. it's fucking beautiful oh bless there's something about the, the quiet calm demeanour of Brett quoting Phil Collins and then you've got <laughs> yeah
2: she's now going we got 25% ha 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 you just get pulled back every two seconds doesn't he start off by saying like Brett calm down but he Oh like, yeah. gets in the way there, there is like
1: a promo that they had the documentary where it starts off with with him trying to calm down Brett and then he gets so worked up that he's like pulling him back and he wants to fight <laughs> the cameraman They've got such chemistry, the two of them. Yeah, they do. And, like, yeah, as, as wild and crazy and just, you know, into lots of trouble that Jim Neidhart constantly got himself. There's a whole world of crimes relating to Jim the Anvil Neidhart, but that's for another episode, I guess. But Brett always said that Jim was, his, like, his absolute, like, his, his his go-to guy on the road. They kept each other sane, I think, mm. and they both thought, without the other, that it was going to end up bad for them, I guess. So, you know. Joe. Mm. Did you have any top spots in this match? This tag team two out of three falls encounter.
0: My first top spot was the finding out the name of Demolition. Yep. Smash, Crush, and Axe. Otherwise known as Snap, Crackle and Pop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Here comes a snap! <laughs> Here come the crackle! They're
2: Rascris! Breakfast disaster. <laughs> Sorry, we should point out now. Did you catch that music at the start of Demolition's entrance? Dun, 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 the lyrics.
3: Dun, dun.
2: Here comes the axe, here comes the smash. Oh my god. <laughs> Demolition walking disasters. Oh, have more confidence in yourselves, lads. Why, why so.
0: axe? Why not bash?
2: Bash, bash.
0: Crush, smash and bash.
2: Oh, that's
1: good. Now, Crush was a late entry because Axe was getting on in years, you see. So it was originally Axe and Smash, and then Crush was brought in as the third.
0: It just makes no sense to have a noun and then a verb.
1: Right, you wanted an adjective in there as well, like... No, I didn't want an adjective. I just keep
0: it to one... Keep it to one or the other, like even nouns or verbs.
2: Uh, no, you, so you don't want like axe, smash and tough, for instance, like you get an adjective in no. there. Well, okay. Legion of Doom nearly had it because they had animal. That's fine. Hawk, that's a kind of yeah. animal. Draws. That's no. not a word, is it? Though no, no. you no. lost it now. <laughs> oh no,
1: hawk, animal and puke, though, they had as well. They, they wanted to call him puke. puke. That's a verb. People. You know? It's not
0: an
3: animal, though. No.
1: If, if it was, we've been doing things wrong around here for a long time. <laughs> so yes, you like you like finding out all of their silly names. Yep.
0: Yep. Absolutely ridiculous.
1: It is interesting, though. You know, you got you know, you didn't know their names. Yeah. Vince McMahon on commentary had a great deal of difficulty of figuring out who was who in the demolition team. Did you did you notice this?
2: Yeah, he was making out like they're the Usos or something because mm-hmm. they're like so hard to tell apart. They look nothing like each other. No, the, the, All three of them. The like, quote
1: and commentary from Vince here. It's so hard to tell the members of Demolition apart, even though there is a clear height difference
0: <laughs> and weight difference. <laughs> yes, and yeah.
1: facial paint difference. Style, well.
2: everything
1: is Age. different. Yeah, surprisingly, the one who's not met allowed to wrestle a full match anymore, he's different from the young twenty-something-year-old from Hawaii. Like, come on, lads. Roddy Piper was on commentary here as well. How do you think he did, Joe?
0: He did okay, considering. Yeah, yeah he was all right. Not great. Don't but... think Kim
2: and Vince had much chemistry. No. There was one point where Anvil got a, a near fall and Piper just goes, BULLSHIT! Straight <laughs> <off>. <laughs> the other part as well on, on the commentary where like, Anvil hits someone
1: really hard. He gives a big clothesline. And then Vince goes, Whoa! He hit him hard there. And Piper goes, Yeah! He hit him so hard he's gonna think it's Christmas! And then Vince goes, Huh. He hit him so hard he might think that it's our fall event, the Survivor Series. And then there's an awkward pause and then Piper goes, It is Survivor Series! Now, it is SummerSlam. Yep. Now, if you use the the shorthand of SS for all Survivor Series and SummerSlam pay-per-views—you can get into some
2: difficulties there. I've run afoul of that many a time on my documentation. <laughs> 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 Any of the tough spots for us, Joe? Uh,
0: yeah. I liked when Brett was hitting Smash. I think it was Smash in the corner. I had to consult with you as to which which of the Rice Krispie boys it was. <laughs>
2: so hard to tell apart, aren't They're they? So like. hard to they are. Apart,
0: yeah, they just look exactly the same. And then Crush comes along and then Brett just leaps from Smash to Crush and starts like beating him up as well.
1: This is your first time watching Brett and kind of maybe paying more close attention to him as opposed to his opponent in the ring because this episode's about him. Mm. What did you make of, of Brett's style and his, his approach to, to wrestling in the ring?
0: He's really good. He's just like a solid wrestler. Like there's nothing really you can... Well, personally, there's nothing really I would criticise about his style. Like mm. he's just really good and really consistent. His selling is fantastic. I think it's one of my favourite things about his style.
1: He's got, like, very realistic selling, I think. Totally realistic
0: selling. I get really pissed off with a lot of modern-day wrestling, especially when it comes to selling, that there's wrestlers who, like don't sell enough or they sell too much mm. and Brett just gets that balance perfectly really empathised with a lot of the pain that he's in
1: there's some folks who may have like pre-assumed or like we got some tweets about it thinking that Brett's style in this day and age with the type of wrestling we see on TV might seem a bit like boring by comparison oh
0: I totally disagree
1: because I was worried like I, I to you at the start I was like Brett ain't gonna bust out any moves that you're probably not going to see him do in pretty much every match. You know, he's like Ric Flair in that sense, even though I'm sure he'd hate the the comparison to that. But Brett does the same 12 or 13 moves very well at the right time,
2: at the right place in every match. Mm-hmm. There's a word that I've heard a lot of people use to describe his style. And if you ask me to clarify what it means, I don't think I could tell you, but it works perfectly. Like, people say he's crisp, and I mm. think that's so true. It's like such a really... Crisp, clean, just perfect style. Quite like,
0: snappy as well. Very
2: snappy and just, it, it doesn't seem like anything ever looks a bit iffy or off. Mm. Like, And even if something does go wrong, he's one of those guys that he can think on his feet so fast and so seamlessly that you wouldn't really notice that something's yeah. gone wrong. There like,
1: are so many times where Brett has taken a situation which looks like it's going to be nearly a definite injury for for someone else or for himself and he's managed to save it. Mm-hmm. Brett in his entire 20 plus year career never once injured anyone which is a very, is very
0: amazing. very there, small list. Is there anyone else who...
1: I mean, I don't think Miz has never been injured. I'm pretty sure Jericho never injured anyone either. Mm. Most people usually have something blood on their hands. But well, like, no, it's you know. true. Even
2: the best wrestlers will eventually fuck up and hurt someone by mistake. I, I would say above championships or longevity or anything that's one of the most impressive accolades a wrestler can have is to have never injured their opponent that's seriously the sign of a professional like it's unbelievable yeah so any other top spots for us in this one Joe?
0: yeah my third top spot is when Brett's on the turnbuckle and he's like just waiting and then Jim picks him up and uses Brett as a weapon and just like Chucks him, just like fucks him into demolition.
1: I love the dynamic between those two so much. It's like it it, it works so well. And I think it's one of the only ways Brett could have maybe gotten over in in this time where Vince only loved his big giants because Brett was the setup for this big rhino to come in yes. and just run people over. And Brett's fast and quick and all that. That's what I love about Brett is that like you know, he's not hes not going to pull out, like, fancy new moves, but he will find new ways to implement stuff that you've seen before in a new way. Like him being slammed onto someone, that was, like, really innovative for the time, you it know? It
0: reminds me a lot of Heavy Machinery, which I yeah. think this mm. is, like, way ahead of its time then.
1: Yeah, that's really, really true. Something about Brett as well, like, you know, with John Cena, for instance, he's got the five moves of Doom, as people label him. Like, when's John Cena going to do the five-knuckle shuffle after he's done big backdrop thing and then he waves his face but like Brett will use his elbow drop or his Russian leg sweep or his backbreaker at a specific point in a match like I almost feel like it's lost on me most of the time like Brett has put a lot more thought and care into the placement and the timing and the responses to certain moves that like for me I'm just like yay wrestling but I think he is from a if you were a wrestler you could see the story a lot
2: more clearly I guess I think Brett just puts more thought into sequencing like it's the thing with the five moves of doom is it's only an issue because it's always in that exact same sequence that same pattern and it's so boring and predictable it's like why can't you just vary it up a little bit Mm. like what you're talking about with brett's alleged moves of doom isn't like a moves of doom sequence it's just that's his move set and he'd all like shake it up by using them in different places like any good wrestler should do yeah he's
1: got a legitimate repertoire at his disposal which i really love So yes, to finish this match, and it's two out of three falls. So Demolition did win the first fall after just putting Brett away with their tag team finisher, the Demolition decapitation, and then Brett was like worked on throughout the match. The great they only win the second fall by disqualification, which I really love that. The fact that, you know, the Hard Foundation didn't get a big win straight away. They got DQ'd and Brett has still been worked on, and they finally build up towards the end where LOD come out to expose the twin magic trickery of demolition. And this was less Bella Twins and more like when the Bella Twins tried to do twin magic after Nikki had gotten breast implants because they all look completely differently and the referee doesn't know us. Yeah. What the heck? But LOD appeared to expose the trickery and we get the big victory from the Heart Foundation. Joe, what did you think of this one?
0: I liked it. I didn't love it, but it was a solid match. Probably wouldn't opt to watch it again. Yeah. But I would recommend it for anyone who's interested in uh, the partnership of Jim, the Anvil, Neidhart and Bret Hart. Because it's a good, solid match and it's fun. Yeah. I gave it three stars. Very nice. Five.
1: I think what's sad about what happens now with Bret's career is that I think Jim Neidhart needed Bret a lot more than Bret probably needed him. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's definitely true. Mm. And now you can probably tell that is already going to set up issues... With the family, and because you know Ellie is married to Jim Neidhart, and she that was a constant source. Even also well, Diana Hart, his sister, was married to the British Bulldog. There was a constant source of tension between all of them there because they were like, well, Brett's becoming a big star. Can't you get like a, a push for for Davey? Can't you get yeah. a push for for Jim? Like you know, Jim Neidhart got hired back to the company like a few times, even after he should not have been hired back at all because Brett went to bat for him. You no. know, he was always trying to kind of get. You know, keep the family happy and keep the peace. So Brett embarks on a singles run and he very, very uh, eloquently and calmly puts it, I knew I was better than the big guys who were being pushed at the time. <laughs> Does he come across as arrogant at all in this documentary, do you think?
0: I think some people could see it as arrogance. Personally, I think it's just... Confidence. He has knowledge in his ability. You know, he's been doing this for his whole life. He he's grown up doing this. Mm. So I think it's it's not like misplaced confidence or anything. He is as good as he says he is. Yeah. So therefore, to me, it's it's not arrogance. It's
1: very interesting when he's talking about like how you know he wishes that he was given a proper push because the old guys, the people on top, weren't weren't you know doing doing much in the way of old trying to pass farts. on old farts. <laughs> Hogan's like I think the same age as him, pretty much maybe a mm. little younger he is way more of an old fart than Bret Hart I can yeah and that? yeah, true that's true old fart energy <laughs> so Bret embarks upon an ambitious singles run centred around the Intercontinental Championship his first breakout feud was one that we've already covered in our Mr. Perfect episode where he wins the Intercontinental Belt at SummerSlam 1991 he then feuds with big names like Rowdy Roddy Piper and we pointed out in our episode that match he had with Piper at Wrestlemania he was the first person in 17 and a half years to pin Roddy Piper like that was Kind of quite a pat on the back that he got there and of course as well here comes the difficult point in the Bret Hart episode because a lot of people were coming out with a lot of match recommendations and a lot of those match recommendations if we did them we would have nothing to talk about in other people's episodes mm. this was interesting because it showed how important Bret Hart was to other people's careers if we talked about Bret versus Bulldog now I hazard to guess we wouldn't have a lot to talk about on our inevitable Bulldog episode similarly with a lot of his matches with Sean as well, so he has a huge, huge task ahead of him, which is he's going to headline the SummerSlam in Wembley Stadium against the British Bulldog, the hometown boy, so... Brett was given huge amounts of responsibility quite soon into his singles run. So, they show lots of clips from this match from Wembley Stadium with the British Bulldog. I mean, could you describe for Joe the nature of
2: this match? Why it's considered important? Sort of a crowning of the British Bulldog, really. It was the highest accolade of his career. It was the main event in England, like, of this massive pay-per-view. Like, the last time they ever did a a big, major pay-per-view in England, like, that was actually for a global audience, like... And it was this sort of significant event of like I don't think Bulldog was ever planned to get much more of a spotlight than this. This was mm. kind of like the pinnacle of his career.
1: And he beats Brett for the Intercontinental Championship in, yeah. in, in his home country. But the bit that they don't tell you in this documentary and I didn't know until I read Brett's book. Is, you know, They had this whole match laid out and Brett had all these ideas. It was to make... Davey Boy a star you know that was like his whole point of this. he thought well I've got some star power now because I'm the Intercontinental champion I'm gonna try help you they brought in all the stuff with his sister saying you know I'm the one who introduced you to my sister maybe I, I shouldn't have done that you know they were mixing in a bit of the the family life with this British Bulldog the day of the show at the start of the match he would have been at uh, all partying the night before had done a few extracurricular activities they start the match he says I'm fucked Brack I'm fucked I don't know what I'm doing he's out of breath Get him in training for the match he just completely blanked I'm fucked Brett
0: oh god and
1: no one picked up on it no one picked up on it because Brett carried him through the whole thing really apparently. that's according to Brett mind but yeah Brett said that he had to do all the spots in the match even the bit at the end like where they're meant to have the emotional face off where they're meant to shake hands and all that Bulldog was off looking in the other direction he had to like say look around, look at me shake my hand like he had to do the, dr- the drama yeah. at the end <laughs>
2: I'm, this is one of those things, especially as an English wrestling fan. This match has got like legendary status in wrestling history, and even once I knew about like it had like a little bit of the legend spoiled when I found out that story and that Brett had to carry the match and everything. But even so, it was like wow, that makes it even more impressive, I guess. But then the footage they showed of the match in this documentary, and I've never seen this match all the way through, even though I've heard of its legendary status. The footage they show of it, though, it looks fucking ropey as fuck. Like, it looks very scary and dangerous. They, like, clobbering each other. Like, things look very sloppy. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still a a hell of a feat that Brett was able to carry the match the way he did. But it's not the sort of five-star classic a lot of people will... try and tell you it is.
1: I mean, I, I will reserve judgment on this podcast until we've done the Bulldog episode on it, and the reviews of Adam Biblo do not necessarily reflect the views of Joanna Graham and Kevin
2: <laughs> oh, this, is, this is also, yeah, this isn't a man that's even watched the match. This is a man that's seen some highlights of the match in a Bret Hart documentary, but from what I saw, it looked really fucking brutal. Mm. But... Did you, yeah, there was a part where they went over the ropes. Did you see that, Joe?
0: Was this the bit where Bret then looped his arm around his neck? Yeah. So there's a bit where... Brett kind of tumbles over the top rope and the bulldog's supposed to catch him. And instead he's got his head down looking at the ground. And so as Brett falls, he kind of rolls, loops his arm around the bulldog's neck and then like pulls him into a manoeuvre. It's incredible. When you see it in slow motion, it looks totally intentional. I would never have known that that was like not how it was supposed to happen.
1: And how that would have happened was probably most other the rest is he would have sailed over the top rope and broken the guy's back or something mm. like that. You know, it's just... How, how, if you're falling to have the wherewithal to be like, oh, the plan that's planned has not gone to plan. <laughs> I'm going to change it now to save both of our careers. It's ridiculous. Brett, the thing he says that he goes, it's a, it was a very difficult match. That's all he says really about it. Mm. I think that's pretty nice because I think the Bulldog has passed away. So many of Brett's kind of compatriots have passed away and I don't think he just wants to... Speak ill of him. I mean, he, nah. was, he was grand with doing it in his book, I guess. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. but with the book, the reason he uh, he has such an account of this is that he used to, on the road he would take uh, an audio cassette tape with him, and he would record a, a diary after every match, every night on the road, he would do that, and that was his way of keeping sane. Huh. Did you know, Joe, Brett's other way of keeping sane with life on the road. Is
0: it sleeping with lots of women? Yay! Yay! What do I win?
1: Uh, infidelity. Congratulations. <laughs> so, yes, Brett talks at length in his book, not in this documentary, you know, how being with someone like Jim Neidhart who drank hard, you know, Jim was late for a SummerSlam one year because he was smoking crack with the British Bulldog.
0: Smoking crack? Yep. Crack? Crack.
2: Perfectly fine, Joe. It was a different time. Crack!
0: That you
1: know, was the attitude era, mate.
2: You know, nowadays, they're playing Mario Kart back then. They were smoking crack I over love, it. Like. I love how
0: far we've come. Like Nowadays, if you're a wrestler, you have to be the absolute peak of physical fitness and wellness. You you, know, you have to have a proper diet. You have like all the best sports physicians in the world. You are at the peak of wellness. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got people fucking smoking crack.
1: I mean, look at... When you saw Jim Neidhart, and also, I guess you saw the clips of the Bulldog there... I mean, they're they're built well, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: they're big, big guys. Could you imagine what it was
1: like if those guys were like clean and sober and all that? Mm. That would have been
0: so. Oh my god, like even better because they're so impressive, even having smoked crack. It sounds so funny because it's like, no, don't smoke crack. Yeah. That's not something anyone should ever. I don't ever even think do. the
1: Sandman was smoking crack, like, no. you know. That's like they just That's
0: a bit wild for me. Seriously yes. <laughs> like,
1: you know, my drug is Fortnite. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's it's crazy that Brett surrounded himself by so many people who are so adamantly massive super mega partiers. And, you know, all the stories I've told in this podcast are something about, you know, the, the the double bed full of cocaine, you know, where wrestlers just shovel it into their face. It's all from Brett's book. And, mm. you know, he did partake in, in some of the stuff. He did steroids like everyone else did, you know, along with Vince McMahon and the rest of those guys. He, you know, he did it all during the 80s, back in those wild partying days.
0: I'm surprised he did steroids, to be honest, because he's big, but he's not that big.
1: I mean, if you saw him when he was 19 and what Vince McMahon, you know, he was considered to be too small even when he was... A big guy. And again, we, we we take for granted. I think Brett under that singlet, you think, ah, oh, not a big guy necessarily. We watch Wrestling with Shadows. Fucking yeah, hell. Yeah, when you mm. see him
0: without his top on, it's like, ooh, big chest. He's a
1: big, big built like a like a like a big guy. Like, yeah. you know, he's a lot bigger than I think the singlet would give him credit for. But yeah, Brett said the way he kept saying on the road, he didn't he didn't do drugs, he didn't, you know, once everyone started testing for, for, for dope and for, for cocaine, he started going on, you know, everyone went off, did painkillers, he started, you know, doing other stuff, and that was mainly cheating on his wife, who was not happy about that fact. Now, Julie Hart, I think has to be, go down as one of the most long-suffering wrestler's wives of all time. What what do you know about about Brett's other half, Joe, during his, his big run?
0: Not a huge amount, to be honest. Like, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I know she said that she never really wanted to be in a partnership with someone who was a wrestler long-term. Even
1: though she met him after a wrestling show and he yeah, was wrestling.
0: Yeah. But like, even from then he was saying, oh, I'm going to quit like any day now and didn't. And she had to keep putting up with it. And I know that her and Brett fell in love when they were both very... I say fell in love. I don't know if they were necessarily in love. I think but they were. I, I would hope that they were given that they were together for 20 years mm. and they seemed like such a team in so many ways. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I guess, another subject. But they got together very, very young and had a f- they started having a family very young as well, didn't they? I
1: think by Brett, by the time he was 22 or 23, he was a dad. Which yeah. is like, that's like considered the standard thing back then. And yeah. now it just seems like it seems so young, it doesn't is so it? Like young. That's probably when my parents had me, like, you know, type of thing. So, Brad very open about cheating in his book. I'm not sure how open he was with his wife. Because, you know, she did find out on one occasion, one of the women that he was sleeping with, and it was, you know. It did not go down well. It was not like oh, we're cool. We have an open relationship. It just—he didn't tell people that he was—he was married. He didn't talk about his wife on TV. And Brett had a girl in every city, as he would like to say. And it's kind of sad because, like you know, he talks in his book like after he finally divorces her, you know, and it was like one of those kind of like it wasn't like a, that's it, we're divorcing. It's like, all right, come on, let's 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 fucking finally do it. Mm-hmm. now, You know? Didn't
0: she do what his mum did as well, which is that she would threaten to leave? Yeah. Nigh constantly,
1: and that the, the the relationship between him and his wife is so similar to that of of Stu and, Stu Helen. and and Helen. Yeah, it's it's crazy how, how how similar it is. So yeah, it it is it is difficult, and I could not imagine what it was like being his wife because. You know, he says, yeah, I'm going to leave. And then he gets signed to WBF. It's like, well, I'll just be here for a few years. You know, it's not going to go particularly well, is it? Like, they don't even like me. And then, oh, I get a bit of a singles run. I'll ride this wave a little bit. And, you know, you're in the 90s at this point. By the time that runs out, he's, you know, going to become WBF champion. You're not going to... 20
0: a contract.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, lots of stuff that's locking him in for the long term. But she was his confidant and his manager. And in many ways, I think that she was the unsung hero of, yeah. of, of his whole career. Because she probably despite the fact that he was cheating on her constantly, she kept him, you know, focused in terms of things like contract negotiations yeah. and the politics and all the stuff that was going on. She was definitely the the brains behind the operation, it felt like, for the most part.
2: That's really sad. Like, that kind of feels like, yeah, both Stu and Brett just had, like, a long-standing partner that would suffer through loads and then get nothing out of it in the end. And then so
1: you like. always have people going, to go like, "Oh, did you see her in the documentary? She looks so miserable. Oh, yeah. so miserable old Bret Hart's wife." I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, you would be bit too, wouldn't you?" Yeah.
0: Oh my god, I'd be more than miserable. I'd be a complete grumpy bitch. I not allowed to say that. I'm a woman <laughs> <laughs> about myself. I okay?
1: I said, "I'm a grumpy bitch." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I kind of feel bad because like as well, like when after he finally divorces her, he's like, "Yeah, I went out try to pick up women. I didn't really want to anymore. Like it's kind of felt like he was only into it.
2: So it was only fun when it was cheating. Like, oh. yeah. and it's sad because like a
1: lot of the a lot of the women as well like didn't know. Like there was a few instances when he was abroad, particularly where like there was women and they they're falling in love with him." you know and then they don't they don't you know it's less like kind of like oh Julie doesn't know it's like yeah well these women don't know either and they think they're falling in love with the world yeah. champion yeah. and then you know they find out and they're like they're heartbroken that he's married because they feel so bad they wouldn't have they, they they, often it comes up as like I wouldn't have slept with you if I knew that you had a wife and yeah. several young children at home mm. but he didn't do drugs so that's okay as far as he's concerned
0: that basically was his drug
1: yeah mm-hmm. just as addictive it feels like you yeah. know <laughs> But a lot of stuff I think that Brett brought to the ring, it wasn't just like, you know, we, we talked about in the last message that there was a lot of you know technical realism and, you know, doing moves for certain reasons. But there was a lot of emotional realism to it as well, because it wasn't like people saying, I'm going to destroy the hypothetical concept of Hulkamania. It's people saying, you know, hey, I'm your brother in law, or, you know, stuff like, you know, I'm fine because my family want to be proud of me. Like, I can't let my dad down. He brought in an emotional weight, I think, and a real life aspect to it. People didn't peek into the real lives of wrestlers, I think, as much beforehand. Brett was the first wrestler who you saw their mum and dad in the audience, his sisters and his brothers in the audience. You talked about his family, his kids, you know. Because 1993 comes around, and then the documentary is like, yeah, they decided to make me world champion. Now, could you guess what was happening around about this time, Joe, if you cast your mind back to some of our previous episodes in the early Mm. 90s?
0: Could it be the um, steroid scandal? Yeah.
1: Mm. So steroid scandals coming. Hulk Hogan's out of here. Ultimate Warrior's out of here. Let's get someone smaller. Yeah. Well, we the new generation, mm. and the new generation—they're clean. They're young. They're not these old fogies that you see in that other company. And Bret Hart was going to be the kind of the, the, the flag bearing, the poster child of this new generation.
0: How old is he at this point? 30s, maybe like thirty-four.
1: Oh, okay. Thirty-five. So he he was young, yeah. yeah. In fairness, and he was very—I mean, if you look at the world champions who came before him, it was you know Hulk Hogan. Sergeant Slaughter, Ultimate Warrior, Mm. Macho Man Randy Savage, The Undertaker briefly, Ric Flair. By and large, big guys or very, very long, long, long established veterans. And then here comes Bret Hart as the world champion. They show him winning the belt from Ric Flair. It happened
2: on a video, home video exclusive match. That's
0: so strange. It would not happen now.
2: No. So this was like only available on VHS and... I'm guessing would they have to have told people on telly then yeah. that like it just, oh sorry folks sorry you didn't see that you have to get this videotape if you want to see it's it. Pretty happen, much like, right. would you
1: believe Bret Hart at an event beat beat Rick Flair? But this happened a, a fair bit because people would be out the door like because Rick was going back to WCW, I guess, so they didn't want to do it on a big show and give Rick a big payday. I guess mm. and I don't know. It's a bit weird, but yeah, Bret's the champion. But also, Bret is the champion at a point in time where Vince McMahon is like, well, I don't know how much focus I can put into this thing because I'm being sued by the federal government. And all the top stars are gone. So Brett was the champion during probably one of the most tumultuous times in the company's existence. Wow. So, I mean, there's ways of looking at that. You can look at it and kind of go, well, you were a champion when business was shit. That means that you're shit. But... I don't know if that's necessarily fair.
0: No.
2: Arguably, business would have been shitter yeah. without Brett there. Like, yeah. I think no matter what, New Generation was going to stink, and we're just lucky that we did have Bret Hart there. Oh, you
1: just... you A big, wide brush stroke there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. It does stink. I know that it's more complex than that, but by and large, we can all agree the New Gen era is not very good.
1: Okay, so on top, you did have Bret Hart, but we also... I mean, what, what, what are some of the characters or wrestlers that we may have had
2: at the time that were... Uh... Kevin Nash. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Diesel, if you will. Diesel. Razor Ramon would yeah. have been around. We like Razor Ramon in this yeah. show, huh? aren't yeah. yeah. That's the good ones. Yeah. Um Max yeah, would have been there. Repo Man was still knocking hey. around. I think.
1: Hey, go hey. yeah. on now. There's something about Bret Hart defending the world belts against the Repo man. <laughs> the world belt. The world belt. There's like an episode of Raw. And he's like, he's there, like he has Bret Hart in a in a headlock going, Pay your bills, hitman! Pay your bills! <laughs> and Bret's like What's going on <laughs> I've already paid my bills
3: <laughs>
0: didn't you say that Reaper Man was one of the members of demolition yes mm-hmm. which one is he smash smash the
1: smash. one who was going bah. <laughs> oh. But we also had like you know names during this time like uh, Bastion Bugger whose gimmick was that he was smelly and overweight mm. or we also had gimmicks like TL Hopper the wrestling plumber yeah you know, this was the the golden era of cartoony gimmicks it's just worth bearing in mind when Brett was the top guy the company was really silly.
0: No wonder he seemed so cool by comparison, because to me, he seems cool even from like a modern perspective. Mm. Like he has aged really well. I think the whole gimmick is just great. But like back then when wrestling was so silly and so not taken seriously, here's Brett, who does take himself seriously. He must have seemed like the coolest guy ever. That's
1: true, you're totally right, because then later in later years when everyone else started taking themselves kind of seriously but in a different way it made him seem that he was taking himself too seriously and that was very much what i think yeah that i would be drawn to him as opposed to you know the wrestling tax man, even though, you know, IRS is, a, is an awesome gimmick objectively.
0: And he's, he's cool, but he manages to be cool in a way that's also, like, wholesome and family-friendly and, like, over with the kids, which, mm. that's hard to do. There's not many wrestlers even today who can pull that off.
1: Because, you know, being the world champion and being the top guy, Brett has kind of owned his kind of his look and his entrance and all that down to a, to a fine art. What is the kind of the ritual for Brett when he's coming out then, Joe?
0: He comes out, he's got his cool shades on, and then he finds a member of the audience... Preferably a child. In fact, I think it's always a child.
2: Once he gave it to his mom.
0: oh that's really sweet.
2: Aww. Did you catch his? I guess it's a taunt that the thing he does when he comes out. Brett has got like a signature move that he does. No. So it's this. The hands out on the sides. It's literally like just. Like suck
0: it, but without the, the it's, X.
2: Suck it, but the
1: arms are going in the opposite direction. Right. They come out like here I am. It looks you like it should be hands. like a
2: or something.
1: What do you think of Bret Hart's theme music?
0: Oh, I love dan, it. Dan, 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 dan. Dan, dan,
1: dan. Da <speaking> na <in an airport> Yeah, it's great. I love the it. inspiration for that is a train. What? Yeah, Jimmy Hart. It says the locomotive it has a. <inaudible> yeah, it's very good. Very very good. I love a good train song. You know, that's very good. <laughs> I also want to know now, Joe, as well, now that Brett has become a world heavyweight champion and he's got the, you know, he's got the, the the child outreach and all that, he's got the wholesome image, how, if anyway, has this affected the hunky status? Where is Brett at the moment where we are in the, kind of the early 90s?
0: I think we're getting to peak hunk,
1: mm, Brett, here. Yeah.
0: Mm. I think he gets more and more hunky kind of as he gets older. Mm. Maybe it tails off slightly as he gets like, you know, he's, he's, he's like in his 60s now, mm. isn't he? But yeah. he's still like a primo hunk. But I think it's maybe tailed off a little bit. Interesting. But yeah, this area, he's um, yeah, very hunky. He's got his cool leather jacket on. He's got his look. He's, he's big, but not like too big. I think he's
1: at 80% hunk power levels. Yeah. He's yeah. still charging.
4: You know? Oh, okay, so I you're not so. there at
1: peak yet. I don't think he's peak yet, no. No? Hmm. I think we give him, give him a couple of years, maybe.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think a couple of years, I think just around the time of the screw job is around one time he's like, peak, peak, hunk.
1: Yeah, something about being screwed over is just undeniably sexy. We've got, we got to admit that. like. But yeah, for Brett, like most of his career, anytime he gets a new big kind of boon or a new big thing happens, it's an uphill struggle because business is down and the company's on his back. And his company is on his back during a time where I don't know necessarily if they had the whole faith of the world and confidence in him yet as their champion. Because WrestleMania 9 comes along and even though Bret is doing everything in his power to redefine what the WF style is going to be. It's not going to be about the old big guys and all that. And he defends the belt against the new monster heel Yokozuna who beats Bret in the main event. And Bret the big hero loses his first big kind of mega challenge on the big stage. And then Hulk Hogan comes out, and Brett, who's like, I'm in so big, just points him, go get him, Hulkster. And within three or four seconds, Hulk Hogan beats Yokozuna clean and just wins the belt.
2: Boo. Were fans happy about that at the time? Do people like that happening?
1: I think it was much like if stuff like that happened these days, where there was a contingent of fans who were very, very, very upset. Mm -hmm. But then the kind of... There was a lot of fans who were like, hey, did you hear Hulk Hogan's back on top? Might really? watch that rest. He hasn't been around for a year or
2: two. Might watch that WWF again. That's Brock Lesnar would be like that if he actually fucking went away once in a while. Because like, that's what it feels like with him. It's just sort of like, oh God, he's back. No, don't let him. Oh, he's got the belt again. Totally like,
0: accurate. It's so true.
1: I would be so bitter and pissed off if someone did that. His first WrestleMania as mm-hmm. champion. And that happens.
0: Snake Hogan. Oh, I hate him.
1: Now, you know what's interesting about that, right? Is that the whole time in the 80s when Brett was the tag guy, him and Hogan were like, they were tight. Because he he loved Hogan. Because he said Hogan, when you're on a a show with Hogan, it would always sell out. You'd always get a good payday. So Hogan liked us because we would put on a good match, which meant that the fans were going home happy anyway. He didn't have to work as hard maybe. But the fans would come to see Hulk. So we'd all get a good payday. So we loved Hogan. But this around this period of time here now, now that Brett's a top guy, this is when Hulk Hogan stops being Brett's buddy. Mm. And like the reason that Brett agreed to this, that Hogan would come in and win, was that they were going to do a changing of the guards, a match at SummerSlam 1993, where Brett would take on Hulk Hogan. Oh, and, cool. And Hogan would lose to
2: Brett and awesome. pass the torch
1: and say, I'm going to go off and make... Thunder in Paradise. And
2: that sounds great. Yeah, that like, sounds like that it sounds would like happen. A, Seriously, that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's a cool plan. And even to the point where they actually did a photo shoot for it. Well, They're, you would, <laughs> wouldn't you? Because you're going to do it. So if, you, if you're going to do the match, you're going to have a photo they shoot. definitely
0: will do it. Yeah,
2: so what, what, I'm guessing, like, did Brett, was it like a five-star match? Did Brett go over quick? Was it a long match? Like, So uh, what the, happened?
1: King, the King of the Ring in June, mm. three months beforehand instead, uh, Hogan lost the belt back to Yokozuna, when a Japanese photographer came into the ring with an evil trap camera that let off a big flash that made Hogan go, Oh, brother! And then Yokozuna won... But only because of Japanese photography and cheap... Like he won in the most racist way possible... Wow...
4: You, you, know, the, you know the
1: Asians with their photographs... The, I hate them... So yeah... Uh, Hogan Hogan lost the belt... And then Hogan decided he didn't have to hang around anymore... So he went off and he went to WCW... Oh so he didn't get that match...
3: No... Oh. Pity... That
1: sucks... So at the pay-per-view... Where Hulk Hogan was defending the belt... That he just kind of happened upon at Wrestlemania... Bret Hart instead is going to wrestle three times in one night.
0: Wow. <laughs> cool. If anyone can, it's Bret.
1: There's your reward. More work. Delightful. Yeah, so Bret's in the King of the Ring instead. And we join him now for our second match. This is his second of three matches he's having here tonight. But one which was recommended to us ad nauseum. It is Bret Hart taking on Mr. Perfect at the King of the Ring in 1993 ninety-three semi-finals. Joe, we got Mr. Perfect in the ring once again with Bret Hart. Were you excited to see these two go at it again?
0: I was because this time the feud is slightly different and it's a my dad can meet your dad match <laughs> and I'm really excited to see whose dad ultimately will come out on top so, of this match.
1: So what, we got Larry and Stu, it's like, is this like a mixed match challenge we've got to tag into the old scary man? Yeah, dad
0: on, a, dad on a pole match. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah, beforehand there is an interview and
2: I don't know about you but did me and Gene see like he was really stirring the pot here.
0: Yes. Yeah. You
2: can wind your neck in, Gene. <laughs> these, these guys are like both nice wrestlers. They just want to have a contest to find out who's better.
1: Well, hang on a minute, Adam Biblo, but the way you said earlier, the intonation, what you said was that Joe Graham's dad could not beat your dad in a fight. What do you think about that? Joe, well, what do you, what think you think of that? <laughs> huh? Not what
2: I said technically. Whoa, 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 whoa. You literally won't let Brett get a word no, in edgeways. No, kept it's asking
0: like, questions and then not letting them give an answer. Yeah
2: fucking rude
0: Jesus mean Gene get
1: he, a grip he is mean isn't he no he's wonder he's like, so mean cruel Gene Oakley <laughs> 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 right I, I thought now's a good time as any to bring it up you do get to see little glimmers of it here and there people always said Brett was always very serious always very dour didn't smile you know, Brett always got the uh, you know you should smile more type yeah. of you know, it's mm. that, like. but Brett he does pull out here a few times when he gets interrupted he turns to the camera and he gives that little smile Oh, fuck off, that twinkly-eyed smile mm. of Bret Hart.
0: When he does smile, it's like the sun comes out from behind the cloud it's a lovely he has a lovely smile and that's why I'm okay with people telling Brett he should smile more because he's got such a lovely one that he should don't, smile don't more don't
2: encourage this <laughs> and maybe people wouldn't think he was so serious all the time if mm-hmm. he smiled <laughs> maybe he'd have more friends and get further in life if he smiled a little bit more right what, Brett? Brett
0: I do relate to him because he's got resting bitch face yeah like, or resting Brett face so we should call it
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, well, is that something that you've suffered with you feel
0: oh yeah for sure people tell me to smile more
2: I it has less to do with your face and more to do with your gender to be honest with you, Joe, like You don't yeah. have a resting B face. Sorry, you don't have a resting <laughs> Brett face as far as I'm concerned.
0: This is the new name for it. Resting Brett resting face. Resting
1: Brett face. Like, you yeah. know, the best face there is, was, ever, will be.
0: <laughs> Briefly, we have Mr. Perfect offering a handshake to Brett and he he looks at the camera and was like, hmm, don't know if I should shake this guy's hand. And what do you think,
1: boys and girls? No! no. Shake his
0: hand! And he, he goes out to shake his hand and Mr. Perfect does the classic too slow. No. And Brett just leaves. He just walks out of there.
1: <laughs> and that's, that's he's setting a good example though for yeah. the kids at home.
0: If, if someone tries to bully you and annoy you like that just ignore the bully and walk away. it's <laughs> yeah. good advice. You're
1: not too slow they're too fast that's it right? Yeah you just walk away you leave them hanging baby. <laughs> this is a rematch from SummerSlam of course and on commentary we have The oddest three-man booth ever. It's very rare where two of the three people on commentary we've done episodes on... Mm. We've got Jim Ross, Macho Man Randy Savage... And Bobby the Brain, I'm out of here, Mm. (laughs) Heenan.
0: Jim Ross, at this time... Sounds so different. It sounds like someone else doing a Jim Ross impression at like 1.5 speed. Yeah, he's way
2: faster and lighter way pitch. Way faster. Like.
0: I d- actually don't like it as much as like what I consider to be classic Jim Ross voice.
2: It's less comforting to me. Yeah. I like the sort of the slow yeah. drawl. Like is that because you grew up with it, or like. is it
1: generally just easier to listen I, to? I, I I think it's
2: easier to,
0: easier to listen to. Yeah,
2: I think it is a more relaxed pattern of speaking. The, the JR sort of the, the lower tones. I like. suppose
1: to Jim Ross folks you're gonna see it you're gonna see a fat you're gonna
0: see a brawl you're gonna see wrestling I find it quite hard to keep up with what he's saying in in this match whereas like classic Jim Ross he's one of my favourite speakers he's Mm. so clear spoken I think
2: isn't that weird yeah because the reason why he would change so much would be Bell's palsy and you would expect that would actually give you a loss of clarity but Mm. I think he's easier to understand when he's got that more relaxed pace later on in life
0: absolutely agree
2: there was a
1: period of time where I believe that Jim Cornette and this era of Jim Ross were on commentary at the same time. Oh. Could you imagine? you had have to put in like 0.75 speed to sense normal <laughs> then. Like, oh man, I'll tell you what. I love seeing these two here because Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect, I think they are the absolute quintessential opponents for each other. I don't know what it is... Is it Brett's selling or perfect selling, or is it all of it? But I, f- I just I could watch them wrestle forever.
0: Do you notice in this match though that the crowd weren't really paying attention? They kept looking off yeah. to the side. Mm. Could
2: have given two fucks, Joe. I think.
0: Yeah, they really did not care.
2: I think seeing these guys multiple times in the evening maybe has an effect on how much attention the crowd want to yeah. give it. Like, and especially like from what I've noticed with tournaments in wrestling or in situations where someone wrestles like three matches in one night, it'll always be like first match might be like five minutes the second match will be really short and then the, the third match he'll do will be like the big one. Oh, Brett ain't doing
1: that baby no he
2: is not this is a big old match to say it's only only a second of the evening
1: yeah and he's, three matches he has on this card here tonight he wrestles Razor Ramon who is kind of just very new into the company so he still would have been kind of like green a little bit and then his main event in the finals he was against Bam Bam Bigelow so he had three very different types sizes and shapes of opponents and he, he basically said like right if you're going to take the belt away from me fuck me over like you did and put Hogan in the main event I'm going to wrestle three times three matches each of which could have been a main event in their own right Mm -hmm. but as you pointed out Joe the crowds they're disinterested but it could be maybe because this guy couldn't beat the main eventer and Hogan is in the main event you know Mm. they they made Bret out to be less than he was I think and that was really to their own detriment they reference Mr. Perfect having a salty past.
0: I like that. And then Bobby Heenan's like, yeah, salt, pepper, Tabasco.
1: <laughs> You're making me hungry now, Heenan, seriously. i a Bloody
0: Mary out of him, I yeah. like it. <laughs> Need some Worcester sauce.
1: Does anyone else have a big thing for Mr. Perfect's spin? He adds a little bit of English to every bump he takes. Mm.
2: A little he lands, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a twist. The way he gets his legs kicked out from underneath him, he does that spot like no one else. There's a bit yeah. where just like four times in a row, he gets up, Brett kicks the leg out from under him, and he goes like and like does a big twisty spin like every yeah. time.
1: You got some top spots for us, Joe Graham.
0: Yes, my first top spot was Mr. Perfect shaking the ropes with Brett still on them, and then Brett just flying off and landing in some junk.
2: And that is actually my grunt of the match as well. Because Brett does a nice big... As he goes over as well. (laughs) Not much of a grunter, Brett. Like, it was really hard listening throughout these matches for some noises. But when they happen, they happen. They're there, like...
1: I kind of feel bad now to to pull the the wall away here and explain probably why you got that grunt. When they planned that spot earlier that was a clear railing and people in between the matches had put in a lot that such the junk that you mentioned yeah. that wasn't meant to be oh, there. No. So Brett Landry, you can see his leg goes right into that like kind of plastic box thing in there oh. and brett said in his book that he nearly broke his leg doing this because he didn't he he's flying off going oh that wasn't there before and then so oh. the grunge. i think is actually brett Jesus. thinking his leg is broken
3: oh. well
0: now we both feel terrible
1: <laughs> <laughs> top spot brett gets hurt top grunge. yeah when brett got really hurt it was really great <laughs> but yeah i think brett is uh he doesn't like grunts unless it's a legitimate a legitimate grievance with what's happening sort of <laughs>
0: My second top spot was when he had the ref leaping over both of them, while I think Brett had Mr. Perfect in the sharpshooter. Oh, it was and the
1: figure four, I think, yeah, because they were lying on the ground,
0: and then the ref just like like a deer leaps <laughs> over both of them. It's beautiful. <laughs> to what end? It. Just to get, to get it a better view, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay,
1: okay. I I love some of these bits here. There's a bit that Brett does in almost every match, and this I liken it to. You know when we talked about Mankind or Mick Foley, where he would run into the steps and he would be like, well. You know, I wouldn't turn, I would go straight into them. Brett does the same with the turnbuckle because you know when people get yes. thrown into the corner with his throat
0: mm. how does he do it without actually winding himself because he like gets his throat right on that turnbuckle Oh, so gross
1: he, it's the hands he puts the hands up to protect him
0: you can't even see it though it's no. so quick
1: he goes into it like he's been fired out of a cannon and also as well Brett one of the first big injuries he had in his career was in a match against uh, Dino Bravo who was a wrestler who was murdered by the mafia for uh, for encroaching in on their business they shot him like several dozen. Billy knew exactly how many times he was shot by the mafia it was like
2: 30 odd or something it was far too many times you've done the job already lads you're just wasting money here you're
1: making the Sopranos blush with this ridiculous over the top hit like you know but uh, yeah he in a match with Dino Bravo he was knocked off the railing as well knocked into the railing I should say and he broke his sternum the actual, the hmm. breastbone. That's
3: horrible.
1: Which he was like, straight away he thought he was going to die because he couldn't breathe because yeah. he was collapsed in. So Brett's still doing this bump all the time. Jesus. And yeah. that's pretty impressive, you know, that you'd got that injury before.
0: There's a moment where Mr. Perfect has Brett in a sleeper hold. Oh, yeah. And I love that Brett pulls his hair because it's the one thing that really bothers me often in wrestling when you have a wrestler in a sleeper hold and their arms are just limp by their sides. Mm. And come on, if you were being kind of choked like that you wouldn't just be sitting there you would be grabbing whatever you possibly can yeah you want to get out like yeah Yeah. and I love that he was pulling Mr Perfect's wild hair it's
1: really cool like there's just little things because I'd seen this match before and I thought this was a very good match but watching it back I just was laser focused in on these small details and yeah in that sleeper hole they do things yeah at the start like his hands are moving but how Brett gets to the ropes is you see he starts to go limp Mm. but as he kind of Becomes limp, he kind of collapses into the ropes. Mm. So it's like you have this idea in your head that like Brad, even when he's passing out, knows where he is in the ring, and that's the only reason why he was able to do it. Just the little things like, you know, the big spots in this match are like things like sleeper holes. Yeah, and stuff, you know, there's no no moonsaults or springboards, but I was on the edge of my seat for watching this yeah. one. Another real like well ahead of its time, but here, did you see the uh, the Night of special here, Joe? Uh, joint manipulation.
0: Yes. It was because Brett's fingers were already injured, so Mr. Perfect was focusing on the uh, the injured fingers, working them joints over.
1: Brett couldn't get in the you know the sharpshooter. You have to clasp the hands, of course. And as soon as he goes to do it, Perfect just starts pulling at the fingers, and he pulls back the fingers and pulls them apart like proper, exact way that like Pete Dunn and all that does. That, you know, every other match
2: now. It was really cool to see. I love that the, these two guys are such experts on showing how you can make a match go from being like. Great to excellent by doing little things like this that aren't going to tire you out. They're not going to expend any more energy. Like It's just simply paying attention to details, not letting a rest spot just be a rest, like making sure it looks like you're still in the moment. There's drama there. And that's not like it takes incredible talent or conditioning to do that. It's just they thought about this more than most wrestlers would.
1: Notice the crowd stop leaving, and the crowd actually really do get into this Mm -hmm. as the match progresses. They do a spot as well where they... Brett and Perfect Brett suplexes them but they, they both go to the outside so like mm. it's way over the, cra- again really big top crazy high spot there mm.
0: my third top spot is the finish of the match which I thought was really really cool where you have Mr. Perfect putting Brett in a small package and the rest going to go to the count but they shift weight just ever so slightly on like the two count i think it was yeah it was
1: amazing the so one
0: two shift weight onto the brett sh- onto mr perfect shoulders and then brett gets the pin of course how That's you so negotiate
1: good. such a small space while you're wrapped up like that with someone else's body weight he's
0: so nearly on the three count as well It's just mm. so tight and
1: the shoulders are perfectly down on both occasions oh, that was so cool i'd
0: love to see that like but take it to the extreme like rock back and forth like, one <laughs> two rock one two rock. <laughs>
2: literally what WWE 2K14 was for me <laughs> like, just, like 10 minutes of that uh... I- I've seen that spot done plenty of times where someone like reverse the roll up and it's normally quite a big movement but yeah. like you say this was a very small subtle little change a
3: couple of inches
2: to the point where you can almost forgive Mr Perfect because you're like oh he probably didn't even notice that yeah. he was being pinned because it was so tiny Like, I love the dynamic as well in this match
1: because you know, the first match we would have watched between these two would have been for the Mr. Perfect episode. If Mr. Perfect was the champ, he was the guy. Brett was the young up-and-comer who just left a tag team, he hadn't proven himself. Now Mr. Perfect's career is kind of, in its twilight years, they're making out. And Brett's already been champion, so the dynamic is shifted. Now Brett's kind of more the top guy and Perfect has something to prove to him. And just that little twist on it was a much different match to the one we've done prior. I fucking adored this. What did you think of it, Joe? I
0: loved this match. I gave it four stars out of five. Nice! It was just just a great, great match. Just really consistent. Like you said, it wasn't anything particular that was going to... You know, there's no moonsaults or 630s out of the ring or whatever. But it's just a really good, solid match. I really liked it. And it ended really nicely as well with Mr. Perfect offering a handshake again. And this time he actually goes for the handshake. Yay! A nice happy ending to the story.
1: And then he whispered in his ear, your dad was always the better dad.
0: <laughs>
2: That's what I like the most about this match is there was no story for it apart from that little the yep. start. It's mm. just a tournament match and I normally have a hard time buying into tournament matches because I need story. And literally all they had at the start was they said the thing about their dads and then Brett didn't shake his hand and somehow that actually made for a really captivating match, and they even wrapped up that tiny little yeah. story at the end of it as well. Like,
0: it's just such a well-crafted narrative. It's yeah. just really, mm-hmm. really good.
2: And it's it's funny because
1: you know they were trying really hard in the commentary to be like this isn't like what you're going to see anywhere else you could tell compared to listen to commentary from the Hogan era where they're so like they don't even have to mention the name of the company they know what you're watching they know you're you're glued to this but every two seconds like this is what the WWF's all about you know you're going to get this only in the WWF. this is where you get the real action WWF World Wrestling Federation the new generation It's all they were you know really really trying hard to get Please. this over yeah but of course, the other thing they were doing at that time as well, and something that Brett did that you know Hogan didn't really do as much, or a lot of the guys from the eighties, was that they were in- touring internationally way, way more. Touring India, Germany, you know, going to places like Kuwait, the Middle East, often for the first time ever. They were touring ad nauseum. They're touring everywhere around the world, and Brett, as a result, gained a very real international fan base, like from all over the world. And Brett, like loves the fact that he has not just American fans, but he has a connection with all these people in these different parts of the world and I think he took that very very seriously that he had that international fan base
0: yeah for sure it's definitely something that's very important to him in Wrestling with Shadows they show a clip of him going to India mm. and there's like a classroom full of like I must be nearly a hundred kids all just chanting for Brett and it's like almost got tears in his eyes like you can see how much it means to him it's
1: before there's the internet as well I think to, to be an international world reaching star in and that to, era
0: to be a hero as well that's what mm-hmm. he was to these kids he was a hero and I think he he loves that. isn't it is saying
1: something about a bygone era where like someone could like just be like that like be a hero and it's like hey you're a hero for people in America and you're a hero for people in Kuwait and and India, and Germany, and England,
2: like, all these people from these completely different walks of life. And the way he speaks about it, he says, like, it's such a privilege to be anyone's hero. Oh, like, it's Ned. such an important thing to him, I think, to be mm. a role model.
3: Yeah.
1: Brad. of course, around the time, he wins the belt back around WrestleMania ten, and he gets embroiled in a feud, which we talked a bit about during our own episode, which was him and his brother, Own Heart, and Own being the, the jealous younger brother. This is magical stuff, but... I was close to tears listening oh, to Brett about this. God,
0: same. There's a bit where he says, with tears in his eyes, he's talking about suplexing Owen off the cage,
3: mm.
0: and he says, you know, what was most important to him was that he knew he had to protect him, like not just from that suplex off the cage, but generally from the industry. And of course, he wasn't there when he died because he wasn't part of that company anymore at that point. It's heartbreaking. It's he, so sad. He
2: talks about it like it's a fond memory, like him having his hand on Owen's back and like holding him and yeah. being the one that is protecting him as they take this bump like shit like that's got to be so haunting for him Well, like he, like
1: he wanted to quit the company around this time own like around the wrestlemania nine time owned been you know floundering a bit here and there he'd went off to japan to try and get some more notoriety you know they tagged him with jim knightheart as the new heart foundation but you know it was he was really badly in Brett's shadow he's like look i'm not making enough money i've got you know two young kids my wife is no fan of wrestling you know I think I might just get it but he wanted to become a fireman
0: that's the thing that's like saddest of all is he wanted to become a fireman which is like legit a hero job like if you're a fireman you are a hero absolutely and like that's what he wanted to do is like commit the rest of his life to saving people's lives like
1: wow Brett wanted to do right by the family and you know I don't think it I think there's a part of it where it would have reflected, he thought, poorly on the family, the youngest. And in, fa- in fairness, everyone always said Owen was probably the most gifted athletically in, in many respects. You know, He was such a high flyer and an innovator that the youngest, the shining diamond of the Hart family, quits the wrestling business because yeah. he couldn't make it in the big time. I think there's a part of it that Brett wanted Owen to have a go of it so Owen could see what a big star he could be and mm. that the family could see what a big star that Owen could be.
0: It's just so sad that, like, Owen didn't really want that. No. He didn't care that much about being a huge, big name. He just wanted to help people and make people happy.
2: Honestly, yeah, he, he never, like, you never hear about Owen being like, oh, when am I going to get put in the main event? No, when am I going to get just, my shot? He, just, he couldn't yeah, give a fuck. He, just, he liked having a good time. He liked hanging out with his friends, and he loved his family. Like, yeah, you could tell from what a
1: tight-ass he was. All he wanted to do was save his money. Yeah. That was it, you know? And I think there are some long-term repercussions. The more I think about it, because we've talked about own, you know, on, on various guises and various formats, but looking at it here from Brett's perspective, at least as it pertains to Brett's career, again, like they did with, with the British Bulldog, bringing in the family stuff, you know, they're talking about how Stu and Helen didn't love Owen enough and, you know, Brett was always the favourite. I think, you know, that's grand for a wrestling storyline. You'd say that Brett's the favourite kid and all that, but when you've got, you know... Ten other disgruntled heart kids at home mm-hmm. going, yeah, Brett is the favourite kid. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. Where's Where's my shot? Where's my husband's shot, or whatever mm. it may be? And I think Owen and Brett had a real like. He tells stories in his book about him and Own travelling on the road together this time, and honestly, some of it is magical because Brett had made contacts from all over, you know, the wrestling world from touring so much in his early days. He tells a story about when they went to Hawaii. Brett had guys there who like took him out to a private, like, you know, hot spring pool in the middle of the jungle and brought them ice cold beer and KFC and him and Own just smoked weed and <laughs> swam around the pool and ate chicken and drank beer. And they were like, Amazing. he says, like, I remember sitting there going, this is it. We've made it. Like, li- this is as good as life can get for us. And, you know, they were at their happiest at this point mm. in time. But I think that those times weren't to last, unfortunately, for, for a variety of reasons one of the reasons why brett started getting um difficulty in his in his life in wrestling as he was the champion once again for a year carrying the the torch all the way up to wrestlemania 11 but he felt that he wasn't getting much appreciation because there was someone else on the horizon who was on the horizon?
0: A new sparkly boy toy.
1: Some sort of sexy boy. Mm. Not your boy toy.
0: <laughs> it's Shawn Michaels.
1: Yeah. Now, you think you've got a fucked up, damaged, father-like relationship with your boss, Vince McMahon? Wait till you see Shawn Michaels' fucked up, father-like relationship with him. You know, it's... It's again, it's just... How many times in this podcast show have we had wrestlers with, with daddy issues? It
0: feels like all of them. It feels like every single one.
1: <laughs> if you're a top guy... You have to think that Vince McMahon is your dad. Yeah. yeah. The only exception to this rule is if you're Triple H when he's your actual dad-in-law. <laughs> that's the only guy. Think about it. The yeah. only guy who's not had like, a, oh yeah, he was like my dad. Brett says it. Sean says it. Kurt
0: Angle. Kurt
1: does. Mick Foley. Yeah. Yeah. Cena. Yeah. You know, it just you could go on and on and on and on and on. I think it's so like just hey, I've got a new favorite. That's that's what that's how it all started. I think. Mm-hmm.
0: I think as well, part of it is—it's almost like startup culture of like you're part of the family, so we can take advantage of you. You know, <laughs> yeah. Vince benefits a lot by these young men thinking of him as a father-like figure because mm. it means he can push them and go, "Well, you know, if, if, you know, we've got this special relationship, you mm-hmm. and I, so you know, we can expect me to do that. You know, expect you to do certain different things better." Or, yeah, because we're so know, close. Yeah, we're exactly. so close.
1: I know you're on the road 350 days a year, but Pizza Friday, mm-hmm. you know, right? <laughs> and yeah, I mean. To hear him talk about him in this documentary, and this is before Sean and Brad had buried the hatchet, and they have since buried the hatchet, which I think is very, very nice that they were able to, given everything that happened. But yeah, he's no time for Shawn Michaels. And Sean's not in the documentary. You don't talk about Sean much in the documentary. And there's, it's sad to me because when Sean was first starting out, we talked about it in Sherry's episode. Sean, very nervous young man. And Brett, like, he thought that Sean was amazing. He thought, here's a guy who's really trying like me to change the style. They had the first ever ladder match in WWF together, you know, to try it on TV. He gave him, you know, he thought that he was like a mentor to him. They felt they helped each other out. And as soon as Sean comes for that top spot. Yeah. Is that, is that what, it, from your vantage point, Joe, because for, for me and Adam, like, we've seen so much of Sean and Brett. It's, it's like a maze in our heads. But is it as simple as Brett didn't want to give up his spot to Sean?
0: I mean, if you distill it down, that is what it basically is. But I think there is there is slightly more to it than that, which is that for most of Brett's career, he's been fighting to be given opportunities and to be taken seriously and to be seen as this sort of hero-like figure. And I think, you know, he says early on that he was fighting so hard for the old old farts to move over and give him a shot i think he still thinks of himself as the young up-and-comer like mm-hmm. the green young wrestler who's still not yet had his proper opportunity and i think because of that he's very protective of his status and where he's gotten to
1: you either die a young up-and-coming babyface, or you live long enough to become the old fart <laughs> <laughs>
2: He says something in the documentary, like words to the effect of that WWF wouldn't let him have his time in the spotlight because mm-hmm. they wanted to make Sean the top guy. So yeah, it's exactly like in Brett's head, he's not the old fart because he's not even had his moment yet. He's still waiting to really get the spotlight. And Vince
1: can go, well, you became champion, you know, months and months before WrestleMania 9. That's like nearly three years ago. But
0: then you've got Hulk Hogan, you've got someone <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. he's come after and you look at him and go, well, why why I'm a better wrestler than him why can't mm-hmm. I be given the same opportunities and
1: even when he was champion he was doing stuff like he they came up with the idea like Bob Backlund who was a wrestler from like the early 80s like pre Hogan you know pre Vince Jr and he's like hey why don't we do an angle where he comes back and he hates the new generation we I, I'll put him over you know he can win the belt and Brett let the old guy Bob Backlund to give him a, a moment in the sun he let him you know he he gave him a, a run with the belts I don't think a lot many wrestlers would be lining up no. to let say, "Hey, I'm going to do this," and let like, you know. I think Brett was a bit too giving in many senses mm. to the point then that when they took, they just assumed he'd be okay with it. Yeah,
0: And I think part of it as well is that you can tell immediately that Sean is something special. Like right from the early days of Sean's career, mm. you can tell he's a very gifted wrestler. And I think for someone like Brett, who has his certain style, but it's not a showy style. And here comes Shawn Michaels, young, sexy, totally showy off wrestling style, which is really like, comes across as a bit arrogant, I think, in yeah. some ways. And I think it's easy for someone like Brett to kind of look at that and go, well, you know, who are you to come along here and just sort of take my crown?
2: Mm. With your attitudes.
3: Yeah.
1: He said he didn't agree with like a lot of Shawn's approach. Mm. And he, he would always, and we talked about it on our Scott Hall episodes, about the idea of you know the click and Sean being one of these guys who was talking to his opponents and you know Kevin Nash and Diesel and Triple H and them all chatting kind of saying well how much did you get paid mm. I got paid fifteen grand well that's bullshit I was in the match with you I got paid forty grand we should go talk to Vince Brett said he didn't like that
3: Ooh. didn't like Aye. didn't like the
1: politics in you know that these guys were all kind of working for each other and all that you and Buster Brett I mean you know it, the thing about it though is that you know Brett you had your you had your crew. Yeah. yeah. You know? the
0: whole family Literally. Literally,
1: I think it's easy to point fingers at, at that kind of behaviour. I think the reality was that he just didn't like him. He didn't like what he represented. And what he represented was that your time is over and yeah. there's someone new coming. He
0: was intimidated by him. And I'm not surprised.
1: I mean, he is very, very intimidating, Shawn Michaels. But Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Because as, you know... As lacking in confidence as uh, Brett May have seemed to be at times with regards to this, Shawn Michaels really, really struggles once he took the crown from Brett. It's a, it's a whole episode, you know, w- with Shawn in in the works, honestly. And when we talk about this match here, you know, the Iron Man match that they had, that's something which I am going to say for the Shawn Michaels episode because I feel it's so important to Shawn Michaels' career. But I think it, it says a lot, you know, that match that Brett just kind of comes out. Here I am, it's me, Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels comes down to the Zip cord from the top mm-hmm. of the arena. Look at him; he's so much better. Real kind of sad moments is when Brett is talking about the build-up to the match, and his he thought there was a bit of conspiracy. Did you, did you get any of this, Joe? No. About the footage that they got. Oh,
0: oh God, yes. Oh, it's really sad. Um, so. <laughs> for Sean they had all this footage of him like running up and down the arena steps like in Rocky like him punching a punching bag you do like, like
1: switching music yeah. to all these like, yeah. punching bags that look so cool cool
0: workout yeah. like, he looks so <laughs> impressive so energetic so kind of young and up and coming and then the footage of Brett. Now he didn't honestly I didn't think it looked that bad. I didn't. In, until he said, Oh yeah, I looked awful. He's running on snow, and so he's has to run quite slowly because else he'll slip on the ice. And he says, Yeah, I was running like an 80-year-old on the snow, and then they showed a clip of me being beaten up by my 80-year-old dad. And it's oh. like him like looking sad as <laughs> this, this
1: stew, like as like drooling, like fucking stretching them just to the fuck.
0: I felt so sorry for
1: him. Maybe Stu could take on Shawn instead, like. <laughs> now there are many feathers in the heavy cap of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart's mutual disdain for each other. One of the big moments comes. At the end of this 60-minute Iron Man match, do you know what the Iron Man match is meant to be usually, Joe? The rules of an Iron Man match? Remind me. Is that it's how many falls you can get, like how many victories you can pick up. Within the time
2: limits,
0: and it's an hour or thirty minutes. It's
2: or? usually meant to be an hour. Nowadays, there's been a few on NXT that have been thirty-minute ones, but it's meant to be. The whole point of it is, it's an hour-long match. Right. Yeah. So
1: you can be like the the, the, the Iron Person, the, the Iron Man who can last sixty minutes and go the whole match. And the whole story of this match that they had was that they went sixty minutes and they went to a draw because neither man could put the other one away. And Brett thought that that was meant to make Sean out that he you know that he was better than Brett because Brett couldn't beat him. In that time frame. <laughs>
0: That's such a warped way of thinking Honestly. about
2: it.
1: Yeah. The key man, this is 2005 viewpoint from it's Brett as well. Glass mm.
0: half empty, really. Yeah, yeah,
1: very much so. It goes to overtime. They do sudden death. They have to like, do thing where Brett's like goaded into going back in. And then Sean beats him immediately with Sweet Shein Music. And he wins. Now, Brett had been champion for around a year. Uh, on and off. He'd lost it here and there. But he'd been champion for a long time. This is a passing of the torch. So Brett came in the ring. He wanted to do the handshake give him the belt raise the arm whatever the the passing of the torch Brett's in the ring Sean gets the belt and you can see Sean turn to the referee and he says tell him to get the fuck out of the ring oh dear so he didn't want him in there while Sean had his moment yep posing
0: that's uh Oh, that's really tricky, because I can see where Sean's coming from, but also I see exactly where Brett's coming from. So Mm -hmm. they decided beforehand, did they agree beforehand? I don't think
1: there was an agreement, it was just an assumption. Then
0: I'm kind of Team Sean.
1: If if you're the champion, it's up to you how you want to celebrate, I guess, but still,
2: like... But it was how quick Sean was like, get him out of here. It wasn't like Brett had been wandering around for three minutes, hogging up the limelight or anything. It was literally Sean was like get him gone now. Oh, yeah, like.
1: God. Like, him being here doesn't work for me oh, at all. It was, it was
2: very precious of him, I think.
0: I wanted to ask you both if you think there's any symbolism in Shawn Michaels' gimmick being the heartbreak kid, considering Bret Hart's gimmick being, you know, the heart foundation. Yeah. You know, even the iconography is quite similar. You know, Bret says the heart, Shawn Michaels is the broken heart.
2: That's very true. I would literally never considered that before yeah. it literally never occurred to I me mean, I mean
0: I can't I can't
1: recall many instances I mean talk to us when we finished our current season I guess we might be able to tell you but I can't think of any instances so far where Sean has been like I'm the heartbreak kid and I'm going to break you Bret
2: Hart like you know that's that's an obvious that line have been right it would
0: really clumsy though if they had done that
2: no, that's the kind of thing I reckon you'll have seen written on a sign in 1997 <laughs> but I don't think one of them would have said it
1: it was on the other side of that Sean Michaels can die sign no. that we all to see but I mean here's the problem with Brett Brett's told look Sean's gonna have the belt it's his time now give him a year you have the rematch Wrestlemania 13 and then we will uh we'll, we'll have you pick up your victory over Sean and then we, we can build to like a, a third match you cool. know
2: awesome
3: that sounds, sounds good. good yeah sounds easy
1: now without spoiling too much of a Shawn Michaels episode um as we all, have often said about Shawn Michaels a lot of personal and emotional problems around the time Sean ends up vacating the belt before he has a chance to To wrestle Brett for it At at Wrestlemania Damn it So Here's how it comes down to it Sean says that he has to go home And he can't do it He's got an injury Also that he's having emotional problems Etc etc at the time Brett thinks Oh You don't want to lose to me now Uh. Now it's my turn
0: Hmm. You can see
1: now that this, where this toxicity is bubbling through mm-hmm.
0: now. And I can't help but picture Vince McMahon whispering into each of their ears, sort of giving them ideas and going... Oh,
2: oh you, have no idea, you have
1: no idea, Joe. have no idea. Give her some of the tastes of it, like from the Slammys and I, stuff. Yeah,
2: doing this 97 look at I the minute, mean, I've been disgusted at how much they are stirring the pot on this. They had the Slammy Awards in 1997 where they kept giving Shawn Michaels awards, and they were kept putting him in situations where Shawn and Bret would be there together. Like, they won the match of the year, Slammy, for that WrestleMania match, and they have them both stood on stage, and they give Shawn a live mic, and he obviously twists the knife, but they... Keep putting them in these situations where it's very much like they are manufacturing them having tension between. Vince them, is like, literally going, oh oh, 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 did you hear
0: what he said about literally, your dad? Like, oh,
2: that was a bit inflammatory of the heartbreak kid there. Like he loves it and he thinks it's brilliant television. And, yeah, there's a way of doing it where you could show, have this kind of brilliant TV but maybe have a little chat with the lads backstage, get them all together in a room and sort out this personal beef first. But they like... were chatting.
1: But the problem was, is I think, that when they were chatting together, when they were chatting separately, there were problems. Because, there's, you know, we see in Wrestling With Shadows Brad being, like, really confused because he's like, I don't understand, Sean's really upset with me because... I was told to say all this stuff about him in a promo like talk about him being in Playgirl him being a bad influence and a bad role model and piercing his navel and dancing around like I could care less really about you know what Sean does with his personal life but he said hey come at me with this and then Sean gets upset and then comes out and does a promo next week where he's like you're cheating on your wife Mm. on national TV and Brett's like why did you do that and there was just no trust there I think and how can you have like Yes, it is great in wrestling when two people you can tell don't really like each other, go on, have a great match. I, lo- I That is cool. You know, when they don't really like each other and they kind of twist the knife a little like these guys, you know that Daniel Bryan thinks that John Cena's form of wrestling is inferior, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but there's a way of doing that where it's all fun. They're all going to go and eat dinner and, you know, stately Downing Street Manor where John Cena's recreating every episode of Downton Abbey.
2: But it's another thing where it's like, oh, why don't you say something about his cheating on his wife? Go now, go wrestle. And that's it. Like, it, you, I personally, with all this bitterness and nastiness that happens between the two of them, I don't point the finger at either of them because I think, as an employer, it's Vince's responsibility. Yeah. It's so well known the issues that are happening here. Something's got to be sorted out, and it never gets resolved or sorted. They just no, it's carry made on. They worse. carry on stoking the flames and twisting the knife and making it worse and worse and worse until the whole thing blows up. Like, and it'd be
1: one thing as well, Joe, if it was building towards an awesome match that we finally get to have. Because it's like, well, you know, we're poking them a little bit. and There's a lot of tension, but we're getting great matches. You know, the ma- match they're meant to have gets delayed. They're meant to have it again afterwards. The King of the Ring It doesn't happen either. The next time they wrestle after this WrestleMania 12 match is. The screw job a survivor yeah. series.
0: It wasn't even like a proper feud no. Or no,
1: The the fight that they had happened behind the scenes. They fought each other in the backstage brawl and he ripped yeah. out a load of Sean's
2: hair. Oh
0: my god. They physically fought each
2: other. You had things like Shawn Michael's being in tears going to Vince McMahon and saying stuff like I can't work with him anymore. Like it's it's genuinely like hostile the office like inflicted this emotional trauma and arguments on these guys when it could have been resolved i i don't think it would have been easy to resolve it necessarily it could but have been though it could yeah. have you could have come to some sort of resolution other than this and
1: it's poisonous for the locker room as well because you've got half the locker room kind of going well why has Brett been treated this way? Brett's been here, he's held, he you know he's gotten the company through the real the dark times. And when we're getting into 96, 97, things are picking up a little bit at least. Mm. At least the the show's got some teeth to it now and it's not being viewed as being crappy wrestling or you know below par. And people are feeling like, oh Brett's being disrespected here. Then at the same time you got Sean who's got a whole clique of guys going, Oh don't worry, you know, you're you're in the right, absolutely. Mm. What he's he's the one who's got a problem. He's bitter is what the problem is. And I kind of feel it's been manufactured to make both guys come across as the worst versions of themselves to each other.
0: And making them both feel so insecure in their positions as well. Because you've got Sean, who is quite new to the industry, new to the company.
1: And he had to leave when he became champion because it was too much for him. Yeah. Why would you, when he comes back, be like, oh, you and Brett, you and Brett? The guy yeah. who,
0: you know, famously suffered from anxiety yeah. and was very, very, very anxious before matches and stuff like that. And you've got Brett, who feels insecure because he's getting older. He's, you know, not, not what's cool anymore. And it's just feeding on both of them and just stirring that pot around and around.
1: And just bad Shawn Michaels as well. Sherry's not even there to give him a glove to rub on his face, like you know. It's 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 a really sad situation. I went through phases of my life. Like at the start, before I knew really much about Brad, I was like, "Fuck Brad, he's an asshole." Shawn Michaels is cool, you know. Brad, Brad just wasn't cool like Shawn Michaels. He didn't understand man. And then I was like, "Oh no, Brad Hart's totally in the right." Shawn Michaels is a fucking snake. Him and Vince and Triple H, all those snaky bastards, fuck him. And then the reality is, is like, no, here are two guys who are understandably so, maybe not rightly so, but understandably so, have egos, mm-hmm. and are quite fragile about those, given the circumstances of them getting to their respective top spaces, and they've been pitted against each other, by Vince McMahon yeah Vince McMahon
0: is the real enemy of all of this
1: yeah absolutely if this was a summer kind of movie this is where like Sean and Brett in the end their two crews would join up together to take on Vince to dunk Vince like you know (laughs) hit him with a pie or something like that you know and save spring break so Brett does go away for a little bit around this time as well and he goes away to do some lonesome dove filming he has negotiated publicly a new contract with the WWF a bit of an odd one, this. They can't afford to pay him big bucks up front. WCW are offering him like $3 million for two years or something. So did you pick up what Brett's new contract was going to be?
0: So yeah, the WWF come to him and they're like, well, we'll give you a choice. Um, you can take a 20-year contract with us and it'll be for less money or you can do a shorter contract, is this right, with WCW?
1: Yeah, so it would be, I mean, it will be less money up front. You won't make as much money in 1996 to 1997. Yeah. But you're going to be employed. Think about it. If that contract went, Brett would have been employed until three years ago. Yeah. Non-stop.
0: Imagine. He could have probably done it as well.
1: Yeah, and he would have made, like, ten... Like, from the contract, he would have made millions upon millions upon millions films. Yeah. And it would have included in that contract, transitioned him away from wrestling into a mm-hmm. uh, behind-the-scenes or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. So, yeah, but they made a mistake, I think, in the fact that they did this as, as part of a storyline. What? Yeah, they had, like... Where, and when Brett was coming back after his, his time away, they are like, Where's Bret Hart going to go? Is he going to go to WCW? And they want him there, folks. Is he? And he'd come and go, I'm happy to say... That I've signed with the WWF and they have been going, All oh, right, yeah! <laughs> and I'm going to be in the W. literally says, I'm going to be in the WWF forever. I mean, mm. twenty years
0: is basically forever.
1: basically they'll be here forever.
0: Because he thought he was going to be what the Babe Ruth of wrestling, yeah. Which he could have been. He could have been. he have done that really, really well. Has
1: there ever been? I was going to say a poisoned chalice, but I don't think anyone's ever actually received it. But Vince McMahon has always wanted to make someone the Babe Ruth of wrestling: mm. Hogan, Cena, Brett Austin, Roman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's probably going to be it, I guess, at some point. But yeah, it was bad because he had Brett saying, "I'm not greedy for money.
2: I'm greedy for respect."
1: So Brett is, yeah, he, he's not about money, folks. He's about
2: respect. Money will never be an issue for him.
0: I think the saddest thing about the whole contract decision that Brett had to make, though, was that he goes with the 20-year contract because he says that he values, above all, loyalty and that he wants to be loyal to the company that he's worked for for so many years and he wants to continue to work for them long into the future which considering how this all ends up is like the saddest reason to give Mm -hmm. for committing to stay with a company for 20 years.
1: And you know this little break we mentioned here, that was the first time Brett had any time off in 12 years. He, He signed in 84, 12 years. Like there's a recurring thing in Brett's book where he will use this like kind of recurring phrase of some and then blank. To the, he had such a miserable time sometimes it felt like some
0: life some birthday there,
1: some push some main event some ber- some birthdays. That's an interesting one because uh, this is great because you know the sad birthdays uh you know i don't know if you're getting anxiety about your birthday adam do you everyone gets it to an extent do you know the circumstances of breaths some birthday
0: i remember some bits I remember he had had his knee operation, so he was in a wheelchair.
1: Yeah, he had a. He was on crutches.
0: He was on so crutches. He had to have
1: his knee scoped, I believe. So yeah, he was on. Right. He was on crutches for a couple of weeks, and he thought at the same time as well, he would save a bit of time and get his wisdom teeth taken out as well. That was it. Okay. So he had four wisdom teeth removed. He was on crutches and he had one of his many blow up arguments with his wife uh, mm. on the day of his birthday and she took the kids away and drove off and she she wouldn't even speak to him she wouldn't even look at him like just took the kids and drove off and like, the kids just waving goodbye and he's there standing there on crutches I couldn't even open my mouth and I just thought some birthday
0: oh, my God imagine how stressful it would be having an argument with someone when you've had your wisdom teeth removed Honestly. I had my wisdom Mate. teeth removed I was miserable I could barely speak all I could really do was cry yeah
1: the close thing we had to an argument was what type of goo do you want <laughs> 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 do you want peanut or brown <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, Brett, 12 years, not a single like day off for holiday or anything like that. You know, the closest things he gets to time off is when he's traveled somewhere, he might get get a bit of a day. I did like that Brett always made a point when he was saying when he was traveling, he always wanted to, to see the world and all that, and... When he was champion, this was such a cool thing. When they like did things like they toured Israel when he was champion, he went out. And he he he, out of his own pocket, arranged for like history tours, so everyone got a chance to learn about the history of the area no and get tour guides. He would always get like local experts, experts to you know anyone who was interested in the kind of history of the place. He would always go and make sure he took in all the culture and spent an extra day there. I think that was really cool. Like you hear about wrestlers saying like, "Oh, I've been to all these countries, but I've never seen outside a hotel room." Yeah. yeah. But yes, Brett has come back now after his little break, long earned after 12 years at the fucking grindstone. And he comes back. And who is there taking the World Wrestling Federation by storm but a young ornery, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So our next match is taking place from Survivor Series ninety ninety six. As Brett the Hitman Hart takes on an emergent, stone cold Steve Austin. Now, were you excited to see young, slightly higher pitched Steve Austin in action, Joe?
0: I always love seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin in his younger days, because he looks so different mm-hmm. to like how my mental image of Stone Cold is in my head. He's so young and handsome and his skin is so smooth and clear. <laughs> Seriously, what's his routine? Cause I have to know.
1: Whatever it is, he's not doing it now, like, no. you know. I ain't got no twenty-one step Korean skincare routine. I got myself a twenty-one step Korean beer routine.
2: <laughs> I tell you the most handsome thing about young Steve Austin is before his goatee joined up. Yeah. He had the mustache Ooh. and the little the patch. Little beard, and, oh, yeah. I think that's so cool looking. I
0: totally agree. Yeah. Billy
2: rocked that for a while, didn't he? Did he? <laughs>
0: sorry he did oh
1: so yeah austin here is meant to be the through and through nasty villain who's here to be the foil for the returning hero bret hart uh, vince mcmahon says that any cheers that you will hear tonight for this villainous steve austin are
2: due to an appreciation for his athleticism quite frankly Oh, what, so did the audience all speak to you about that beforehand, yeah. did they? And make it clear that's what they're cheering for. Mm-hmm. Did you get the vibe that things were changing a little bit
1: here in this match?
0: It felt more edgy, yeah. You have a few more people in the crowd now with like the deeper voices going... <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> well, a few some, more signs.
1: Some English people drop a glass, is that it? Like, yeah. What so yeah, Austin in this match is not wrestling as you, you would typically expect him. He's like just
2: blatant chokes, real rule-breaking stuff, yeah. Complete heel, Stone cold. And he is, for the most part, booed, but I know what you mean. There are like little pockets of the crowd that are into it. And Vince very much being like, oh, oh, oh they must be uh, ironically cheering for this man. Ladies <laughs> don't, don't listen to them, ladies and gentlemen, please. <laughs> they don't
1: know what they're doing yet with, with the Steve Austin nah.
2: character. No,
0: they don't quite understand it. Uh, Stone Cold puts Brett or tries to put Brett in a sharpshooter, and we have this really sort of chilling line from Vince then, where he says, "Just imagine if he won by doing the sharpshooter to Brett." And Vince comes up with a plan.
1: Oh shit! <laughs> Wait,
0: one year to the day. Exactly one year. <laughs> yeah. Ah, maybe
1: we'll lose. <laughs> well uh, just so we know, the sharpshooter—a uh, little bit of an urban legend. They used to say on commentary, the sharpshooter, that was the move that Stu Hart had taught to Brett. That was like the, no one could reverse the sharpshooter. It was like the ultimate, ultimate move, the best submission, and Stu taught him that. Uh, The reality is, Pat Patterson went up to him one day and went, Have you seen Sting in WCW? Yeah. Can you do his finisher? Yeah. And that's how he started doing it. I really? the same finisher. Oh. Yeah, Scorpion Deathfuck is Sting's
2: finisher.
0: Oh my God.
2: I should have probably nicked off someone from Japan anyway, didn't yeah, they? That's <laughs> No harm in nicking finishers. I think, like, there's only yeah. so many moves you can have a finisher. But to nick the story that your dad invented yeah. it and handed it down as the perfect move. I love of, it. Like... I, I will
1: say, though, Sharpshooter is a great name. Like, the Hitman is such a, like, I, you say it so often, you forget that that is, like, you know, Sharpshooter, Hitman, mm-hmm. excellence of execution. Mm. An Agent Forty Seven type situation, but with Bret Hart, you know, we have to go down and execute, execute all of your wrestling opponents.
0: I do find the hitman gimmick a bit strange for Bret. Yeah. Because he's not anything like a hitman, really. Got no. no.
2: Got
1: no barcode. Got no red tie. No. Uh,
2: I, I think, like, when you really like try and stretch and give it some extra thought, I think what it is is like he's almost, like, surgical precision. Like, he's so excellent. And, like, you know, the sort of, when you think of a professional hitman that Mm -hmm. just gets in, one shot, gets out again. I think that's kind of what they're getting at.
1: Like, John Cena, when he's executing someone, didn't get all of it, has
2: to reload. (laughs) (laughs) But then the actual sort of, like, idea of him being, like, I'm someone that kills people for money. Like yeah. that, that part doesn't fit the character at no, all. He's supposed to
0: be a hero.
2: Yeah. He
1: named it after a boxer, as far as I,
2: as far yes. as I know. Yeah.
1: And uh, then there was the Hitmen, which was the Calgary Junior Hockey Team that he he bought the franchise, right, and lent the moniker of the Hitmen to him, which was which was kind of sweet. Cool. I do think the most telling thing about it being a changing landscape was the the crowd when they chanted for Brett.
0: Yes, there's a lot of that.
1: But you hear the noise.
0: Let's go, Brett. Let's go
3: let's go see that. You know, it it
1: had that like the the audience was splitting. Like there was a almost the audience who maybe didn't want to cheer for Brett anymore. They preferred something else. I don't know. Joe, what were your top spots in this one?
0: My first top spot was Stone Cold just straight up choking Brett for like four counts. (laughs) My second top spot is uh, Brett being slingshot into Hugo Sanovic, I think it was
1: oh the Spanish announcer yeah he, goes. <laughs> he landed on probably the comfiest announcer that was at ringside in fairness you know I, I wouldn't <laughs> mind landing into all the Hugo it seems like a safe pair of arms
0: poor Hugo Aww. my third top spot is Austin's really over the top selling for Brett's punches
1: oh I love that it was gr- like did you notice in this match the first probably ten minutes of it it was Austin punched Brett Lott's and then Brett fell to the ground. And then the comeback was Brett punched Austin lots, and then Austin fell to the ground. And the crowd were electric. This is one of the few times where I went back and I watched the match and I was like, you wouldn't get that reaction these days. No mm. way.
2: You'd have to do more.
1: Like it's so funny that like the big, big, big spot in the match is when Brett does the kind of the 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 hot the, the hot shot, the kind of stun gun move where he drops Austin onto the ropes. He does that back to Austin after Austin did it to him earlier in the match. It's a match of like two halves, and they take like seven or eight minutes to tell both of those halves. It's a really slow, simple story. Mm. And again, I don't think you'd see that these days. Did how, I mean, how was the match for you? I mean, like...
0: I liked it. I didn't love it. Mm. it. It felt a bit long, to be honest. Right. But I gave it three and a half stars out of five. It, it was fine.
1: Yeah. Interesting. This was like a very, very uh, highly requested match. And, of course, the other match he had with Austin, the very, very famous one, happens at WrestleMania... 13 which is the one where austin is in the pool of blood where i'm not sure if when we did the steve austin episode because it was like our second or third episode i think i'm not sure if that the weight of that or what was happening in that match was maybe fully kind of no. apparent at the time yeah so i guess they, they kind of they take what happens here then they run with it which is that people are cheering for steve austin now and they're not cheering for brett
0: yeah America starts to become a bit of a heel audience. And I don't know, something happens culturally, and I wanted to ask you both what you thought caused this massive attitude shift. So you're saying culturally,
1: so can you maybe expand that a little bit? Like, what is actually happening in terms of the the reactions with Brett?
0: Like, around this time, generally, society becomes more edgy. It's all about, like trying to be a bit offensive, trying to be alternative, counterculture becomes mainstream. So we're talking
1: like 96, 97 around yeah, that time. About yeah, about that
0: time, and it continues till about 2003, but mm. this is definitely the start of it. What happened? Like, what, what caused this shift? Was it like one thing in particular, or was it a multitude of things like the start of like grunge music becoming like more mainstream?
1: Mm. I mean, it's you're definitely talking about a point in time where it's like, you know, a year after this, you're into the actual era, good and proper. But you're talking about now a time where WWF starts to kind of go, well, maybe we can be a little bit
0: edgy. to me, Stone Cold Steve Austin is, like, one of the main representatives of this era, Mm. just generally, culturally. Even before I was a wrestling fan, I associated very much with, like, people like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. But he came along slightly later than this actually started happening, Mm -hmm. so...
2: I'd say it was it was a lot of things like the 90s in general was edgy. It wasn't like it was just wrestling. It was stuff like South Park, music had gotten edgier, movies, films like yeah. Tarantino movies mm. were like the big thing. And I looked into this a little while ago because it's a weird thing that like the whole media can suddenly get edgy for some reason. You think there must be one big event that inspired that or something. Because you but...
1: can't just go, "Oh, Russo was writing the TV show," because you know even Russo would admit he was getting half of his ideas from Jerry yeah, Springer, exactly. and that didn't just come out of nowhere. It was culture
2: know? in general. And I've seen people theorize that because the '80s was such a vibrant, glitzy, everyone wanted everything to be glamorous and look how clean and like well perfected this is. The 90s was supposedly a response to that, whereas now we're going further in the opposite direction. We don't like that anymore. Now we want to step out and go with a little bit more edge, mm. a little bit more darkness, and that's why you've got things like MTV programming coming out. I don't know. I don't think it's an easy question to answer, but I, I bet there's going to be some good reading out there on the subject. With, with regards
1: to wrestling, the short
2: answer is... ECW, I really
0: think, yeah. with regards mm-hmm.
1: to WWF, because they were doing this in like 93, 94, ah, you know, so using ahead of it's time, you know, like literally Brett was the first person to go through a table in WWF and he got the idea, you know, it was ECW, like, you know, the, the idea was filtered down. Probably, you know, Heyman met with Vince and, you know, he'd sell that Sabu had done that. And, you know, these things kind of take time to filter through. Heyman was on the payroll, as we talked about in our, in our Heyman and ECW episodes. But yeah, you talked about the glitzy presentation, you look at the old WrestleManias where we were, it's, It starts off with the all the nice lasers and the bang, mm-hmm. and Vince going, Welcome everyone! You look at the shows here in the you 97, know, you start off with you know Steve Austin walking through a run-down derelict warehouse with explosions <laughs> of dogs going, hur, 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 hur. like you know, the star the promo for this match is Steve Austin going, Pink Tats. What the hell does that mean, Brad? I ain't no sexy boy. I don't dance, son. Like, just disavowing this idea that, you know, having a good time and being bright and vibrant was anyway acceptable. That's not what is cool now, you know? And once everyone thinks something is cool, it's a race to the bottom to see who can be the fucking coolest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, they were... Still technically not in the Attitude Era at this time, but you had stuff like, you know, Bret Hart now getting frustrated. And yeah, we're talking about, we're going around this long way route of talking about it, but you said it's the American fans that are doing this.
0: Yeah, because Bret would travel across the world, and it's only the American fans that would, like, hate his character... Because it wasn't like he was saying, oh, boo, I hate America. America's the worst or anything. He was just talking about how much he loved Canada and how they had healthcare and how they had like gun control, like very basic stuff that like most people could get behind. But America hated that.
1: I loved like how they pivoted so slightly from you know it started off being like I haven't gone away for a few months and you come back and you're, you're cheering Steve Austin people getting hit with chairs you know it's all kinds of you know really like, over oh, you know, mankind was a character I see a lot more violent wrestling he's like you know this this company has changed and he pivoted that from like what's wrong with the company to what's wrong with the fans mm-hmm. to what's wrong with America yeah. cuz yeah you cheer me in Canada and the, the, the promos that he would do around this time. I
0: love them. I think they would age. Like, if they did that today, it would be so perfect. Mm. It, like, hasn't aged at all. It
1: reminds me a little bit of you know Daniel Bryan what he was yep. doing in 2018 yes. yeah
0: absolutely yeah
1: where we're putting one section of society against another you know I don't want to say America is the flat earthers in this analogy <laughs> 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 but I mean you know uh, we can talk right now because I think this might be our last point of hunk watch but Brett here this is like hunkiest Brett right? hunk yeah
0: oh my absolutely God. epitome of the hunk
1: and his promos are the best as well. This is when yeah. Brad finally comes into his own. He's not stumbling mm-hmm. over his words. Nah. When he says, like, Canada's a country where we still have health care. Boo! <laughs> you
3: know, we don't have
1: racial prejudice. Boom. We we've got gun control. We don't kill each other all the time. Easy
2: E.C. Dup! 22 years of progress we've made since then, so...
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought that was, like... I mean, it's, it's so good. And to think, you know... All the years, and we know Survivor Series '97. It's our next talking point here, and we're kind of dancing on the edge. But I think it's worth bearing in mind. Brett says in the documentary, you know, he gets teamed up with the Hart Foundation again, and it's Bulldog, it's Jim Neidhart, it's Owen. they bring in Brian Pillman, who was also in Stampede Wrestling. And it's like his best mates, and your job is you're all best mates together, and you Brett, you don't have to wrestle that much. You can just talk don't about Brett, how-,
0: how much you love your country. Now it's great.
1: He said it was '97 before what happened happened was the best year of his life yeah, in wrestling because yeah. it was so much fun. And like, I hate to be the Debbie Downer about it and all that jazz, but he's the only surviving member of the Heart Foundation now.
0: Oh, that's so sad.
1: It's really sad, you know. And that's gotta that's gotta affect you. That's gotta make those memories a
2: bit hard. Like, he's not already haunted by enough things as it is. Yeah. Like, I feel so sorry for Brett. He has had so many hardships.
1: I mean, obviously, every wrestler who wrestled during the 80s and 90s, and even most of the you know, early 90s, you're going to know a lot of your yeah. compatriots who have died. But I don't know if there's anyone who's had so many people so close to him. Mm-hmm. Now, these aren't just wrestling friends. No. It's your brother-in-law, your other brother-in-law,
2: your brother. Your yeah. family. Oh, they
1: did a storyline to get... on you know, Owen and Brett hated each other, Joe. They did a storyline where Brett came out, and he's like... Why are we Why are we always fighting? It's just American wrestling fans. They love to see brothers fighting against brothers because that's what they do in America. Owen, I love you, You're my brother. And like owns, they start bawling, crying. It's amazing. They they hug like because owns like ashamed that he he ever fought his brother. And oh, it's it's to see all that happen. I mean, it's it's. I know we're bringing in personal stuff into wrestling, but fucking hell, man, that shit made me cry when I watched it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so much. So yeah. It's coming up to a head. Bret and the Hart Foundation are running roughshod over the World Wrestling Federation and hating on America. And there's a big pay-per-view coming up. And it's going to be in Montreal for Survivor Series. But unfortunately, Vince McMahon has come to Brett with some bad news about their contract. So we have some issues coming into this pay-per-view in Montreal. Least of which is the 20-year contract. How does this uh, kind of come about? I mean, you've, you've watched now a lot of information about this, Joe, so you're less tainted by the litany of conspiracy theories and over-analysis that Adam and I probably have come across over the years. So what was your understanding of what happened with the contract and all that?
0: Well, they didn't really talk about it in Best There Is, Was, Ever Will Be. They
1: flat-out refused. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: they just completely brushed over it. But in Wrestling With Shadows, it seems to go like this. Vince comes to Brett and says... Look pal, I've got some bad news We can't afford to hire you For 20 years like we said we would So he basically gives him a chance to go talk to WCW, talk to Ted Turner and get something similar to the offer that he was given when he first signed his 20 year contract with the WWF.
1: Which I think is really funny. Cause he was like, I couldn't believe they're asking me to do this because how can I go back to WCW and expect to get the same money after I've publicly negotiated with Vince and yeah, denied a storyline. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Eric Bischoff was like, yeah, cool. How much do you want? Yeah, literally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Blank but, check. but yeah, that's the general idea is that Vince came to him and said, look, we can't afford you. Here's your chance to get out now and get some good money elsewhere, you know. You you can leave on your terms. We'll even put it in your contract that you have an element of creative control in your last 30 days. And, you know, we'll go from there.
1: I mean, the fact that you have that much now is like what I lacked for probably around 20 years as a fan, it felt like. The fact that Vince said to Brett, go negotiate with WCW. I can't afford you here. You You might as well go make yourself some money. That was always, like, Brett had been... Vince wanted him to stay, but yep. Brett was just had to go for the big money, didn't he? Like, what the fuck? That's the narrative
2: I had for years. Yeah, so literally, wrong. Like, It's totally wrong. Brett just wanted to go to WCW, and they, they couldn't get him to stay, so they had to take the belt off him because there was no other way around it. Like. And Vince is such a snake about this.
0: It's so interesting as well because they... The documentary team in Wrestling with Shadows are following him around at home when he gets this call from Vince... Brett talks to his wife, Julie, about it. And he says, you know, what do you think about this? Do you, do you think I should go for it? You know, what do you think's going on? And she immediately, she can sniff the bullshit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I, I don't believe at all that they can't afford you. Yeah, he's in dire financial straits. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, the thing is that everyone other than Brett was on a smaller contract back then. And like once 98 came around and they got a bit, big bit of money, I always wondered if this is what, late 97, been saying, I haven't got enough money. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, when there's word of Raw going to get cancelled in early 1998, Mike Tyson appears. Yep. Oh, and you need to He's some... awful
2: expensive. He is. Well,
1: I, I could you afford to have Mike Tyson and Bret Hart at the same time? I think he made a call. Yeah. I think Vince said, "You know what? I'm going to one is going to do me more than the other, and the short term benefit of having Tyson because Tyson just bit off Holyfield's ear. You know, all this shit had happened. You know, he was big news.
0: But I... you fucking idiot. Because you're the one who came up with the idea of a 20-year contract yeah. in the first place. You know, you have forecasts and money projections, and
1: Do you not set aside a bit of money yeah. for that? Like, you
0: would, you would definitely. And
1: Jim Ross has a podcast you know, where he's asked about you know all the stuff because he was head of talent relations, and he was like, you know, do you have money budgeted for this and all that? And it's like, oh well, you just got the money. You know, you got your budget from Vince. He said this is you know what you're to do with it. But you know, once Vince says we can't afford this, well then that's. There's no discussion there for anyone else to have. It was Vince's call, that's it. Mm -hmm. But so much about this screwjob thing has been mistold year over year. And I think the WWE version of it, which was... Brett got greedy, wanted to go to WCW... And Vince, to protect the business did the screw job solely to keep Brett from taking the belt with him. Now
0: so shit because they even mention in that phone call where he's like, Vince says, oh, I can't afford you. Brett says immediately, he's like, well, I have no interest in taking the belt with me. You guys can keep that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm all about loyalty and respect. I'm not going to suddenly shit on the belt just because I've changed company. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not that person.
1: So what actually happens, the meat and veg of the matter, what is a Montreal screw job? Oh,
0: yeah, because I finally know. <laughs> you finally know? I know so everyone in the
1: wrestling community let's all take a collective <laughs> who's been a part of this podcast from the day go we all managed to keep this yep. fucking hell
0: my favourite was um, Adam's partner Alice who we were talking about Bret Hart and she was like oh yeah I've mentioned the Montreal Screwjob I was like oh I still don't know what that is and Alice doesn't watch a huge amount of wrestling and she was like you still don't know you've been watching for five years and you still don't know the Montreal Screwjob It's like, all yes. the
2: first things she learned yeah.
0: about wrestling You but... have no
1: idea how many tweets that I have muted and deleted <laughs> yeah. but not since, not since Bioshock has there been <laughs> such a roundabout way to keep something from someone this was fucking now would you kindly please all tell Joe all your opinions on the Screwjob now because it's <laughs> fine, you know all about it. So we, what is it?
0: So, I feel it's important to mention a certain few elements of, of what happens surrounding the screw job itself before we mention the screw job itself. So first of all, Brett gets called into Vince's office where he happens to be mic'd up for this documentary, Wrestling with Shadows. Which
1: again, that was something that I didn't know until a few years ago. Yeah. That blew my mind. And I doubt
0: Vince knew because of what he says. So they have this meeting and Brett says, uh, you know, you allowed me a certain amount of uh, creative control during my last 30 days. Vince says, we'd like you to lose in Montreal to Shawn Michaels and lose the title. And Brett goes, well, you know, I'm fine with losing the title, but I don't want to do it in Montreal. It's my hometown. You know, my family will be there. I just don't think that's a good look. You said as well I'd have an element of creative control. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to win that match, okay?
1: Well, he didn't say he wanted to win. All he wanted to do, and what Vince promised, was that it would be a schmoz, which means that loads of people yes, would run out. Yes, right, a
0: schmoz, yes.
1: So just like, the match went finish, in, in yeah. chaos and then it was like, well, Brett's gone now, we'll crown a champion next night. He even offered to come to Raw the next night, so will like, yeah, drop it to... And drop to it then, yeah. yeah. Just not here in Montreal, given that, I mean... It's worth the context as well, because people kind of going, oh, Brett, what a baby. I mean, come on, why won't you lose in Montreal? Are you that big of a hero? It's like, well, no, because of the storyline.
0: It's part of his character. Mm. Yeah. It's not just like The Miz losing in, I forget where The Miz is from, Philadelphia. Cleveland? <laughs> Cleveland, yeah. If he was to leave. <laughs> it's totally different. Brett's whole gimmick and has been throughout his whole career is his family name.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and the Canadian and thing. And the Canadian particul- thing, yeah. And people also tend to forget as well that yes, Brett was the bad guy in America but Brett was the good guy here and Shawn Michaels was the bad guy everywhere. Yeah. Did, you, did you see what he was doing with the American flag? Yeah, he
0: was like, stuffing it up his nose and like having sex with the flag he he
1: literally fucked the canadian flag yeah now could you imagine some topsy-turvy world where there's a canadian wrestling organization and there's an american wrestler who's feuding with a canadian wrestler and the canadian wrestler fucked the american flag in like new york city or whatever it's Uh like
0: so the, the american flag is taken so seriously that we saw a clip and the best there was best there is was ever will be where we briefly see in the crowd, a member of the audience has a sign which has the. Uh, they're in Canada and it's the American flag and it has a cross through it. And <gasps> Kevin went. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so shocking. But like all the shit. Not all glory!
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but all the shit they did to the Canadian flag is just like they're such hypocrites. They yeah. take it so seriously and then they just shit all over the Canadian flag. It's so unfair.
1: So Vince has promised it's going to be a schmoz. He's on record on film saying that. Yeah,
0: Brett's happy with that. He's happy with the finish and he's going to go out and do the match that way. Sean's going to do the sharpshooter to him. Brett's going to reverse it and then there's going to be a schmoz and then they'll figure out the title being lost another day. And
1: you even have in the documentary, I forgot that they've done this, you've Pat Parson, who's the booker, and they, they do it earlier in the show where they have, you know, Pat talking through what's going to happen in the match, using the wrestling boom, 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 shit calendar, da, 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 and then all the stuff happens in the ring as he's narrating it. And then you actually get to the match and you hear what Pat was saying. He's like, and then all the guys are going to run out. It's going to be a big schmoz. And like.
0: And you see Brett's wife talk to the referee's brother yeah. before the show. And she's like, so the finish is going to be a schmoz, right? Yeah, it's just going to be kind of a DQ. Is that right? And he's like, mm, mm-hmm. Like, not making any eye contact, so no. it's well. like y- you swear. It's like mm, swear on my children's graves.
1: Yeah, the referee swore in his kids' lives. Earl Hebner as well. Like that's crazy mm. to think.
2: Can I ask yeah. what would have been wrong with having the schmoz finish? How was that not desirable exactly, for Vince McMahon? Right?
0: Exactly. Like what's
2: wrong with that outcome for him?
0: There isn't one. That it's- really
2: seems like it's everyone wins in that scenario. Yeah. yeah, Brett doesn't have to lose. Vince gets the belt off of him. Yep. like
1: well I mean is it hard to say to use the excuse you couldn't end a pay-per-view
2: that no, way no fuck off they did that all the yeah. time especially in 96 and yeah, 97 that's even so, they yeah. couldn't give a fuck about ending the pay-per-view on a quality note like that's not it that simply isn't it so what actually happens then when the, the, it comes down to it in the match
0: so quite simply what happens is Shawn Michaels puts Bret in the sharpshooter as planned but then what isn't planned and what happens instead is Vince goes ring the bell and they ring the bell while Brett's in the middle of trying to reverse the sharpshooter. And then the ref goes one, two, three.
1: The fact that the camera is right there for the crash zoom on Brett Hart's face. Going whoop. Uh-huh. And he just looks stunned. Just
0: like a little bit bemused. Like it's not clicked yet what's happened. He's not even upset at this point. He's just like oh something's gone wrong.
1: Someone's rung the bell by mistake. Yeah it's a mistake.
0: Nothing nothing intentional I'm sure. I'm sure the
1: referee's running out of the ring into an awaiting speeding car for an unrelated matter. (laughs) Maybe those kids whose lives he's sworn on he has to go home and check them super Mm. quick just to make sure you know nothing bad's happened.
0: And Sean celebrates. And oh no!
1: Sean, Sean also pretends. He always he goes, "Oh, this is bullshit." Oh yeah. But then he celebrates. Then he celebrates.
0: Yes. And then Vince gets up, and Brett figures out then what happened, and Brett, Brett spits in his face, right in his eye.
1: Fucking incredible shot!
0: Amazing shot! One of the best moments in history. I give that a top spot. Five out of five stars. Um, <laughs> recommend it to new fans, old fans. Anyone really. With would generally... be, you know,
1: recommended bonus viewing as yeah. well, is a <laughs> spin-off podcast to make the time that Vince got spat online. It's so
0: good. I oh, can watch that forever. It's the
1: gloop of the night as well, I hope I as well. Thank you <laughs> very much. So yeah, we cut backstage in the documentary where Brett is just like he's fuming. And the bit that really gets me is Sean coming and going. And he goes, do you have anything to do with going on out there? Swear to God, man. I had no idea. It's bullshit. Can't believe it. Can't believe they did that to you, man.
0: And Brett kind of storms off then. And then Julie, his wife, she's standing with, like, Shawn Michaels, I think it's the referee or the referee's brother, and Triple H is there and a couple of other guys, and she. He looks so unsurprised. It's almost like she saw this coming.
1: Yeah, it's like the teacher who's caught the kids smoking who she mm-hmm. knew had the cigarettes at the start of the day. And anyway. she's like,
0: you, did you guys know about this? And none of them will look at her. They're <laughs> all looking at the floor, kind of like shuffling their feet yeah. around, fiddling with their ears. Like, Adam, seeing as you know. he spent
1: so much time making the game,
2: did it surprise you to see Triple H so small? It's honestly so shameful. And it like, even though I've not really got any like emotional attachment to the Montreal screw job, I feel bad for Brad, but it doesn't really bother me. Still watching that footage, I I remember getting really angry, like, looking at Triple H and Sean, like, you two fucking little cowards, like, stood there, nothing to say for themselves, like, they they know exactly what they've done, and they're just stood there like children getting told off.
0: Like, just admit that you knew it, and you were involved, and you don't give a shit. Like, that is much more grown up and adult and just fucking oh it just pisses me off so much that they dare lie and say they had no idea in
2: this culture of like masculinity and yeah, you've got to be exactly. a big tough man you can't look this woman in the eye and say yeah sorry we screwed your mm-hmm. yeah. husband and he doesn't right? even say
1: because I don't know what to tell you Yeah, mm-hmm. it's oh Nothing it's such
2: it. a bad look he looked like such a little snake and yeah,
1: yeah Julie saying what comes around goes around yeah oh you'll be and well never did <laughs> <laughs> that'll be his just as well where do you see your stuff? Star- options <laughs> so you know afterwards I think Vince comes back to try and talk to Brett Brett says if that motherfucker doesn't get out of here I'm going to knock him out
0: and he did and he, he gave did. him a black eye
1: in, oh. you know, in front of Shane as well
0: yes I love it and then
1: apparently Paris and Briscoe came to help him up and they all fell over as well <laughs> right. and then one of them
0: farted Vince's trousers fell down he was sick <laughs> and <laughs> he fell in the sick
1: and then the ghost of Vince McMahon Senior came and said you'll never be my son <laughs> and then he left forever uh, yeah that was it was quite the piece of work and I think the bit in the documentary where Brad is like you know people said it was wrong of me to to lay out Vince in front of his son and all that well wow. My kids were in the arena that night too, and the difference was his kids were, you know, fucking in their thirties. You know, his kids were like young, you know, yeah, come little, little blade yeah. like heart. That had my heartbreak seeing little fucking blade heart yeah. with the, you know, carrying
0: the flag on his back,
1: running oh. and playing with Sean Michaels earlier in the day, like you know,
2: oh.
0: it's, it's it's sad. It's
1: really sad. It's, you know, obviously Sean Michaels is not without blame, and this is obviously something that will be re-examined in, in from Sean's perspective and why that all happened. I don't think this is necessarily done and dusted. But I think it speaks a lot to the to the the frazzled mind state of an emotional turmoil of Shawn Michaels that he would agree to something like this. Mm. Like, you know, you knew this was putting a, this put a black mark on Shawn's career. You know, Sean wasn't even you know within three months of this, Shawn was retired. He didn't come back for four years. So what was the what was the point? Mm. What was the point? You know, it was so and it's so sad because when you think about that generation, there's a whole group of fans. I think, and I see it from 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 on Twitter and such the whole generation of fans that grew up with Shawn Michaels yeah. and Bret Hart this
0: one narrative yeah
1: and then this is this is the end of it imagine if that was your relationship with wrestling that that was the end point you know you're two top guys and it ended in this fucking ap- whatever your opinion on it if you think it's a work if you think it's anything you know you got to admit it's ugly and it's nasty and people got hurt and I hate that that is how this all ended. It, put a, it ruined a whole generation of wrestling fans. But when
0: you look at it from a bit of distance, it's clear who comes out on top here. And mm-hmm. it's Vince McMahon. Yes, yeah.
2: undoubtedly. Because business exploded not long after this. And he just went from like strength to strength to strength. Yeah. Like, Did you catch the line in the documentary? And, you know, there's a
1: whole group of people out there you know, I think Sean Waltman, x Sean Waltman, Scott Hall thinks it as well, who think that the Montreal Screwjob is just, is a hundred percent of work.
0: What? Yeah, that it, how can you be a wrestler they're all in on it. That?
1: You know, and it's ridiculous to, to even suppose that thing as there were riders involved. I think Jim Cornette was actually the person who said, you know, suggest, you know, they were like doing a pitch meeting, kind of go, how do we end this match if neither guy is going to lose? And he's like, oh, you could do the old Screwjob thing. Not saying actually screw him, just pulling out of his rear end. Mm-hmm. But did you catch the line where Vince went when he was talking about Brett going to WCW and going, I can't believe that they mishandled Brett like that? And I thought, Brett had... the, the great advantage of going in with that great storyline where he had been uh, screwed as it were storyline
0: uh, opportunity yeah
1: like Vince was going I'm doing him a favour because yeah. you're off there now you're going to make the big money and now you've got this on range you're going there's Bret Hart and he's a folk hero now because he got screwed by Vince McMahon and now I'm Mr. McMahon and of course within weeks of this he is that character on TV mm-hmm. to go against Steve Austin
0: you mentioned the other day that your theory about this the whole reason the screw job happened is to develop the character of Mr. McMahon yeah which I think is is true because the only person who came on top and benefited from this is Vince. Yeah, it's honestly, really helped birth his character.
2: I thought that was quite cynical when you said that, but the more I'm, the more angles you look at the Screwjob from, it was just so easily avoidable. Yes. I, I still can't yeah. get past this idea of a Smalls finish because that literally would have like done away with this whole situation that would have made everything like completely fine. Mm-hmm. As like, Vince
1: said the only thing that came between me and Brett was Ted Turner's money which is the exact same thing he says to Brett when he's face to face with him before the match which that sounds to me like a line that he's told himself a lot because yeah. I think Vin- I think it is initially at the point though where Vince Vince believes that you know his version of events. Oh yeah he does. I don't think Vince even knows why he did it originally at this point now because it was so avoidable and I think that you know Shawn Michaels was broken for, for many reasons after uh, you know, after 1998, I think this one, this weighed on him for like, that's got to weigh on your conscience. Well, that's and he thing. looks
0: so shamed, like ashamed. He really does. He looks so guilty.
1: And everyone from the Heart Foundation leaves the all jump ship to go to WCW. Like loads of people from the company decide to leave. Mick Foley even says he's not going to show up to work because he's upset with how they've done it. Really? And it's so funny. Jim Cornette says in interviews, like you got you to gotta love Mick Foley. He was earning like 200 grand a year, who's going to bat for someone who was making mm. 2 million in a year, was about to go make another 9 in WCW, saying, look, he's going to work, you should too. You know, that's, mm. that's it. And
0: But it's the principles it of the thing. It I is. think that's really admirable. It's not a business God's of principles. Yeah, we need more of people like that in that industry.
2: Not to get too, like, morbid or down or anything, but Billy on the Attitude Area podcast pointed this out really recently, that the butterfly effect this has is so upsetting and tragic that, like as a result of the screw job, when Brat went to WCW British Bulldog went with him and in WCW he would have an accident that would end his career like well not end no. his career but, but it would massively old, tail spinning yeah like a huge injury that would like begin problems with addiction and mental health oh. and- Jim
1: Neidhart yeah. gets signed for one of those kind of we're gonna give you 300 grand a year just so we say you have you he was like never used so you're just, like Jim the Anvil Nightheart just giving him hundreds of grand and not making him go out and wrestle mm-hmm. This is
0: loads of money to smoke crack with basically <laughs>
1: yeah i mean it's it's not yeah it, it's it was irresponsible and i think Owen was then left on his own in the company exactly and own brez always said that if he was in that company Owen wouldn't have agreed to it because own would always run stuff like that by him and oh,
2: wouldn't speak so out for himself like. yeah
1: and what seems like something is innocuous is like Owen's gonna do a stunt or something to get you know a little bit of a pop at the pay-per-view and it ends up being one of you know, wrestling's biggest tragedies.
2: Well, Brett was the kind of wrestler that would say, like, no, I'm not a stuntman, you can't make me do this spot, I'm not qualified for that, or whatever. Like, he would be the kind of person that would have said, no, Owen shouldn't be doing that. did like...
0: Owen actually say that, though, around the time? Didn't he say, I'm, I'm not a stunt man. I'm not, I I'm, haven't practiced this, I'm...
2: He had and, he had done a dry run with it. I, I remember hearing allegedly it depends on who's telling the story, mm. but allegedly I've heard before now that Owen was like really hesitant and didn't yeah. want it. he wasn't keen on doing it. So you, you would imagine if he had someone else there in his corner, he probably would have put up more of a fight about and, it. Like
1: I think we we talked a little bit on Owen's episode. You know, once Brett was gone, Owen's role in the company he. He was still featured and all that, but I think Owen very much wanted to write out his contract, not make waves, and I think his plan was to be retired before he was 40. Like, just to be kind of out of there. Yeah, take his money and go. Mm -hmm. So I think Owen was just doing. He didn't want to kick up fuss. He didn't want to be known as the guy who wouldn't do a thing because if you're not going to do this, then they're not going to put you on the pay per view. So I'm going to go do the spot, I guess. And that is really, really crappy. And I know we talked about it with Vince Russo as well, you know, about who's ultimately culpable and responsible I think there's a litany of failings and factors from the top down I think ultimately the responsibility does lie with the person who owns the company seeing as these are all meant to be independent contractors you don't have a collective voice of all yeah. mm-hmm. but there's something to be said though about you know Bret Hart when he was working in WCW then and he his time in WCW he really struggled there they did not know what the fuck to do with him but like he mentioned in his book like all these times Russo, when Russo was writing there saying, right, tonight, Brad, here's what you're going to do. You're going to run after Goldberg and you're going to smash him with this guitar. Then you're going to run back and you're going to get in a monster truck and you're going to run. But he's coming after you in his Harley Davidson. And Then you get out of that and you get into a limousine. You swerve across the, and he's like, no! Mm-hmm. I'm No! I'm not a. i am not I wrestle very well. I'm
0: not a stunt driver. Mm-hmm. It's a you, very different set of skills. You don't
1: fucking think you kind of go, you know what, maybe given everything that's happened, I might fucking dial back on these unnecessary non wrestling stunts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fucking. It's a miracle. You know, we mentioned as well at the same time Scott Steiner was walking around with a tiger backstage. It's a miracle Jesus. no one got more hurt than they did in WCW. Yeah. But yeah, Vince's great idea to get Brett out of the company into WCW. Uh, they had, you know, Brett coming out be like, if anyone knows anything about getting screwed around here, it's me. Brett the screwjob heart like you know, he was really leading into it. They did a thing where his first big appearance was gonna be running out and stopping a bad guy referee who was gonna help Hulk Hogan beat Sting and say, No, it's not gonna go down like that you know, referees aren't going to screw anyone Re- you know, restart the match except the referee forgot to do a fast count just did a normal count so Brett's big debut was coming out telling a referee who
2: just counted to three normally that he's screwing him and it's made oh. everyone kind of go, jeez, Brett's a bit of a it literally, yeah. was like, it brings back all the sort of like oh yeah, Brett Hart, he's that massive baby, isn't he that always complains about not getting his way like, it looked, it was such a bad look like, oh. he's finally here in WCW and he's complaining about a very legitimate finish uh yeah. what
1: did you think of Vince McMahon's post Montreal screwjob promo?
0: I thought we were going to talk about the uh the new Brett they had.
1: Oh, Joe, oh should I forgot about that? The night after, yeah. Yeah,
0: the night after the screwjob, they brought out a man with dwarfism who was dressed up as Bret Hart. Ha! Ah, funny joke.
2: Poor fucking hell. Yeah, the, the night after. The night after. Like, it's all so fresh. How can we go straight from like Triple H and Shawn Michaels looking at their toes, getting told off to be yeah. like, ah, we got one over on children. him. <laughs> the same night as well, where you've got them pointing him after that. You've got
1: Vincent Mann going, Brett made a very selfish decision. I have no sympathy whatsoever. Brett screwed Brett. He, he didn't do the time honored thing you do in this industry, which is to, you know, to put someone over. And I, yeah, it was in his contract, you know. I I felt He's it was
0: such a piece of shit because then after that as well, he arranged for this interview, didn't he? Where he got to control the whole narrative. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Brett screwed Brett. That that became the yeah. the narrative then yes. for years. I, I bought that. Of you course, know?
0: him and his massive PR team and. Uh, millions of dollars with which to tell any story he would like and mm-hmm. Brett's not gonna fight back is he because he's an introverted guy who isn't the type of person to be doing all these big interviews and, well, naming and shaming well
2: that's it like Vince can talk about all this because it's just happened to him yesterday and yeah I'm sure he feels a bit shit about doing it but whatever I can go and explain my side of the story Brett's been hit with like an emotional freight train all like he didn't know any of this was gonna happen it came mm. out of nowhere there's no way he is capable of defending himself coherently yeah. at this point in time like
1: and you know the fact that you talked to something that happened in late 97 with the screw job and then kind of early to mid 99 for the incident with Owen. And that's like, those events bled into each other. And you can imagine we've talked about the Hart family as dysfunctional as it was at times. This is where it all came apart at the seams. You had a criminal investigation going underway against Vince McMahon from, you know, because well, Hey, someone's died on your watch and he's got a boat harness that's not meant to hold a human body, you know? Not mm-hmm. to get into the gritty details of it again, but, you know, there was a, an investigation going on. And as this investigation is going on, Ellie Hart and a bunch of the other Hart kids are up there chatting with Vince saying, is everything okay? Any chance you can get Davey Boy a job back? Maybe anything like that. You know, British Bulldog gets hired back mm. to the company shortly after that. And he's in, a, he's in a state. He's in an absolute state. He's hooked on painkillers. He's a shell of his former mm-hmm. self, but it's, it's a favor because he wanted to... I felt like they put their hearts against each other because Brett was there trying to say, Look, Owen's widow wants the investigation to go ahead. She's not happy with what's happened. She thinks there's a criminal aspect to this, and half of Brett's family are trying to get jobs for themselves. And then Ellie Hart says to Brett, saying, You know, you're just being selfish. The only reason why you're sticking up for Owen now is because, you know, Vince McMahon you know screwed you and you deserve to be screwed because you just couldn't admit that Aww. Shawn Michaels was a better wrestler and this oh, is happening at like Christmas gosh. dinner and shit Jesus. where like you've been worked now Hart family by these storylines like Vince McMahon has set the narrative of the family against itself Yeah. and Brett is the guy who's the point of contact for the media because he's the big star he has to go on and talk about Owen on CNN and everything like that he's the point of contact with the police he's the spokesperson for the family he's the only point of contact with Martha because the rest of the family won't talk to Owen's widow like how Bret Hart was, and he was wrestling as well in WCW yeah. at this point. It was like, oh, he had a sweetheart deal where he only had to wrestle, you know, a hundred days a year. Yeah, the other two hundred days a year, he was fighting his family and yeah. the media, and it's horrid. You know, they didn't dwell very long on Bret's career in WCW. Mm. Like the highlight, the highlights of Bret's career in WCW. There is probably two of them. One is the very touching tribute that he was able to give to uh, to Owen Hart on the show. They like they gave him Mike time to do that. And him and Chris Benoit, even though obviously Benoit is associated with other things, but he was someone from Stampede at the time, and he was someone who was with that legacy. They had a special match to kind of honor Owen's legacy on on WCW, and it was very much that that style, so it was kind of paying tribute to to Owen and whatnot, and that was nice. The other bit was uh, Goldberg spearing Brett, and Brett wearing a special. Metal tummy Oh that was cool That was fun
0: Like d chest plate
2: <laughs> Yes Exactly Maybe you got the idea From a young D-Lo <laughs> brand Who would have thought it's a, it's a cool moment But like I, I don't know why people Always put that moment On this massive He I, loves if it's, it. I don't know if it's Because it's the one Cool thing that happened To him in WCW But people <laughs> make out That it's like It's up there As one of the biggest OMG moments of all time When he had a sheet Of metal Under his shirt. Some t-shirt.
1: of the <laughs> shit They had him do Like he, honestly Like they had They turned him here Like ten times It felt like like, like they did a the thing where like you know he had been healed he joined the nwo and everyone was like oh god how could brett join the nwo and then they did a the thing where the nwo turned on him and they had captured him backstage and been beating him up and he saw brett back and he's all bloodied and his hands behind his back tied up with black eyes in a chair go my god the nwo they're trying to kill brett and then brett comes out and he's like he says in his book he's like he could look into the audience and he saw fans that he recognized who had like tears streaming on their face because they thought the brett of old is back and then he like Roddy Piper throws water in his face. He's like, wait a minute, those aren't black eyes. It's just mascara. He's just pretending to be beat up. It's oh, a triple
3: swerve.
0: Yes, because mascara looks exactly like a black eye.
1: <sighs> it's, it's, it's so shit. His career came to a, a horrible end in WCW where he got kicked in the head by Goldberg, which gave him... Oh, he
0: saw this fucking gross and you were like wait Ugh. what
1: that's it like it was a blink in your yeah like, you had
0: to show it to me like four or five times because I couldn't see what the issue was
2: it's gross and it makes me cringe to see that spot like just because I know what yeah. happens and what it would cause to Brett but if you were to take that in isolation by itself, it just looks like a regular yeah. old wrestler move. Like yeah. doesn't even look like a botch per se. Yeah. It just looks like a wrestling kick.
1: And Goldberg was pretty green at the time. You know, we, we, something we've discussed in this podcast before was that he maybe didn't know his his own strength or anything like that. But he threw him against the ropes. He said, "Watch the kick." And Brett was like, "What kick to the gut midsection? Mm-hmm. What what kick?" And then just his foot was in his face, and he got a really bad concussion from it. And this is 1990. You know. 1989, thereabouts, where he didn't really understand what was wrong. Thought get a good night's sleep Mm -hmm. if he got a concussion. Jesus Christ. Oh, no. If he used to go to the doctor, he was taking, like, eight Advil a day because he kept getting these really bad headaches. He couldn't Mm. sleep. And then he went to his doctor. He's like, I don't understand. This headache won't go away. I've had it for, like, you know, months and months now. And he's like, well, first thing first, stop taking Advil because you're taking so much, you're tearing a hole in your stomach right now. Jesus fucking Christ. And uh, he was like, yeah, you've got serious post-concussion syndrome, uh, you've got to stop wrestling. And like, as he was negotiating this, they're like, well, you can wrestle Terry Funk tonight in a hardcore match. I think that's like one of his last matches is him and Terry Funk in a hardcore match on WCW. You know, so, the end of Brett's career was not a nice one. And yeah, Brett did, you know, WCW went out of business, Brett got paid out for the end of his contract, so he made his, his several million, you know, he got to, he split up from his wife and all that, he retired to a big mansion in the kind of wilderness. And he was just filling his days, you know, going around on his bike, that was it. He was just kind of getting back to, to basics. He was left the wrestling world behind him. And uh one day he's riding his bike, there was a pothole in on one of the roads, flips over the handlebars, he lands in the back of his head. And I think it's owing to the fact that he had such a bad concussion syndrome from his uh incident with Goldberg, he got a stroke.
3: Oh God.
1: And Brett was, you know, incapacitated. He was in a wheelchair. He couldn't uh, couldn't speak for a while. You know, he had to get to learn from the ground up. Now, I will say, in this documentary that was done three years after the fact, that speaks a lot to the fucking heart and courage and the the like. Jesus, the hard
0: work he yeah. must have put yeah. in to recover. Because my god, you would not know that he had been through any of that.
1: No, and like one of the first people to call him after he got the stroke was Vince. And why? to
0: check in on to fucking rub it in no yeah. to, 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 salt in the wound
1: to check in on because again there's that weird there's Does that weird relationship yeah. that's it you know and he said he couldn't you know one of the things that happened with the stroke was that he lost a lot of control over his emotions he's always a very reserved guy but you know he, he couldn't stop like commercials on TV were making him cry and stuff mm-hmm. like that Vince is on the phone to him and he's got tears streaming down his face and Vince said, like, you know, maybe we'll we'll work on a documentary. Because Brett was really worried that now that Vince had bought WCW, that Vince owns all of the footage of his oh, career.
0: Oh, yeah, he's just going to bury him. Yeah, yeah, so
1: he's like, kind of, you know, you have my legacy. And that was the point where he said that we will do something someday, once you kind of get back on your feet. But, yeah, Brett Brett did come back in 2005. He did do this documentary. He did the Hall of Fame as well. But the Hall of Fame, he was like, you know, just so I know, I will never forgive the WWE for what you've done. Yeah, you know, He was very pointed in saying that I'm here for the fans, but I will never forgive them for what they've taken away from me. Brett was always used as kind of like a bit of a storyline thing. Like in Survivor Series 1998, they did a screw job except it oh. was
2: Mankind and the Rock. Like, oh, mankind got screwed. Yeah, I wanted to ask this actually, Joe, because like, I was amazed that you didn't know anything about the screw job until mm. we finally got there. Had you not seen, because to me, it feels like almost every year in wrestling they'll do a match where it's like oh my god shades of montreal can you believe it and they'll repeat the screw job and like even to the point of they've done it before now where i think natalia got screwed by someone who put her in the sharpshooter and i think that was in montreal they love referencing this and bringing it back and I was going to ask if you'd ever seen anything like that and like been a little bit left out of the loop or anything. Or... I mean, it
0: could be that I've seen it and because I didn't know about the Montreal Screwjob, it just went mm-hmm. over my head so much I didn't even realise it was there. Yeah. Like, the Simpsons it. pop
1: culture reference effect. Like, you yeah. know? <laughs> I just
2: feel like now that you know the Screwjob, hopefully you'll see this the same way. With, well, not hopefully, because it's a shit thing. It's yeah. annoying. like. But you'll see it as well now that like they love referencing this and throwing back and paying homage to uh, I don't to the know screwjob. about you,
1: Adam and Joe, but I'll never forget the Philadelphia Screwjob... Where Paul Heyman screwed Rob Van Dam on ECW on Sci-Fi and made the Big Show the champion. Oh. could not believe it. Oh, <laughs> they, er, there was a period where every year, and not just WWE, TNA would do it as well. Other companies would would, would have their their go at doing the the screw job. It, it ruined Montreal as a city. Like if they go to Montreal now, they they try to avoid it because the crowds there just. They sent You Screwed breath
3: Yeah. They
1: uh, they boo the good guys and they cheer the bad guys. Like, they did Summerslam there in 2004 and the fans were like, basically, this is payback. They ruined <laughs> <it>. They <laughs> ruined the show. Really? Absolutely ruined it. They, they just wouldn't. And they were like, oh, it's Bizarro World here. Fucking goddamn Montreal. Yeah. Uh, you know?
0: What about the time it happened? What did fans think then? Because I'm guessing because Vince had such a firm grasp of the narrative, people really didn't know what was going on.
2: I mean, are you talking about like in Montreal on the night itself? Because if.
0: Not necessarily just on the night itself, but like generally.
2: Mm. They they part. I think a lot
1: of fans were outraged. But then the fact that Vince was putting on this great TV show where he was making that reality part of the narrative. The narrative now is Vince McMahon was the guy who screwed people. Like they. When they did Survivor Series, yo, they they had like. We all know what happens when Vince McMahon is ringside at Survivor Series, guys. And that's like less than 12 months afterwards or whatever, you know? So I think like. I think fans didn't have enough time to be outraged... Because if you're like... Well I'm going to go support Brett over in that other company... You'll just go watch MCW...
2: I, mean, I, th- I think fans were outraged. Yeah. It's just that, that benefited Vince McMahon. It's like wrestling is one of the only industries where like, the more you rile up and piss off your fans, the more likely they are to carry on watching because yeah. they wanted to see Vince McMahon get screwed and like to see him get his comeuppance now. Or Which like- you get
1: to see on a weekly basis because Stone Cold Steve Austin is now the top guy. and like you- The thing he popped for most in all the stuff we watched was Vince getting punched and spat on yeah. by Brad. And now you're going to see every week, if you were outraged at Vince, well, he's going to piss himself because Steve Austin pulls a gun on him. His yeah. Corvette's going to get filled with cement a lot of that I think is to do with the people love seeing Vince get his comeuppance wow which is so fucked up to think about it like because it's benefiting
2: him like. yeah it feels like every angle we look at the screw job from it always benefits Vince like yeah. y- there's no scenario where Vince is remotely the victim in the screw job, not at all he benefits in every way
1: it, it's almost as if the entire wrestling industry has been like set up in such a way that it solely benefits Vince McMahon at the expense of his workers sorry oh. independent contractors <laughs> So Brett did come back to the company and I'm very very sorry to tell you this folks but we have to cover Brett's return in 2010 which was a very very heartfelt moment in some respects because Brett came back and he said you know it's been 13 years and I've sat at home but I'm ready to bury the hatchet and he called out Shawn Michaels and the two of them embraced it was the first time they'd seen each other in years and they forgave each other. And I thought, fucking hell, good on yous.
0: Don't we know what sh- one had to forgive Brett for?
2: <laughs> um, I forgive uh, yeah. you
0: for being screwed I, over by me.
2: I mean, if we're talking about them in general and not just the screwjob, they both did do shitty things yeah. to each other. Like is. I, I, Sean is like a bigger asshole than Brett, I'd say. But in terms of their... Because before the, the screwjob, this had been going on for like six or seven months, them two having issues with each mm. other. And there was a lot of instances of Brett being in the wrong as well as Sean. So I think, you know, it was good that they both had mutual apologies and mutual forgiveness.
1: I think it's one of those... You think one of those points where when the bad blood and the tensions build up so much, it's better just to have a let's clear the air, clean slate, as opposed to... Yeah, but you've more to apologise right. for than me. Even though, yeah, I would agree with you on that front. Yeah. and I, uh, part of the, That's part of the reason why I thought Brett was probably the bigger man in that sense. Because he had, you know... Definitely. He had a lot more to be angry about. He's in the arms of the company again. Come, he didn't need the money. You yeah. know, Brett... He was one of the few people who got paid out of his Lloyds of London insurance policy. But yes, they decided to come back with Brett. And he's back for one reason, only that's for for forgiveness. Or is this? Because this Sunday at WrestleMania 26, Bret Hart takes on Mr. McMahon in a no-holds-barred match. It's our final match. I'm so sorry, but I had to. My morbid curiosity of Joe learning all of this and then seeing this right afterwards... How did you get on with this angle, Joe?
0: Well, first of all, I have to mention something that's not to do with this angle. Okay. Which is, as we were finding this match, we saw briefly Rey Mysterio dressed as Avatar.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Do you mean
2: Avatar: The Last Airbender no, or no, James Cameron's? James Avatar? Cameron's
0: Avatar. <laughs> Avatar. I
2: I find what you mean to say is that Rey Mysterio is dressed as one of the Na'vi from oh, James so Cameron's sorry. 2010 you film fucking Avatar. Nerd. <laughs> sorry, just
3: <laughs> if
1: we weren't going. through three and a half hours already, I'd be cutting your ass out. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, uh, we had Brad Hart taking on Vince McMahon here at WrestleMania 26, where Brad Hart, his multi-million dollar payout from Lloyd's of London, is contingent on him never wrestling again. So
0: No bumps.
1: No bumps. And Vince McMahon, as we all know, hell of a worker. Uh, (laughs) He can make
2: anyone look good.
1: This is taking place 13 years out of Survivor Series, 1997, and... You've got to see this recap package, folks, where it's like it's just like beautiful music. Like, it's really sad, like you've hit a really poignant moment in The Witcher or something like that. And this music man going, "I'll never forgive you, Brett." And you want to know why? You deserve to be screwed. He kicks Brett in the willy instead of hugging him.
0: You deserve to be screwed. He's a bad, bad man. <laughs> this
2: is one of those Vince angles where I think he doesn't care about coming no. up with a motive or no. coming up with reasoning. It's You just...
0: deserve to be
2: screwed. We all know I'm evil at this point in time. Let's just accept that I'm going to do the nasty thing here.
0: I think that every so often, Vince goes into a bout of self-loathing, but he hasn't got the self-awareness to recognise that Mm. that's what it is.
1: Ah, I see. And that's
0: why every so often he will put himself in a match against someone that will just kind of beat the shit out of him. (laughs) And I think it's almost like self-flagellation at this point. It's just like, yeah, just beat the shit out of me, I deserve
3: it. So...
1: It was a winding web we weaved here To get to this point uh, From the, the, the recap all the way to The actual match happening I counted six swerves <laughs> So see how we get here So Brett comes back And he says he just wants to bury the hatchet Vince comes out and he says he also wants to bury the hatchet Swerve Vince kicks him in the willy and I yeah, hate you, runs away. You deserve to be screwed. You deserve yeah. to be screwed. And then Brett comes out and says, I want to fight Vince McMahon because he's a piece of shit and he won't even, you know, bury the hatchet.
0: Fight me at WrestleMania.
1: Vince says, uh-uh, never going to do that. You think I'm going to fight you? No, I've just brought you back to laugh at you. So that's kind of a second swear of there, really, that Vince pulled the rug out from under him.
0: Then Brett gets hit by a car. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. which is, this is actually now a plot with his good friend John Cena. Uh, which is great. You see Brett Hard is getting into the car and John Cena's like, I'm sorry I had to go in this way, Brett. Love you, man. Thanks, Sean. You know. <laughs> what? I missed this. Yeah, it's a right there. But no, John was Brett's friend. That was very important that <laughs> <and> we know <laughs> that. Why? To so give John a bit of the rub, he needed it. Like, you We know. don't
2: need this many layers. Joe, we're, we're
1: one year away from Cena Miz at WrestleMania. We need something for the guy. <gasps> oh, my like, God. He's Brett. He helped Brett set up this vehicular manslaughter <sighs> gimmick here. Okay. I so yeah Brett gets run into a car and he's like oh my leg and then he's he's in a big cast then he's in yeah. this big comedy cast
0: so he couldn't wrestle even if he wanted to yes. and Vince
1: McMahon comes out and goes what's the matter haven't you got the jam to fight me at Wrestlemania pal Ha huh, come on fight me and he's like I can't fight you I'm, I'm crippled I'm hurt so then Vince is like fine then guess Brad Hart's just a big coward and then when they ha- he says right I'm going to fight you then and then they have the contract signed the next week and Vince signs the contract and when he looks up there's Brett's cast sat on the on the table, and there's something about Brett Hart sat with his arms crossed, looking all cool, mm-hmm. and Vincent Man going, Ugh! and there being a big comedy foot cast going,
3: like it's
0: <laughs> it's so unvising.
3: What so? Brett's
2: plan was to make Vince think that he broke his leg. Yes. So that
0: Vince would want to fight him because Vince only wants to fight him when he's weakened right. because he's such a Adam, coward. Adam,
2: you're talking about swerve
1: number four there. Okay. okay, okay, all right. So that's it. So Vince is trapped in. He's got to fight Brett now at WrestleMania. Yeah. Brett's healthy. Brett comes out, you know, looking very well.
0: Yeah, he looks great. He looks 30-something. Yeah. He's incredible.
2: He looks great his outfit does him no favours. No, I hate his jorts. And this is ever since his return into the company in 2005, he will always wear these big, massive jorts. So and Kevin
0: the, Smith cosplay. It <laughs> is, it is. The clothes
2: are way too big yeah. for him yeah. and he just looks very frumpy and a little bit deflated and I think it's such a bad look. I yeah. know he's obviously not got the same physique as before, but even something like a tight-fitting black yeah. shirt would just look so much better than this. He
1: did wrestle, He they had him as part of the SummerSlam 10-man tag or 20-man tag match, whatever it was, against the Nexus and he, he was in that match. It was really cool. He wore a cool t shirt that was him and Owen like wrestling. It was like the oh. first because of the stuff with Martha you can't make reference to Owen, so that mm. was his own little like kind of cheeky because like, I think he he really wants Owen to maybe try and get his, his time in the limelight. We all deserves. do. We all do, all yeah, right. that's it, you know. But yes, so Brett comes out, he's ready and Vince weekend jeans McMahon is here to do a trip to Ikea paint his shed and probably do a trip to the dump on Sunday with his, his, he's got his, own, his muckers on he's got his, his smelly old jeans and his sleeveless jumper
2: the vibe I got from him was Tommy Lee Jones because he's like really <laughs> old and he's got this is crap haircut yeah. Vince McMahon with the little tiny the little
1: comb hair. over like. he does not sue him you remember from our, our Trump episode where Vince had his head shaved
0: oh yeah, yeah It's he's lit- growing back from
2: that yeah it literally for like six years afterwards li- I'm thinking more like nine or 10 like it was only recent memory that it started there was a moment where we saw him on raw and me i remember texting you and being like oh, Vince's this is heck it's
1: back he got one thousand dollar haircuts again i think like. so yeah, vince has come out but vince is here for a swerve Whoa, number five
0: so vince has paid off brett's family to come out with him and be lumberjacks in the match now lumberjacks are basically when you get people to stand around the edge of the ring and like push them and beat them up if they come out yep. and in this instance the idea would be that they'll be paid to beat up Brett
1: mm-hmm. and there's no more intimidating than if you're about to start a fight than your incredibly older siblings surrounding the ringsides
2: <laughs> most of which are wearing their hall of fame black tie attire
1: yeah.
0: from the night
2: before poor El
1: Sniff his knees aren't good he can barely goose step anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's enough of that <laughs> and
0: his brother Bruce is it is the referee Bruce
1: yeah the referee with his cool sunglasses trademark yeah, yeah real cool Bruce looking awesome there so yeah Brett is like, oh no, I'm surrounded by all my incredibly jealous and manipulative family. And they had made out that the family had come together to induct Stu into the Hall of Fame, you know, the night prior, but now they had betrayed Brett again. But oh, swerve number six. So now <laughs> keep in Sorry. mind as well, when this this is like twenty minutes into this match, like Brett's music hits after they play mm-hmm. the video, the crowd are like, Yes, I'm, I want because I will watch this live, I want to see Brett Come out, sharpshooter, yes, great feeling. And we're 20 minutes into a triple, quadruple, six-time swerve now. And Mm -hmm. the crowd are silent as Brett is like, have you really done this? You've betrayed me, my family. Mm -hmm. What?
0: So Brett then says to his family, he's like, oh, I hope you all got paid in advance and cashed your checks. And they all start nodding, yes, yes. And he's like, good. And it turns out that actually... He spoke to the family after they got paid by Vince, but before the match...
1: There was a small window. The small <laughs> window. <laughs> to speak to all ten heart siblings. Like, so, all nine heart siblings he had to chat so with.
0: So Kate the hive mind communication device. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: and it turns out that actually they're on Brett's side after all, and then they all turn on Vince. Yeah! We're finally there. All swerves done.
1: And here we go. Time for a rip roaring match, Joe. What did you think of Brett and Mister McMahon tangling it up at WrestleMania? It's uh, it's
0: not a good match, is it? Not it's a good match at weird. all. It's fucking weird.
1: It's so fucking weird. It,
0: it, it is. Yeah. It, mm.
1: What? What? Have you
0: got top spots? No. <laughs> Although I do have one actually, which is. Matt Stryker on commentary at the very beginning, right when they're doing the entrances, says something on the commentary that made me laugh a lot. He goes, "Many say that Mr. McMahon robbed," and then you have loud fireworks while he talks about the Montreal Screwjob.
1: <laughs> and the long-term effects it has. Like, yeah. There's there's a lot of like there's a lot of narrative from this. This match is so Michael Cole can tell you what Montreal is now. Yeah. But Let they me don't tell you the truth. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And he's like, look, the way it happened was that Vince McMahon. <laughs> 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 and then Carl's like what actually happened was that Vince McMahon was uh, was, was uh, trying to manipulate Bret Hart and Bret had to uh, leave the company he didn't want to leave and then Vince made it his mission to screw Bret Hart over and they, uh, he's been a pariah for the last 13 years because of Vince McMahon and like, they kind of circumnavigate like all the other bad blood the heart family may have had with the McMahon family for other reasons mm-hmm. too which is a little bit awkward a little bit awkward uh, Vince McMahon gets hit a lot in this match they try yeah. and
0: put him in the heart attack and he's oh. too dense and old to do it
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> have you got any grunts from Vince in this one? this is by far our best match of the night for grunts like because it is just <laughs> a lot of ah! like the whole thing is Vince getting bopped around and passed from person to person
1: alright but- you, you say there's no scenario which Vincent McMahon doesn't come out on top yet in this scenario I felt so bad for him I was like
0: oh poor Vince leave him alone don't feel bad for me fucking loved yeah, it yeah I
2: didn't feel bad for him this is a crowd where he hit with a chair and he goes hey hey, yeah,
1: hey.
2: he loves, loves every second he's loving it and he's getting to take up fucking 30 minutes on his own Wrestlemania like mm. don't feel bad for him
1: uh, you pointed out uh, Rey Mysterio was there with us. He was wrestling CM Punk in a match before this day had two minutes, I think. Really?
0: Yeah, and
1: that was was going to be like, oh, this is going to be like Ricky Steamboat match,
2: man. They're going to steal the show. Wow. This is something that like, they've done this before at WrestleMania where they take a match that everyone's like, oh okay I'll be really happy and cathartic to see this storyline get resolved real quick but let's yeah. just keep it they did it with Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole at mm-hmm. one point where everyone was like okay it'll be a fun little thing let's go finish edge. the storyline 35 minutes they wrestled for oh. and it's the same thing here even with all that lumberjack bullshit I was still on board ready for them yeah, to just like
0: a quick sharp ding
2: ding ding Oosh. oh he's screaming sharpshooter look at Vince cry and they all drag him away or whatever but this is like 20, 25 minutes of just
0: They're still doing it to this day. Uh, Think of Kurt Angle's retirement. Yes. Again, they dragged it out Should've totally been. unnecessarily.
2: And yeah,
1: like you know it's bad when he's going for the sharpshooter, the crowd are like, yes, come on. And then he's like, no, I'm going to hit him some more. And the crowd go, ugh.
0: The way he does it as well is bad because he starts getting Vince in the sharpshooter and then he stops halfway through. And the way he stops halfway through makes it look as though Brett can't do it anymore yes. mm. like he's just like oh can't do it
2: it's meant to be like oh no i want to toy with him a little yeah. more but it looks like oh brett doesn't know how to do his own move anymore it's like, a bit hard for him these days yeah maybe
0: vince isn't flexible enough it's bad
2: lots and lots of chair
1: shots uh, afterwards brett said it was uh, 13 chair shots one for every year since uh survivor <laughs> series cool finally puts vince into the sharpshooter and this no doubt cathartic moment for brett Ends with a big pop, because Vince taps out to the sharpshooter, and that, that was nice. And then, sorry, I think I counted there, I only had five betrayals, the, the five swerves. The sixth swerve is Michael Cole going, After 13 years, Bret Hart spits in the face of Montreal.
0: What? Why would you say
1: that? That makes
0: no sense. That's the opposite of what happened. <laughs> spits in the face
1: of Montreal. <laughs> That is there, unedited on the network. Did
0: you mean to say spits in the face of the Scrooge? Yeah, I think you wanted to say
1: Montreal is in the incident. The
2: situation.
1: It does not
0: come across that way.
1: The great city of Montreal gets spat on by Brett. You just had to do it, Brett, didn't you? (laughs) You just had to beat Vince and spit on the people of Montreal.
0: There's a lot of issues with this match, sadly, but I think the worst thing about it is that Brett doesn't look like he's enjoying himself at all like when he's beating up Vince it looks like especially because he's not aged really he mm. still looks so young and Vince looks so old it just looks like he's dutifully beating the shit out of an old man <laughs> I mean yes I, I gotta do this it's no fun for me
1: he he said afterwards like he was asked like are you
0: happy with that match and he
1: was like yeah I mean it was cathartic I mean, really he, he didn't he was grand cathartic. You know, I, I think he just didn't want to say yeah I shouldn't have come back that stank but he probably got paid like a million quid for however. so
2: whatever I was going to say Brett, being as much of a professional and as intelligent as he is, he has to know that that's a bad idea for these, like, for two guys that can't wrestle to soak up thirty minutes of WrestleMania, the biggest show. Like, he can say on interviews that you thought it was a grand match, but he must know that's not cool, right? It's kind of sad because I ever watched that
1: kind of going. Wow, that match really sucked. Brett should not have come back for that. And then the main event of that was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. Shawn's retirement match, his last match. Really? And it was such a great match. Mm. And I remember remember feeling afterwards going, oh, jeez, I just feel so... Like Sean's just went off into the sunset in the most perfect way possible and Brett has come out of the sunset with the shittiest yeah. match ever. Mm,
0: that's really sad. Only
1: Brett can really judge whether or not it was worth it, because I know he got a lot of zeros for this one, and you know, he he was around a fair, but they used him as general manager for a bit. He had some great little interactions with the Miz, actually. <laughs> yeah. They did a bit like where you know, he had to introduce the superstars for the match. like The first person coming out to the ring is, you know, Tyson Kidd from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And his opponent, the is. <laughs> yeah, like him and Miz had a great actual bouncing off each other. But yeah, I mean, it was nice that Brett came back. You know, they put the Hart family into the... They put Stu into the Hall of Fame. You know, Jim and Brett went in together in the Hall of Fame this year, even though Brett got attacked. I think Brett has kind of managed to find a happy place for himself in wrestling now where he's making a great living still just doing his spoken word stuff. But the thing is, he loves meeting fans still. You know, it, it means the world to him to see fans. And he loves, you know... He's, he's spoken about you know fans who are only got into him and you know young fans who wouldn't have grown up with him or been you know born when he was wrestling and you know finding his stuff through the network and all that. that's nice that. I think Brad is one of those wrestlers who does kind of transcend just the time frame from where he came from. I think you are got to watch a lot of Hogan stuff you have to kind of have a tap on the shoulder and go, just one thing, uh, this was acceptable at the time and that man is also a racist. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Brad, I think he's a wrestler who has aged very well, like a fine wine. Yeah. Going back and watching some of these matches was really enjoyable to see how he's influenced the industry as a, and the style as a whole. And
0: especially his gimmick of being pro-Canada. Just, oh, I want someone to have that gimmick now. It's just, so like, good. Take the piss out of America Bit more, I love that. it's
1: interesting, seeing it so far ahead of it. Not just the wrestling, but also the storylines. As you know, as we mentioned, stuff using the family and the real life and all that. And yeah, that is, I think, the most head spinning. I think that's the 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 whole Canada stuff. I think you could take that to someone who's never seen wrestling before, yeah, and just give them the gist of it, and they would be like. Okay, that seems really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine if you had a panto that worked heel in some towns and was. (laughs) It's it's so weird. Like, a context specific fan reaction. It hasn't been done before. uh, And it hasn't really been done since. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe the flat earthers didn't cheer. uh, You know, we're outweighing the the environmentalists among us with with Daniel Bryan and AJ. But yeah, Joe, I've just got to ask you've seen a lot of the man, and he's someone who has been coloured not just by his wrestling and his, you know, the stuff that he said, but lots of grief and tragedy. And, mm. you know, there's another, I forgot to mention, you know, there's another heart, one of his heart siblings, you know, died quite young as well from kidney failure. God. You know, he was told for years, go get dialysis, go get dialysis, go get dialysis. He wouldn't do it. Didn't want to go to the doctor. And then he died, you know. Mm. And like, you know, there, there's, there's no shortage of, of tragedies with Brett. But I was wondering, like, what is your estimation of the man as a whole, given... So much as it t- makes up the man that is Bret Hart.
0: i got to say, I know he has this reputation for taking himself too seriously. And I see where people are coming from with that. But I really like the guy. He seems down to earth. He seems, you know... I don't want to say necessarily humble, but in a way he kind of is. Like, he understands what his own worth is. And he doesn't underestimate himself. And... Yeah, he's had a really hard go of it. And I think, you know, I don't really blame him for taking himself a bit seriously considering everything he's been through.
1: you be guarded too. Yeah, hell yeah. And you think like this and the reputation like that came out where like Brett's like, oh, takes himself seriously or Brett's a mark for himself or... I think the
0: worst thing you could say about him is he's a bit of a hypocrite. But yeah. then, who in the wrestling industry, mm-hmm. at his level, isn't?
1: Are you a hypocrite? Congratulations, you've become a top guy in wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're doing the things you said you never do. Oh no, I've become my father, who's also Vince McMahon.
0: I can't think of anyone we've covered who has aged so well and I don't just mean like you know he doesn't look his age I mean like he's a gimmick his personality his, his persona his work everything about him like you
1: don't I don't think I've had to tap you on the on the shoulder and kind of go it was the 90s you know? yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm
0: sorry you know for what you're about to see yeah <laughs> I for it, that last match
1: yeah except for but like <laughs> in terms of like taste wise I don't think there's been anything yeah. like because he was that he was the wholesome champion and I think it is sad like in the sense that Brett during the peak of his career was probably always still quite frustrated because even when he's doing that Great Canada stuff he's like what am I going to do because I'm not a hero anymore and you know I think he felt he'd been put into a little shoebox almost like in terms of where he could go with his character in many respects the fact that his career ended when it did I mean he seems like the kind of guy who would have wrestled forever if he could have so maybe it was good that he got out of wrestling because there was just so much toxicity with it and you know All the time when that rumour, that kind of speculation about what Brett was like as a person, that he was bitter and he was jealous and he took himself seriously and all that, that's all coming out in the early days of the internet, where before, you know, maybe Brett had a proper chance to defend himself and WWE had a real stranglehold on the narrative... As, as it went,
0: I think considering everything that happened, he's not as bitter as he should be. Yeah. If I mm. had gone through what he had been through, I would be so angry and bitter about everything that happened. I wouldn't have had the whole apology meet up with Shawn Michaels. No fucking way. Even like, if they were going to give you a, a
1: couple of million to do it, <laughs> yeah. you know they owed. I think that's the thing they owed him that much. You know, yeah. I think that he, he he deserved another payday from him. So I think he was mm. more more than deserving of that, regardless of the the content within. So yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. I mean. It's not the story that Vince wants you to really know. And you know, we we've barely touched on some of the aspects of the screw job. There's whole whole theories and whole documentaries and everything all about the ins and outs of that and who said what and all that
2: what does hulk hogan think of it
3: like <laughs> what did
1: hulk hogan think of that piece of business as a matter of interest because i i heard that it was maybe went down a little bit differently to what joe thought
2: i don't know about what he thinks of it but i know what he definitely knows happened okay is that at wrestlemania 16 yep. it was meant to be sean or 17 Bre- was it whatever 16 or 17 was one of those it was meant to be sean versus brett but uh Brett refused to put Sean over yeah. and he, he didn't want to do the job. So uh, yeah. Crowder chanting, Brett
1: screwed Brett. Yeah. But yes, of course.
2: <laughs> Sean had to pin him for real. Like uh, Sean had to hold him down and give him the yeah. actual pin. Like, like was, the little
1: tiny scrawny Shawn Michaels. Crazy, mm. man. I thought like, Brett's meant to be the excellence of execution. Mm. Some some supposed tough guy he is. Like. Uh,
2: and that was the night that the uh, Austin 316 era begun. Like, <laughs> like, crazy, dude.
1: <laughs> well, we have had a wild ride and this ride would not be complete without finding out your thoughts, your tweets, and your messages about one breath, the Hitman heart.
4: Well, I just want to say that I'm appreciative of Gorilla Monsoon for looking at the thing a little closer because, uh, frankly, I don't really care what anybody thinks. I won the Royal Rumble. I won the Final Four. I'm a four-time World Wrestling Federation Champion. And I think that I deserve a little respect around here. No question of of that. Although there seems to be... I know that The Undertaker's not too thrilled about it. But there's kind of a new motto in the World Wrestling Federation. You scratch my back and I'll stab yours. And The Undertaker might not be too, too thrilled about it. You know, after I win and I will win the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt for a fifth time. The Undertaker need not worry because I'll give him his shot and he can get in line with the rest of them. And we'll be looking at a nice long healthy run and everybody can get in line because they all get a chance to prove themselves against the excellence of execution the best there is the best there was and without a shadow of a doubt the best there ever will be thank you very much
1: and we're back, got some of your lovely tweets and thoughts. There are a lot of these. My god, Brad Hart, people have got things to say about him, and it makes me feel slightly guilty about giving you an Orange Cassidy episode. <laughs> when so many of you were clearly emotionally invested in the world of the hitman. Joe, you want to start us off here? We got some over on Twitter, people using the hashtag how to and don't forget you can continue the conversation and add your thoughts after the fact using that very hashtag how to
0: First up from Little Voices Ed. I've only recently realised just how good he is from watching all the old Raws and pay per views on the network. Effortlessly talented. At his peak, every single person not named Jerry Lawler loved him. He was the face of pure, clean baby face that the WWF needed at the time.
1: Yeah, Jerry Lawler was embroiled, Joe. You see, with a feud with Bret Hart at one point oh, over really? who was the real king of the WWE. And Bret Hart had a match with Jerry Lawler, the stipulations of which was uh, the loser had to kiss the other's foot. And I think we'll save the rest of that for the inevitable Lawler episode because okay. I think you might need that to get through it. Yes.
2: <laughs> I genuinely thought you were going to say we'll save that for how-to fetishes because I think <laughs> there's a lot of matches you could do for that. Oh, God, <laughs> you're so right. You're going to have to cross over with the
1: Jobber episode. we got one here from Kevin Chiat on Twitter. Brett's one of the... Brett's is one of the best wrestling autobiographies but I do find it funny that he got so worked up over Sean insinuating he was having an affair with Sonny meanwhile in his book he listed pretty much every single woman he was cheating on his wife with yeah that's uh it says a lot about Sean and a lot about Brett that you know but the, pr- the difference was kids were coming up to Brett's kids in school saying mm. the lady off TV is sleeping with oh, you oh no yeah, and he saw the relationship between Sonny and the kids in the documentary. She's like, you know, sweet as a button whatever.
0: Well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really sad. That sucks. So
1: one, of the, one of the nails in the coffin of that, I think.
2: Over on Facebook.com forward slash How to Wrestling, we've got a comment here from Brenton Harsh, who says, "'I think he's a very good wrestler, one of the best in the business. However, I could never get into him as a performer.' I mostly just found him very bland. Plus, how up himself he sounded sometimes was a big downside for me.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah.
2: It's, I mean, it's something a lot of people accuse Brett of as being very up himself. And I mean, it's something I would have thought of before. Like, he was very full of himself and thought way too highly of himself.
1: Is that like, when you as I told Joe, like, the people used to get on Brett because Brett has, like, say, the world championships he's won. He's got them all up on the wall. And that makes him a mark.
0: Why wouldn't you? It's I fine. would have that yeah. absolutely. Hulk Hogan has a whole room dedicated to himself. Come on, we
2: have all of the mugs from the
1: podcast festival proudly displayed in this house.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> I think an issue with people have with Brett is that he's kind of like Jr. Where you more you hear of his current opinions on modern day wrestling, he does come off very much like an old curmudgeon. Like, didn't he once say was it a Daniel Bryan match that he called a four out of ten match or something like that? And no,
1: it, that was Triple H. I think he was like he called Triple H an Undertaker end of an era, where like they have this they have Triple H Undertaker whatever your opinions of them they have this match But Michaels is the guest referee it's in Hell in the Cell it's a big kick out drag out brawl back when they could still do it loads of chair shots and sledgehammers and betrayals and tears and blood and everything and everyone was in love with the match and brett called it no you know it was like a four out of ten
2: it's stuff like that that i think hurts his reputation because for a long time i thought he was a boring old father that was full of himself because of things like that
1: yeah he also as well when we started this podcast brett was doing a podcast with his son blade where he was trying to, uh, if you don't become a wrestler, you've just really fucked it now, haven't you? Blade or fucking <laughs> hell, like, what's Blade doing? He's running, is he? But, uh, yeah, he had a podcast where he would, like, review some of the current wrestling with his dad, and this is when Seth Rollins, it was around the time we started—or or pay-per-view reviews on Patreon, and Seth had done the thing where he turnbuckle-bombed Sting after mm-hmm. Sting got injured, and... Brett went out of his way to so everyone know how unsafe a worker Seth was oh, and death. how in his day they wouldn't have done that and you had to be safer with your opponents. And that's when Seth was just trying to get over as a champion. And I think some people thought, like, don't meddle, old man. It's hard enough to get mm-hmm. over as it is. I, I get that, you know, being, and then, but then Brett quit doing the podcast. He said, like, I don't add anything beneficial. I think me criticizing Aww. stuff, I think. Whereas I do think hearing him talk about a modern show and, like, what works and what doesn't work. You know, that would be really fascinating. I
0: think so, yeah. Mm. Next up from Joe Del Toro. Personally, Brett is a sobering but inspiring figure for me. He set the standard for all future main event faces as far as I was concerned, as he was the first one I ever saw win a world title. Knowing what he's been through in his career and personal life makes me sad that things couldn't have gone better for him, but also glad that despite going through all of it, he's still considered arguably the best wrestler of his or any generation. His legacy will always stand tall and he has every right to be proud of that.
1: Oh, that's beautifully put. Very well said. From Adam De la Cruz, Brett is probably the only wrestler that can make me suspend disbelief and believe wrestling is real sometimes. His psychology is just so on point he can make even a very simple move look like it would hurt.
3: Yeah,
0: I, I love his yeah. selling so, so much.
1: And I think like, even like, you know, we were talking earlier about the stretching with Stu and the, the benefits or lack thereof. Brett can pull on a submission move that looks like it hurts, you know? I mean, that's true, and I don't think anyone's ever complained about Bret Hart being stiff with them in the ring. Mm. No. Except maybe Shawn
2: Michaels. Joey Robertson on Facebook says, Somehow, simultaneously, both the most overrated and underrated wrestler in history. (laughs)
1: He's so complex!
2: Is he a whiny, self-serving egotist? Yes. Is he one of the most taken advantage of and unfairly treated champions in wrestling history? Also yes. Was he capable of working a crowd, building heat, and getting himself over and others? Sure. Did he conduct more than a handful of promos and interviews that were incredibly boring and slow? Once again, yes. Quite a long post here by Joey, so I won't read out all of it for now, but if you are on the Facebook page, he's a very balanced account of Bret Hart's career. Yeah, like,
1: there's there lots of people who went with some kind of longer form thought pieces, and you know that, that's usually what Facebook is for, and there is a lot of them, so I would suggest you check it out on facebook.com slash Wrestling.
2: I think Bret in particular is hard to sum up in a punchy paragraph. He's a very yeah. complex man.
1: Hence why we're approaching hour four here on the podcast. <laughs>
2: I will say, though, Johnny Bryan does have a good go at it by saying, very bitter man took himself way too seriously. <laughs> There we go. And that's our question go. for H wrestling. <laughs> See ya.
0: Next up from Ross Foley 7 He helped keep the business on its feet during its lowest time and established a new style of wrestling. If it wasn't for Brett proving how technical wrestling can work to the mainstream, it wouldn't be the same today. Without Brett, there's no angle, Brian, and so on.
1: Yeah. I don't know if Brett's at the present though. People with that particular style being worked over their limits or being worked too much or being... Take, obviously taken advantage of because it mm, feels right. like those, you've listed guys there who've kind of in, in senses their love of wrestling has been used against them in, in many way, respects in ways I feel you know I feel that that's the precedent for Brett Michael PlayStation Hayes for me the best Brett is his underrated I'm not appreciated enough no one's as good as I am heel persona I love it because it's such a stark contrast to his low key dry personality which people mistake for humility Poor El Dandy. <laughs> and it's a great video, people. I was so obsessed with it. Right? Where this is when Brad Hart is like just kind of spinning his wheels in WCW. He's the US champ, and he's like, I don't feel like I gotta defend this belt tonight against someone like, you know, but Dean Malenko or some of these hard, tough wrestlers. Why can't I give some of these other guys a shot? How about um how about El Dandy, you know? How about El Dandy? look he's about to break his whole laugh and now if you want to quickly Google El Dandy there, Adam, uh, in terms of a competitor. Not to not to shame him or his great career, El Dandy was a heck of a wrestler of, of of his own right in, in Mexico, but um That's a film called El Dandy.
2: Hang on. Oh, WCW, right? Yeah. Oh. I and mean, the L Dandy's oh.
1: he's very much a background looking figure. He's not a he's not got the star power. No. So you've got me and Gino going, hang on a minute, Brett L Dandy's been wrestling in the, the cruiserweight division. And he goes, Who are you to down L Dandy? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's to sake. the point that I, I shit you not, when I was in the queue to meet Mick Foley and get my copy of the Hardcore Diary signed back in 2007 and they asked us beforehand, What do you want Mick to sign your book? I wrote down who are you to tell L Dandy? Then the line was so long, I got self-conscious and changed it to Bang Bang. Because <laughs> I don't think Foley would
2: have gotten my deep cut on 2000's mm. WCW. Richard Oliver Adams writes, Bret Hart had the rarest ability to take a match that was under-promoted or treated like an afterthought and make it absolute gold when the bell rang. Versus Yoko at WrestleMania 9 is a case in point. Diesel at Survivor Series 2. Not great on the mic, and I'd have loved to have seen him with a wrestling machine gimmick, much like later Kurt Angle had. Mm. Brett made everything look great and his Snap Suplex was crisper than deep fried lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> and then Richard signs it off here at the end with what I think is a great little acronym. You know how people changed the greatest of all time to GOATs and stuff yeah, yeah. like that? Brett was the BTI which is, of course, the best there is, the best was, and the best there yeah. will be, which I think like yeah. that's a much snappier way of saying it. I think it? it's as yeah.
1: snappy as best is, best was, best ever be.
2: Yeah. You know? You, you're saying the kids aren't all going to be catching on and saying, oh, Bret Hart, he surely was the... Because
0: he was. Now from Landon618. Bret is the best pro wrestler I've ever seen. He could make the worst job look like a star, Tom McGee, and take the dumbest gimmick and get it over, Jean-Pierre Lafitte. He took wrestling too seriously, but as he said... That bullshit was everything to me.
1: Oh, man, what a beautiful sentence. Uh, Tom McGee, they have done a documentary about it now. There was a big bodybuilder back in the day. Tom McGee was his name. He was all so, oh man and a yard wide, as they say. He was a big, proper, monster bodybuilder guy. But he could also do a cartwheel, which is straight away that you're over in my book. It's you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. how you get over in wrestling. It's simply as, do a cartwheel out of a box, main event WrestleMania. That's the top, <laughs> tough way. So Vince was like, right, this Tom McGee guy, let's see if he can work. And this is in the 80s. So he's like, put him in there with someone who's not a big name, but someone who can maybe see if he's got any moves. And Tom McGee goes in with Brett. And Brett is asked by Tom beforehand, like, can you, can you make me look good? Because I can only do a cartwheel. <laughs> and Brett... Puts together this masterclass where he hides the fact that Tom has got like one or two moves, doesn't know what he's doing. Brett calls the whole thing, and he makes him look like a trillion dollars.
0: Really, I'd love to see that. To,
1: to the point where afterwards, Vince is like, "God damn, I've got the next Hulk Hogan. He's twice as big, and he can do a cartwheel." Oh, no. And then he put him out there with some other people. He's like, wait a minute, where's where's the where's the great wrestling that I saw? And it was the first time I think Vince McMahon probably Junior realized that some guys like Brett can elevate people more than the sum of their parts beyond their wildest dreams. And Brett made Vince spend a lot of money thinking that Tom McGee was a superstar. And I recommend there's a documentary about it now on the network because the match was lost for years. They've been scrubbed the tapes. But someone found it and it's it's available to watch now. That will be in our recommended bonus viewing, I imagine. (laughs) We got one last one here from Daniel. It's DHSG58 rolls off the tongue. An incredible, as incredible as his in-ring work, what resonated for me as a kid was his look. The long hair, the shades, the leather jacket. I thought he was the coolest man alive. The fact that he wore pink did a lot to change my seven-year-old's opinion that pink was for girls. I think it's very interesting as well that Brett fancied himself in the book. And it's something we talked about, was that he felt that he was the first wrestler who was like a proper heartthrob. For, mm. the, for the ladies.
0: It's so funny, because before we did this episode, I honestly did not think Brett was good-looking at you all. You were
1: laughing at me I when was like, I was like, look, you see all these paragraphs about being kissed by girls and stuff. Like. <laughs> I
0: thought he looked like an NPC from Oblivion. Like, I thought he looked <laughs> kind of potato Ouch!
3: Ouch!
1: As matter of fact, Skyrim belongs to the Nords.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but now we watch Wrestling with Shadows, and I just... I started to see it. I get the appeal. And- all right. I know
1: the moment it is. Is it the moment in Wrestling with Shadows where he goes to pose with the belt? He's like, hang on, I'll put on my jacket. But he's not wearing his trousers. No, no, no. And you're like, whoa, And all no. those photos, Brett's not wearing his trousers? No. What a hunk.
0: No, there's some nice moments where he's like playing with his kids and he's just, he looks genuinely so happy and he's got this twinkle in his eye and it's its the same twinkle that you see in Owen. That's like just this happy spark and his whole face lights up. And it's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, you are. You're handsome. You've really got a look. Ah,
1: you see. It's, it's when you saw Roman Reigns playing with his kids as well. Yes. Then you know? <laughs> That's it. You see that little bit of, uh, the little bit less guard and not trying so hard to be a hunk. Yeah. But yeah, I just think it's interesting that your Brett went out of his way to talk about it so much in his book about, you know, oh, the fan, the, the girls were knocking down the dressing room doors or they, they knocked over the, the barricades to try and get a kiss at me. And then of course, Shawn Michaels' whole gimmick is that he's meant to be the sexy boy, yeah. like maybe that ran him the wrong way, guys. It's been real. It's been a, it's been a big one, and one of the biggest. And it's a milestone for how to wrestling. We finally covered Bret Hart. Yeah. yeah, I
0: know what the Montreal Screwjob is. Yay! Yay!
1: And do you think the wrestling is a permanently toxic place, to which you will never want to return or learn more about?
0: I hate Vince McMahon.
1: nothing new you would be up for learning more about our next episode yeah well Joe as long as you're not being turned off entirely by the prospect our next episode we're going to be looking at a wrestler from a completely different background and someone who has innovated and dazzled everywhere he's been across the world of wrestling our next episode we will be dialing it up to the San Diego region 619 because it's going to be Rey Mysterio Jr we're going to be learning all about the man of many masks and the man who became the most popular mass superstar in WWE history, but his career started long before there and has continued long into other companies since then. So, we are after your match recommendations. Obviously, we're going to be talking about boy on a pole, that's definitely going to happen. <laughs> Storylines favorite moments, favorite looks, everything Joe needs to know about the man of many masks, Rey Mysterio. We will be dialing it up, as Taz would say, and don't forget to use the hashtag Mysterio over on Twitter at HowToWrestling or there will be a post as well at Facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling. Adam, I want to say a massive thank you from myself and a massive thank you as well from Joe.
0: Yes.
2: Thanks.
1: Joe, do you feel having two smelly boys here to talk you through this is, has, has been a help?
0: Yeah, it has been helpful. I think it's, it's really helpful that we had Adam on because Brett's story is so massive and he's such a controversial subject. I feel we needed two experts for this episode hey, well, so here, that we could no really, yeah, really yeah, we're, get we're, an idea of what Brett's whole thing is about.
1: Yeah, and also how it kind of it comes across to people
0: from, yeah. from different
2: uh, time frames and stuff like that. But Adam, it's, it's been an absolute joy. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, if you want me to come back next time and point out what character Rey Mysterio is actually doing so you don't get confused and say yeah. it's Avatar again, I don't want you to embarrass yourself, <laughs> Joe. is all it is. Like. And if anyone wants to check you out online, Adam, where might they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Biblops, B I B L O P S. And if you want to support me in another way as well, you can uh, go on over to Etsy and type in. In plastic Grotesque I've been making Some weird little Plastic models For the past couple of years And I've started Selling them now So if you're interested In having a look Etsy.com Forward slash Shop Forward slash Plastic Grotesque And we got some Wrestling stuff in there As well Amongst other Fabulous items There's one or two Little wrestling things in there There's a bust of Kane There's a little Smackdown Women's Championship And there is a Wario Doing the two suite With a title belt Oh my god Careful Vincent man's Gonna tell him To stop
1: doing that <laughs> <laughs> Well then I'm exhausted it's, <laughs> it's been an amazing time Talking about Bret Hart And thank you Every for all your match recommendations all of your thoughts the commentary nuanced or otherwise helping us through this incredibly difficult subject matter and we hopefully have done the hitman some justice we'll be seeing you next time where it's going to be How To Rey Mysterio until then it's a goodbye from me Kevin me Adam
0: and me Joe,
1: and we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling
0: see ya